Well, now to economic news, where bars and restaurants are struggling to stay afloat, and local governments are not allowing them to sell drinks to go. I've got more ice in Sweden, more makers than Eden, more 12-year-old whites than Prince Andrew. I've got more melon squeezings than Redskins team meetings. But how I'll make rent, I haven't a clue. Wasting away here in no Margaritasville. Wishing I could sell cocktails to go. But the government claims we'd be a gross kind of place. Just like these, where you can drink outdoors. Got swanky Bacardi, more tank than a SWAT team, more fingers of Johnny than Amber Heard. If there's no ceiling above you, while you're sipping, I'll cuff you. I guess us going under is what they prefer. Wasting away here in no Margaritasville. Fully stocked with cocktail shakers and salt. Some people wail we put too many in jail. Well, these laws might be a good place to start. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff. Wittellis is being broadcast live and recorded live on August 6th, 2020 at 9.31 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. That was No Margaritasville, the latest from Remy, who works right now for Reason TV. If you just go on YouTube and type in Remy space Reason TV, you'll find a lot of his stuff a lot of excellent song parodies. This guy is extremely underrated. Very, very talented guy, yet not many people know who he is. He's been doing these videos for like eight years now. Anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. We have a free roll. We do have a free roll this week. $55 is being given away, and it started one minute ago. So you got 24 minutes left to get in to the free roll and compete for this $55 that we are giving away. I have a feeling it's going to be a small field because most people think the show is going to be on Friday this week. But I mentioned at the very end of last week's show, which admittedly was like an 8-hour, 40-minute show. But I did mention that it's not going to be on Friday or Saturday this week because I cannot make Friday or Saturday. This week only. Next week's going to be back on Friday. But this week, it is going to be on Thursday. It is Thursday right now. And... Then we're going to be on in eight days. So we were last on six days ago on Friday. And uh, the show didn't appear in the archives until a little bit late because it took me a little while to get it up there. So some of you are going to have two shows fairly close together. And the last one was so long. I don't even know anybody who's through the archives of the last show since it was almost nine hours. And people tend not to listen to that in one sitting, which is very understandable. I am sometimes surprised when the whole thing's over that I talked for that long. Like, I look back and go, wow, how did I do this for nine hours? It's it's kind of surreal to think about. I just do it, and that's what it ends up. But uh, 
lot to listen to. I know a lot of people have a lot to catch up on, but you're going to have eight days now until the next show, so you'll have some time. Anyway, uh, bad news about the co-host situation tonight. Remember last week we were pleasantly surprised by not only uh, the return of Vintage One, but also CalWatch, who just popped in without me having any idea he would, which I was very happy about. And then Brandon came in, too. And Brandon initially hung up because there were, quote, too many cooks, but uh, or too many chefs, whatever he said. Uh, but then he came later, and he was on for several hours. So we had uh, four co-hosts at one point, and then we were down to zero after some time. And then we went back to Brandon, and Brandon then left again and came back again. For the most part, I had at least one co-host, and sometimes as many as four. This week, we may have zero the whole way. Uh, Trader Ruski had warned he probably cannot make it today. He's been, I think, on every show in 2020, but he said he cannot make it today. I texted him just to make sure. He said he's extremely tired, but if for some reason he gets a second wind, he'll call in. Vintage One said he cannot make it tonight. Calwatt did not even respond. I assume he's sleeping already. And Brandon said that uh, tonight's not a good night for him. But you never know with him. Like He'll say he can't make it, and then he'll show up. So you just never know. I'm, I'm always holding out kind of like the outside hope that Brandon will just pop in. But he very well may not. This may be a solo show. Some people have opinions about the co-host situation. It's, it's amazing how varied the opinions are. So there are some listeners who prefer I have no co-hosts. Or prefer it's just me and Trader Ruski and Trader Ruski commenting once in a while. Some people just tune in to listen to me talk, 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 talk for hours and hours and hours. And they like that type of show the best. There's others who love it when the co-hosts are on. They love the interaction and the humor and all that that comes with me going back and forth with the various co-hosts and, and with all the stuff we do together. See, with co-hosts, it's a lot easier to have a humorous show. It's hard when you're by yourself. Because this isn't a stand-up comedy act. So it's hard when I'm by myself to uh, not only be funny, but also to even think of stuff to say that's funny or respond to stuff that's funny because nothing's being said to me. So the show is much less funny when I'm by myself. But I will say when I'm by myself, there are a lot fewer distractions. And we like just do a very hard coverage of everything we're talking about. So if you want to hear like in-depth coverage without interruption or distraction of the topics we have on schedule, then it's probably better that there are few co-hosts or no co-hosts. If you want a show that's kind of more humorous and light, then it's better to have co-hosts. And it seems like we have both. I have people that when, when uh, co-hosts come back who haven't been on in a while, they're, they're very happy and they text me and they say, more of that, please, you know, get them on more often. And then I have people who text me when the co-hosts come on and say, oh, you know, I'd like to better the other way. I wanted, I'd like to just win as you. So no matter what I do here, I cannot make everybody happy. There's no way. So trust me, regardless of whatever your opinion is, there's some who think the exact opposite. And I have people texting me that. But I like the co-hosts personally. I like having the co-hosts. I'm disappointed in weeks like these when we cannot get anybody. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just disappointed that we don't have them because uh, I – don't think it makes the show as good when we don't have the co-host. I like the show better personally. I like listening back to the show personally more when there's co-hosts. Years later, when I hear it on the call to listen line, I like it better when there's co-hosts. More interesting. But that's the way it is. Some nights there are not co-hosts. But we do have free roll, as we have every week. The free roll is $55. As I mentioned, no fraud online poker room started at 930. You have until 955 to get in. 
PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. All lowercase is how you find it. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. All lowercase. And the prizes are as follows. $27 for first, 17 for second, 11 for third. Three people came together to donate the $55. Turdzilla gave $15. Poyak99, $15. And Fright gave 25 Not frequent contributors, but uh, they contributed this week. And I thank them for this. So Turdzilla15, Poyak9915, and Fright25. Thank you to the three of you. This added up to $55. I did not have to throw in my Jew gold this week to bring it up to 50 In fact, we're past 50 So thank you guys. You guys have, again, until 9.55, which is 17 minutes away. I can pay you by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, by Bitcoin, or other methods you might be able to think of that have been used to send money on the Internet for quite some time. PM Dan Space Druff on the forum to claim your money, or alternately, you can email dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, all lowercase, or you can text me on the main show phone number, which I'll give out shortly. The phone numbers of the show. The main phone number is 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355 is how that works out when you spell out the letters. You can also text that phone number anytime before, after, or during the show. Be aware I may read your text on the air unless you ask me not to. The call to listen line is a number you can call up and listen to the show. It can be used to listen live. It can also be used to listen to our streaming reruns, which run when we are not live. It never buffers, it never freezes, and it does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, does not require a good cell phone signal, does not require a computer or the internet. No, 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 no. It's very simple. You just pick up any phone that could ever dial and call the numbers I'm going to give, and you're just listening to the show. It's that simple. You won't be able to talk to me, but you can listen to me. 605-313-0736 is the number. 605-313-0736. And the alternate call to listen line, 641-741-1095. If you forget any of the numbers I gave out, including the Mount Charleston number, which is located on the top of Mount Charleston in a cabin there and forwards to me wherever I go, that one is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. If you forget any of these numbers I gave out, just go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com and they're all listed there for you. It's so easy. Now, I want to make a comment about listening to the show live. I have had some complaints, some valid complaints, that it is hard to listen to the show live unless you use the call to listen line. And the reason for that is that the radio tab, which is supposed to play the show, is kind of antiquated. Or shall I say it was kind of antiquated, where you actually needed Adobe Flash to operate the player. If you did not have Flash, it would not show up. And the links for smartphones were not working, I was told. They once worked, but I was told they stopped working because, again, they were antiquated. So I had to update the page. So I spent some time this week working on the radio page, and I fixed these problems. So if you go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com, you will see now that uh, Ghetto Blaster-looking thing that was up there before that only showed up for people with Flash. And when I say Ghetto Blaster, that's really what they were called back then in the 80s. But And I picked that because I, I had one. I had one in the 80s, and I picked one that looked like that because I wanted to feel like I was back in the 80s again. But that's gone. I had to get rid of the Ghetto Blaster. It is replaced with a very boring play button. 
You'll just see a little play button by itself, or you might see what kind of looks like a mini player with a play button and a sliding bar, which doesn't work, and a volume bar, which I think does work. So that's our new player. It's not very pretty. It's not very interesting, but it works, and the best thing is it does not require flash. You just go there, you press the little play button, and it plays. And also, it works on mobile. It works on iPhones and iPads. It does not require flash. It should work on any mobile device. If it does not work on your mobile device, please tell me. But I've had a few people test it already, and they told me it works great. So that's on the radio tab now to listen live. You don't have to worry about this flash nonsense or not working on your phone. It should work now. I put some time into this. If it does not, again, text me at 775-372-8355. The only issue I found with it, and I just found that tonight, is if uh, I've turned off the streaming reruns, then the player goes dark. So you, uh, it, it may, if you can't click on it, if it grays out, just refresh the page, and you'll be able to click on it. Or, or uh, it may start on its own. Actually, I think you always have to click play on it. But uh, if it, if it's not clickable, just refresh the page once the show begins, and it should be clickable. I think that's the only potential issue with it. Other than that, it works. It's very simple, and it works. And that's all I need. I don't need anything flashy. I wish I could have the Ghetto Blaster back, but I can't. I've got to do with what I can put on here. Times change. Some have asked about the chat room. That still requires Flash. The chat room, which you can chat in during the show, uh, the live show, it's, it's used by some people. Uh, you do need a device with Adobe Flash on it. And that means iPhones and iPads can't get in there. You also need a forum account in good standing. Some said, why don't you upgrade the chat room? And I said, I will. Because Flash is going away very soon. So the chat room is the next project. I probably won't do it this week, but uh, at some point I will be looking to upgrade the chat room. The reason I haven't already is because this chat software was easy to integrate with the forum. So your forum account works. You could just click chat, and it logs you in with your forum account. That was very nice to have, and I didn't have to put a lot of work into making that happen. Other chat rooms which are available which don't require Flash, uh, it would be a lot of work to make that happen. So that's uh, that's the reason for that. But I'll work on it. I'll come up with something. So that's the story. Always working on the site. Uh, the site has one tech guy, and that is me. The site has one employee, and that is me. The site has one moderator, and that is me. The radio show has one producer, and that is me. The radio show has one tech guy and editor, and that is me. The only help I get with this entire site is from the co-hosts, which I appreciate. The co-hosts don't have to do this. They don't get paid. So I appreciate the time they put into this, the effort they put into this. But uh, I'm the one who does everything here, and this is not a for-profit site. It does not make a profit. So that's why when the archives, if it doesn't appear right away, or if I don't pay you on the free roll right away, that's what's going on here. It's that this sometimes has to take a back seat to other things in my life. And running the whole thing myself, it, it's some work. It takes some time. It takes more time to run everything on the site than you think. I also generate content every week on the forum. Because if I didn't, the forum would die. I mean, it wouldn't immediately die, but it would it would slowly die out if I was not generating content every week on the forum. So I, I do that as well, because I, I want the forum to keep thriving, and I'm the one who runs it, so the responsibility to generate the most content comes on my shoulders. So that's uh, just something to keep in mind here. 
None of these things by themselves take a lot of time each week, unless I'm doing like a fix, then that can take some time. But in a typical week, there's not one thing that takes a lot of time except for actually doing this show. Well, that's also somewhat preparing for the show takes some time. But all these things combined add up to a, a lot of hours. Okay, so uh, free roll, you still have 10 minutes to get in. And if you're listening right now, I suggest you give it a try because uh, I would suggest that you go in there because you will have a good chance of winning because I have a feeling we don't have a big field this week. Just people are not expecting the show right now. By the way, uh, Grenader Rogers in the chat room, he was complaining that the new player was flaking and it was going on and going back off. Now, that was actually me. I was screwing something up. <laughs> I was starting the show and then messing things up and stopping it, starting and stopping it. This happened for like 30 seconds, kind of on and off. So that that's what was going on. It was not uh, anything wrong with the player. That was human mistake, which won't occur again next week. And that won't be in the archives. All right. So uh, here's the agenda, and then we'll get going. I have an announcement. Actually, I already did the announcement about the radio player. Never mind. The first topic has to do with a continuation of the story of murdered poker pro Susie Zhao. A lot more information has come out about that murder. There has been an arrest. And the first media to name the suspect who was arrested was Poker Fraud Alert. Yeah, I'm not kidding. The very first media in the world of any kind, the first place on the internet to name the suspect was Poker Fraud Alert. I kid you not. You can even see. You can Google it. You'll see there's a other outlets quoting us. Now it's it's out there a lot of places, not just from us, but we were the first. But anyway, uh, a lot more to the story, and it's not a pretty one. So we'll talk about that as our lead story tonight. Daniel Negreanu is back in the news. I know you're shocked. Daniel Negreanu has been so stable and calm lately. How could he be back in the news on this show? Well, Daniel Negreanu had another, I wouldn't say meltdown, but a rant, an angry rant on his Twitch or whatever he's using broadcast. I think he's suspended from Twitch. Whatever he uses a broadcast, he had an angry rant on there. And it was in response to some things that were said about him on a podcast, which we've played before, actually. We've played this podcast before. It's called uh, The Rake the one with uh, Jamie Kerstetter and Marley Cordero. I'm going to play you what was said about him by Norman Chad and Jamie Kerstetter, both of whom had uh, not-so-kind words about him. And then I'm going to play Negreanu's angry response. And then we will talk a bit about what might be going on with Daniel. Why is he behaving this way? Why is he so angry? Why is he so aggressive lately? This is, this is a side of Daniel people do not remember from the past. Brad Booth is missing. Remember Brad Booth, high stakes, no limit poker pro? And he was infamously cheated out of a lot of money on UB and was never compensated properly. So he really got screwed there. However, he lost some sympathy because eventually he screwed others by taking bad loans and just stiffing everybody. I think he was you know, doing the typical poker player thing of taking loans pretending he had an ability to pay and really didn't and then left people in the lurch. So he lost some sympathy there. But that was all years ago. But uh, currently he is missing. Currently people cannot find him. And there is some concern 
that he may not be alive anymore. I hope he's alive. I, I know Brad Booth has some demons. I know he uh, he's a degenerate gambler. He has poker talent for sure, but he's also a degenerate gambler. But uh, I I didn't know about how, what other problems he may or may not have. I did kind of get the impression from him that he didn't have a stable life, but he is missing right now, and his friends are very concerned. We'll talk a bit about that. A tragic story this week. A poker player, a very well-liked poker player, even though you may or may not know him, has passed away from the coronavirus. This guy was not all that old, only a little bit older than me. Robert Gray, who almost won a bracelet at the 2019 World Series, but unfortunately he ran into one Michael Mizraki, who you really don't want to be heads up against for a bracelet, but he was, and Mizraki came out victorious, but very good uh, showing for Robert Gray finishing second last year at the World Series of Poker uh, Stud 8 event. But he died of the coronavirus this week at the age of 56, and uh, what's most amazing and sad about this story is that he went from feeling fine to deceased within a week. It was very fast, a lot faster than most of these other coronavirus cases, which tend to take uh, three weeks or more between the time the person feels it and when they pass away. So uh, with him, it was about a week, which was incredibly fast, and that's really too bad. We're going to have on a good friend of his, uh, another poker pro named Robert Goldfarb. And uh, a listener put me in touch with Mr. Goldfarb. Uh, he and Robert Gray were very good friends, and uh, he wants to talk about Robert and uh, what he heard from Robert during this past week. Uh, Robert passed away uh, yesterday, so he's going to talk about everything with that and and also about COVID-19 in general. So be careful. If you're over 45, especially, be careful. This guy was 56, and we'll hear more about him, but this was not a guy who was like 85 years old. This was a 56-year-old. A lot of the listeners to the show are around that age. I'm not far from that age. I'm eight years younger than that. So that be careful. Really, you just don't want to get it. So rest in peace, Robert Gray. We will talk more about him during that segment when we have Robert Goldfarb on the show. The Palms and three other stations, casinos may close permanently. I will tell you what the company is saying about that. Kristen Bicknell who could be the best female tournament player at the moment in the world. She won her third bracelet. Very, very good tournament player for sure. But she was accused of ghosting or being ghosted because she she has a, a live-in boyfriend named uh, Alex Foxen, who also is a very good player. And uh, some troll accused her of having Foxen use her account or indirectly accused her of that, which I don't believe, by the way. There's a, Kristen is very capable of playing herself. But this started a whole discussion in the community about misogyny and the fact that this was assumed because she's female and her boyfriend is not. So we will discuss whether this troll comment is something that a lot of people in poker think or if this guy was just an outlier or just trying to be obnoxious. So we will discuss that. I'm not I'm not going to discuss whether the guy's comment was correct. It was a stupid comment, and obviously it wasn't. But we'll talk about if that troll really represents mainstream poker thinking of men in poker, or if it's just a guy being a jerk. Perlot Friedman confirmed the situation regarding his wife. I will tell you what he said and who he said it to. 
I have a Jew tip of the week for you. The Jew tip of the week. We don't do it every week, but we do it some weeks. If I find something in my uh, customer service and uh, consumer activities during the week that I think you guys should know about because you could benefit from, I pass it along to you. And I had the little bit of stress of knowing that my airline miles, which are worth several thousand dollars, were about to expire, and I had to do something to stop it. So I did something relatively cheap and sort of easy, but I, after tweeting about it, someone who uh, I've been in contact with before, but not about this, a, a guy I talked with about PokerStars a while ago, this guy follows me and fortunately saw this and told me an even better idea. So I'm going to give you his idea, which I believe works, that's super easy, painless, and free to keep your American Airlines miles from expiring. Because, yes, they still expire, even though we're in the age of COVID. A German reporter, self-identified reporter, I don't believe it's a real reporter, showed up on 2 Plus 2 and claimed that Run It Once Poker scammed an elderly woman, that they actually went on, you know, some employees of the site went on there and pretended to be her, loaded up money on her credit card, and purposely lost it. I will read this claim by the reporter, and then I will read you Phil Galfon's response, and then I will give my opinion as to what I believe really happened. I'll give you a little spoiler here. I don't think it was what the fake reporter is claiming. Not a long coronavirus discussion this week, but I do want to talk about Sweden and their approach and whether they actually did it right, even though they've gotten a lot of criticism of their handling of the coronavirus. And there are some parallels between Sweden and New York City. So we will talk about that. The Potawatomi Casino which is in Wisconsin, may be responsible, or I shouldn't say the casino itself, but the it was the site, shall I say, of the COVID infection of several St. Louis Cardinals players. That is what is believed. And unfortunately, there's no way to verify this, but it is believed that that casino is what caused the St. Louis Cardinals to be having the COVID havoc that they have right now. So we'll talk about that, and I'll tell you why that theory is going around, which is a pretty good theory. Finally, there's a subscription piece of poker software called Table Tamer. It's, it's a HUD, but it's, it kind of just makes it easier to play. From what I can see, it's not putting up stats on other players. It's more just making it easier for you to see everything going on when you're playing a lot of tables. I'll explain what it is when we get to the segment. But it has vanished. Even though people paid for year-long subscriptions, the website has gone down, and the owner of the software the one who publishes it, the designer of the software. It seems to be like a one-man operation. He has gone dark and has stopped responding to people. So we will talk about what is happening there and why. So that is our show for tonight. Thank you for listening. Good night. Wait a minute. I wish that would be an easy way for me to get out of this thing tonight and be done with the show. You know, some shows are this length. Some shows are really... I think we've been going like 25 minutes. Some shows are like this long, and we're not even started yet. It's very sad that our intro is sometimes longer or like 50% the at least like 50% the length of a lot of poker shows. I don't know how they do it. Like they squeeze all these topics into like an hour, an hour 10, 
Like, I can't even get one topic out in an hour ten. Like, the agenda plus one topic is never an hour ten, unless it's, like, a short topic. So I'm glad I don't have a time limit here. I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not on some crappy platform like Block Talk Radio or something. Even, like, a, a terrestrial radio station, while it would be cool to be on there, I would hate being restricted by time. And I would hate having to stop myself for commercial breaks. I just like talking. I just like getting on here and talking. By the way, regarding the player I fixed of the show, and I had some suggestions for the chat room. Say, why don't you just go to YouTube? YouTube has its own chat room. YouTube is where everyone wants to watch these things these days. Why not just broadcast on there? It's easy. It's already made for you. It's modern. You don't have to maintain it. You don't have to worry about going obsolete. Why not just do YouTube? And I answered this last week, but I'm going to answer again. It feels weird to do a YouTube show if it's not video. If you're doing a video show, YouTube is great. But this is not a YouTube show because it's not a video show. It'll never be a video show. I just don't want it to be. And that's the type of show I want to have. I just would not enjoy doing a video show for all this time. I would not enjoy having to be concerned the way I'm appearing on camera for eight hours. It's just too stressful. Like, I I can keep composure and try to look nice for the camera for an hour max, but then at some point, I'm going to be doing things like picking my nose or whatever. You know, like, I, I, I don't want to be worried about that. I don't want to be worried about uh, being watched for hours and hours and hours. And besides, I don't think the video component adds much to the show other than when I play a video where it's helpful for you guys to see something rather than just hear it. I admit there it's nice to have a video component, but other than that, I prefer the audio component. So it's always going to be an audio show. And if audio shows ever fall so much out of fashion that nobody likes them anymore, then I'll shut down the show. I don't think I'll ever go video. I've never desired to do a video show, but I've had the desire to do a radio show, an audio show, for decades, ever since I was a kid. Let me take a call here. Master Ken Scaler, hello, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Uh, what did he expect? I thought this show was on Saturday. The show is actually usually on Fridays now, but I could not do it this Friday or Saturday, so we're doing it Thursday. So here you are. Why couldn't you do it on Friday? It's not important. I just have uh, errands to run, as you like to say. Are you going clubbing? No, I don't kill seals like that. It's not nice to do to them. Oh. Okay. Okay. So, so Master Scaler, uh, what's going on right now? The reason why I call, I can't talk about on the air. Oh. Um, okay. You can text me about it. But well, let, let me ask you some other things then. Yeah. Well, uh, well, how, well, before I get to like light, general, jovial topics. How, how much is this like toward the beginning of the show? Yeah, the yeah, it's, show? you know we're towards the, we're towards the beginning. Yeah, we're on our first topic. We've been going. So for, it's supposed to be over like in like seven and a half hours. No, well, I'm not going to go that long tonight, but uh, it'll be over wow. in a while. It, it's going to be a while. It will be. There's going to be like you know what do you think about that new hotel in Vegas opening in 2021 and the other one in 2022? I think it's fortunate for them they're not opening now. I think it's good they have a delay. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's go back to you. let's go back to you now. here. One was like formerly the Echelon, one was the Fountain Blue, or yeah. Like... Let's 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 go back to you here. Resorts World is the big one people are waiting for. But let me uh, let me go What's back the to you here. Big one. There's two big ones. There's two big ones. Okay. Ken, let's go back to you here. I don't want to talk about Vegas. So this is a, this is a poker show. 
But this, I'm trying to the, talk about the world of poker. No, well, I do that myself. I don't need you for that. So, Ken, okay. uh, let, let's see. What can I ask you here? Uh, so you're taking online classes, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, Ken, he continues going to school even when uh, school isn't going in person. So some people suspected all this time that you were attending community college because you liked being around the young women there. But apparently that's not the whole story. You wouldn't be doing these online classes because you don't get to see the young women in these well, online classes. I like classes. learning and stuff. And, you know, I, I'm basically running the stand in place. What does that mean? Uh, I'm accomplishing a lot, but not accomplishing a lot. <laughs> Okay, and it's like pouring split pea soup on your head. You think you're making a point that you're laughed at. That's true. That yeah, I actually saw Ken pour split pea soup on his head in a Denny's about 20 years ago. I really witnessed that. I thought it was like closer to 25 years ago. I, I mentioned to Ken that a girl who was sitting with us that he, he he only kind of moderately liked, like he wasn't that into her. But I I mentioned something like. Uh, Hey, Ken, I, I noticed that she's not really paying attention to you. He said, and he said, yeah, I might as well just pour soup on my head. And he actually dumped uh, split pea soup on his head right in the Denny's. That was a, a pretty comical yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah, but I, I still ate my dinner after that. You did. You, you ate the rest I of the soup, went, too. I probably went to the bathroom and dried off my hair. I don't remember how you handled your hair. Yeah, there was uh, – there, maybe you just wiped it off with a napkin. I don't know. It wasn't like a whole bowl. You, I think you you took some. It's, took it's it like going to a restaurant. It's like going to a restaurant and saying, "Let us discuss this." Oh yeah. Well, I might as well tell that story. It's not even about Ken. Uh, there was a really weird. I wasn't even there. There was a really woman. You weren't there. You sure you weren't there? Um, no, I think you were there. I thought I. I didn't know if I was there or not. No, I'm pretty sure you were there. There was a really weird weird woman oh. that Ken got to know named Ellen. And uh, where did you meet her? From like a Jewish singles party or something? Ken. Wait, what happened? Where did you know Ellen from? Yeah, I, I, my phone, I had to plug in my phone so it doesn't die. Go on. Where did you know Ellen from? Well, I met her at a uh, some singles event. Yeah, that's what I, I thought. It was like a Halloween party. Anyway, and then I told her about the Doctor Dan's. Yeah, I don't know. We just so so he got to know Ellen, and, and, and for some reason she was he, a real annoying mad fat girl. Well, let me let me go on with this. So Ellen had a lot of problems, a lot of problems, and and for some what? reason Ken put me on three way with her, and she was like really really strange. Uh, she first of all. She was very dishonest about the state of her own life. She claimed she had a very well-paying job, that she had a lot of money, that that uh, she, she lied about a lot of things when in reality she was broke and drove a car that was almost broken down and had a, a, a pretty menial job and uh, and her family wasn't talking to her. So that was uh, like a lot of stuff she, – she, presented a she life she had a degree from UCLA. That but, may yeah. have been true. I mean that she was pretty smart. She wasn't a dumb girl, but uh, she had a lot of psychological issues. Anyway, um, Ken would three-way me on with her and she would be very rude, very insulting, very confrontational, very brusque, but you could insult her back and she wouldn't hang up. Like she, she would, uh, she'd sometimes get mad and yell at you, but she'd want to stay on the call no matter, no matter what you said back to her or how unpleasant the conversation got. She never said, okay, I'm done with this. Goodbye. She, she would just stay on the phone with you for as long as you wanted. No matter and, how negative it got. No matter how negative it got. And, and like, I wouldn't even try to make it negative. Like, she, she would make it negative every time in some way. She was a super, super negative person. 
And it, these were bizarre conversations. I found them kind of amusing, but kind of stressful. But uh, and, and then there's the matter of her age. We never figured out exactly how old she was, and we didn't have her last name. But I met her. I met her once, and uh, she was uh, probably around my age at the time, which wasn't old. It's not like now, where I'm in my late 40s. This was like 20 years ago. So she was in her like I was in my late 20s, and, and so was she. That, that's what I presume. She she did not want to acknowledge that for some reason. She was well because no, no never, never mind. She said she was near my age. I got it wrong. She she said she was near my age, but she was she looked older. She looked like she was like a uh, at least a few years older than me, maybe as much as like seven. But she claimed to be late twenties like me. But she wasn't like really old. She was like maybe mid thirties or early thirties, and I was late twenties. And and Ken was two years older than me. So that wasn't a huge deal, but it's just part of the whole like. She lies about everything vibe that she had going on. So the other weird thing to the whole uh, discussions with Ellen that we had on the phone and the whole interactions with her was that despite all the negativity and all the arguing and all the nastiness on the phone, Ellen seemed to have a crush on me because Ellen <laughs> Ellen described the type of guy she liked and it was like almost exactly a description of me. And and I it, that didn't escape me. And then she would also sometimes make these statements on the phone, like, "I know what you just see me as. You just see me as some some ugly fat cow that you don't want to pay attention to." She'll like make some statement like that, and I was like, "What? I never said that." And the, like so, she let it out occasionally that she was resentful that I wasn't uh, showing romantic or sexual interest in her. But then she wouldn't overtly say it, but she'd like drop hints like that. It, they were very odd calls. The, the whole thing was very, very odd. Anyway, um, Ellen then started sending me email. I don't remember how she got my email address, but she started sending me email. And that was the beginning of the end. Because what Ellen didn't realize is that I was able to look at the IP address that the email originated from, and I was able to trace it back to where she worked. So um, I forgot yeah, she where she gave us like her number or her last name or something weird about her. Like, no, I never had her last very name. Private in some way. I never had her last name, but I was able to figure out where she worked, and I was able to figure out uh, from the description of the business when I looked up that what the business was that it was like impossible for her to have uh, a good job there because I was able to see like it, it was a type of organization that didn't have like a lot of middle managers, and I was able to find like who the people in charge there were, and they were not her. So she clearly had one of the lower-end jobs there, like some kind of low-end office job or low-end customer service job, something like that, where she was clearly working something for low wages, which is fine. I wasn't going to judge her for it, but she was just obsessed with constantly bragging about her great career and how much money she made. So uh, anyway, I thought, okay, well, what if, you know. do, do I reveal this to her? Because she was kind of amusing. I didn't want to completely drive her away. And we, we, we Ken and I would three-way her on if we just – felt like having a amusing conversation with her. But uh, I had a feeling if I brought up to her what I had found, she was going to get scared and run off. So I messaged her. So, so I, I decided to throw caution to the wind and I emailed her, hey, uh, I see that uh, this email came from this company that, that shows on my end. I didn't tell her I looked up the IP. I just mentioned I see something on my end that came from this company. So is that where you work? Or something like that. And, and she like just didn't respond and vanished to thin air. We never heard from her again. And this is like an early 01 or something. 
So do we have her phone number? She only had mine, or how do we even? I don't. Like, I don't remember that part. Of... Yeah, I, said, I don't remember that part of it. But yeah, she was really. Oh, so let me tell you about the lettuce thing. That's. Uh... Couldn't we have just called her if she starts vanished or? Maybe she changed her number, or maybe she, maybe she only called you. Yeah, I don't remember that part of it. But here, here's the lettuce thing. This is what reminded me of it. This is what Ken was referring to. Uh, one time I went to a dinner at a cheap diner with a group of people. Called Twain's. It's not there anymore in Studio City. Right. And I think Ken was there. But uh, she was there, and I was there for sure. And... Uh, she didn't this order. Was the second time you met her, right? I think so. And she, she didn't order anything. And this is a cheap diner. This is not like a, a, a three-star Michelin restaurant. This is this is a, this is a cheap diner. This is as cheap as it gets as far as dining out of than fast food. It's one step above fast food. So I ordered a burger, and uh, she didn't order anything. And I said, "You sure you don't want to order anything?" She says, "No." And she just it kept insisting she wasn't hungry, and I was suspicious that perhaps the reason she wasn't ordering is because she was broke and, of course, too proud to admit it. And she's fat, so she has to eat. Well, she could have been fat for a number of reasons. It could just be uh, yeah, low, low, metab- low metabolism. But anyway, uh, I had a feeling it's because she was broke. And uh, I didn't say that out loud to her. And I, I had a feeling she showed up just, <laughs> just because I was there. That's what, like, why even come to dinner if, oh. you're, if, if you're not going to uh, if you're not going to eat? But anyway, I said, you're sure you don't order anything? Like, just order something small. Said, no, 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 that's okay. I'm not hungry. So I, I dropped it for the moment. So I'm eating my burger. And I like my burger plain with ketchup. I don't get cheese on it. I famously get the tomato on the side. I, If, if it comes with lettuce, I don't like lettuce really. But they, uh, if lettuce is just on the plate, I just leave it there. Same with the pickles. So I just have my burger plain with ketchup. And sometimes at restaurants, there's other stuff that comes on the plate that I just don't touch, other than the tomato, which I'll eat separately. Okay? Now, I'll tell you why I'm letting you know this. Because this burger did have lettuce on the plate, which I planned to leave over and not touch. While I was eating the burger, ketchup slipped out of the burger and dripped on the lettuce, which didn't matter because I wasn't going to eat the lettuce anyway. So she says to me, can I have that lettuce? I said, what? I thought you weren't hungry. She says, oh, I'm not. I, I just like the lettuce. I go, okay, but you you see the ketchup from my burger that I was biting into dripped down onto the lettuce. Like, it's kind of gross to eat somebody else's lettuce that had ketchup dripping on it as they were, as they were eating their burger. And she says, no, no, that's okay. I go, what? Like, you, why would you want to eat that lettuce? That doesn't make any sense. Why, why not just order your own uh, your own food then? No, no, I'll, I'll just take it. I said, well, what are you going to do about the ketchup? She says, I'll go to the bathroom and wash it off. And she, she actually, I said, okay, if you really want to. So she took the lettuce and walked to the bathroom and rinsed off the lettuce and ate it. <laughs> I, I even offered to buy her something <laughs> because I was starting to feel bad for her. And, of course, she wasn't going to accept it because uh, she has to keep on the whole act that she has money and that she's got a successful career. It, it was so bizarre. It like, I, I have a feeling she didn't have a successful career because she was crazy. Because it wasn't that she was dumb. Like, I could tell from talking to her. We, we talked a lot on the phone with Ken. I never talked to her myself. Like, it was only on three-way with Ken. But uh, I could tell from talking to her, it was very possible she really did have a degree. And if she didn't, she, she had the, the intelligence to get one. But who knows what was going on with her. So I, I, I have been curious. I don't think of her very much. But I have been curious whatever happened to Ellen and... Uh, yeah, well, we should tell on the phone. Let us 
like what oh you, yeah 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 that's right that's called? right um on a subsequent conversation <laughs> on a subsequent conversation i finally just told her i don't think she's telling the truth about a lot of things and she was getting very mad at me as usual and saying, why would you say that about me? What, what would ever give you the idea? That's like the tone of voice she used. That I am lying to you about anything. I am always very truthful. And I said, well, let us think of something. She says, okay, what? I said, listen again. Let us think of something that occurred last week. She says, okay, so what? I go, no, no, listen again. Let us, not let us, but let us think about something that happened last week. He goes, oh, okay, yeah, very funny. I understand now. No, I was just hungry. I didn't feel like waiting for them to bring something to me. <laughs> but uh, I think the lettuce thing was very telling. And Ken was on that call. That's why he remembers it. Okay, uh, Ken, th- thank you for this walk down. Of course, the, of, course that, of course, the first girl that I poured split tea on my soup on my head for... She was also an interesting character. She, she was, was very black and white and strange. She she was kind of strange, but not as strange as Ellen. And her she name was, was Amy. Yeah, that, that Amy was was pleasant though. Like Amy was was she she had her oddities too. But uh, number one, she was a lot more attractive than Ellen. And and uh, second, personality yeah. wise, she was a lot more like personality wise. She was uh, th- there were some oddities with her, but she was always uh, for the most part pleasant and easygoing. Which, and she's like the one person we both did stuff with. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> oh, I'm so, oh, I'm so, I should have said that. Uh, not Ellen, not at the same it. time. Separate incidents. Oh, separate, separate. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you. Thank- yeah, she, she was a very strange girl. Yes. Okay. Well, thank thank you, Master Scaler. And uh, okay. we, we will um, uh, we'll talk later. Yeah, you can text I'll, me about the, issue, so, the stuff you want to talk about. Oh, yeah. I can't bring that up on the air. Okay. All right. Goodbye, Ken. Uh-huh. Let's talk about Susie Zhao, and I'm going to give you an update regarding the murder. Very, very tragic story, and the guy who did this, who has now been arrested, uh, really messed up guy, long criminal history, sex offender, uh, the type of piece of crap that you'd expect it to be arrested for something like this. This was not a guy who was a good citizen until this. This was someone who uh, had committed... A number of crimes, and uh, at least one of them was of a sexual nature. So, I hope that guy fries for it. It's very likely he's guilty. He hasn't been convicted, but from what I can see, it's likely he's guilty. And uh, whatever was going on with Susie, she clearly didn't deserve this. But at the same time, we have to be honest about it and say that uh, Susie was not just grabbed off the street from the details we've learned. See, if, if somebody's wa- walking down the street and just some freak grabs them and kills them, then they have not placed themselves at risk. They, they were just bad luck that a criminal just happened to go after them. Same with like a home invasion where you get killed or where some psycho just finds you and kills you. Again, it's there's nothing you could have done to or prevented it. But uh, there's others who, while they don't deserve to die, it's very tragic – that uh, they made some mistakes that put them in a dangerous situation. And it looks like that Susie Zhao did that. And that's why it's always important to make decisions in your life that don't put you and your life in danger or put you in association with dangerous people because then bad things happen. 
And uh, unfortunately, when someone's life is not going well, that can lead to a series of bad decisions. It can be a, a situation where it's a chain reaction. And that's what happens with a lot of people's lives in that they, they don't intend to make a whole stream of bad decisions, but one decision and their bad results from it then lead to other bad decisions. And you have a big chain of decisions that lead to something terrible. And at some point they could have put a stop to it and say, wait, 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 I don't want to go down this road, but it can be very hard, especially for some people who are, are kind of impulsive or who have uh, some self-control issues. Yeah, everybody's different. So anyway, here's what happened. A lot of news on this story this week. To recap, on July 20th, it came out that Susie Zhao was found murdered in a parking area of uh, a Detroit suburb. And her body was burned. So it wasn't an accident for sure. She was actually murdered there and her body was burned and she was found near a parking area. I don't know how well hidden, but couldn't have been that well. So she was found apparently a week before that on July 13th. So this happened now about three and a half weeks ago, but we only found out about it about two and a half weeks ago on June, on July 20th. Of course, that led to a lot of speculation. What happened? Did this have to do with poker? Susie Zhao is a 33-year-old Asian female. She was a poker pro. She played a lot in California card rooms. She appeared on Live at the Bike. She knew Bart Hansen. She uh, was likable. She had a kind of an outgoing, interesting, quirky personality. From what I know, she didn't piss anybody off. She wasn't a bitch to anybody. She was pleasant to be around. People liked her. She was a a likable person from what I've heard from those that knew her. So that's, that became even more surprising to people. Like why her? Why would, why would someone kill a woman who everyone seems to like? And what was she doing back in Michigan? Now, the first thought at the time was, oh, well, she went back to Michigan because that's where she's from and there's no live poker anymore. So it makes sense. If you're here in Southern California to play live poker and live poker is not happening anywhere in the state, uh, except for some Indian casinos, but like if if you really can't be a live p- professional poker player at the stakes that are running because the rooms that run decent stakes are all closed in California, it would make sense to just leave and go back to where you came from. So that was initially assumed to maybe be the reason she returned. However, that was not the reason. She did not return back to her hometown because of COVID-19, as far as I know. Apparently, uh, Susie Zhao returned home because she was having financial problems. Now, this is a very common thing to happen to poker pros. A lot of poker pros don't manage their bankroll well, or they have other life leaks or gambling leaks that cause them to lose their bankroll, even if they are winning poker players. Many of them will play too high when they're running well and then have some awful sessions and it'll wipe them out. There's many, many reasons poker pros go broke. In fact, some of your favorite poker pros were broke at one point. Some of them are still broke and pretend not to be. So the professional poker lifestyle is one that you should not get into unless you have a lot of self-control, unless you've got a lot of financial responsibility. And if you're one who's bad with money, 
then no matter how good you are, you're going to be perpetually broke. I mentioned Michael the Grinder Mizraki as the one who beat uh, Robert Gray last year, heads up for a bracelet. Michael Mizraki is a tremendous tournament player. I don't think anybody would deny that. We, you can look at his results. I mean, just amazingly good results for Michael Mizraki. The guy has a gift for tournament poker. But Michael Mizraki is perpetually broke because Michael Mizraki is also terrible with money. As good as he is in tournament poker, that's how bad he is with money. So if a guy like Michael Mizraki, with all the success at the table you've seen him have, imagine uh, people who are not as successful as Mizraki, which is almost everybody in poker, imagine the money they can go through and how quickly that can be gone if they are not responsible. So that appears to have been what happened to Susie. I don't know where the money went, but doesn't matter. She returned back to the Detroit area suburb where her mom lived because of financial issues. And then somehow she was murdered on July 13th. For a while, nothing was known about why or who did it until an arrest occurred. And this was announced on August 1st It was announced by some Detroit media that a 60-year-old man was arrested for the murder of Susie Zhao. But no no further information was given. They didn't say why. They didn't say who he was. They didn't name him. They didn't show a picture of him. Just a 60-year-old man was arrested. That's it. I don't know why they didn't have the information of who it was. Usually they'll say a 60-year-old man has been arrested and here's his name. Nothing. I don't know if they were asked by the police to stay quiet, whatever. But Poker Fraud Alert, as usual, came up with the goods. On Poker Fraud Alert, we have a lot of smart people who are very good at looking up information. Very resourceful people. One of those resourceful people is someone who listens to this show who goes by the name Forum Wars. I don't know why he names himself Forum Wars. But in any case, Forum Wars has a history of looking up things like this and coming up with the facts. And on August 2nd, he came up with a fact. He even made a little graphic saying, breaking news, poker fraud alert exclusive. (laughs) He went through the arrest records in that area because they said this man who was arrested was 60 and from Pontiac, Michigan. So armed with those details, he went through the arrest records in that area and came up with only two people who matched. And uh, he was able to eliminate one, I think, based upon what he was arrested for and uh, figured out exactly who it was. The person that Forum Wars came up with as the one almost surely who was arrested for killing Susie Zhao was a man named Jeffrey Bernard Morris. His his name is spelled in an unusual fashion. It's Jeffrey is spelled J-E-F-F-E-R-Y, not R-E-Y, but E-R-Y, Jeffery. Jeffery Bernard Morris, age 60, a registered sex offender who was convicted in 1989 for criminal sexual conduct in the third degree, meaning force or coercion. Now, I don't know if that means rape, but he did something to a woman sexually and did it forcefully. That's that's all I know about this, but obviously not a good guy. I mean, this was he wasn't a kid then either. This is thirty one years ago, so he was twenty nine. So you can't even say this was just some uh, 
drunken college thing, which which doesn't excuse it, but the, the guy was 29 years old and uh, did something to where he was convicted of a third-degree uh, criminal sexual conduct uh, crime. So he went onto the list of registered sex offenders at that point and has stayed on it ever since. He, he's forced to have that for life. Just in case you think maybe Jeffrey Bernard Morris had reformed up until now, think again. In 2009, he was arrested for domestic violence. Isn't that a sweet guy? First, he commits some sort of a forcible sexual crime in 89, and 20 years later, he's probably living with some woman and and beats her up. What a nice guy, huh? So it's not shocking that uh, this is the history of the man who is suspected of murdering Susie Zhao. Poker Fraud Alert was the first outlet to have this because Forum Wars posted it and I Googled it. I Googled Jeffrey Bernard Morris, nothing other than the arrest stuff from the past and being in some databases online. Nothing having to do with Susie Zhao was anywhere on the internet at all. Nothing. Forum Wars was the first and he posted it on Poker Fraud Alert. So I publicized this. Now, I knew when I publicized this that this was going to bring some criticism to me, not for publicizing about Jeffrey Bernard Morris. No one was going to care about him. And in fact, it looked like, you know, probably he's guilty of something and no one is giving me a hard time for posting that information. I mean, it's public record. If he was arrested, he was arrested. But where I got the hard time and I had a feeling I was getting the hard time would be the threat on Poker Fraud Alert. Because remember, Poker Fraud Alert is a free speech forum and I don't like suppressing speech, even offensive speech. So there were people making offensive statements about Susie. Not me. I wasn't saying anything offensive, but there were some people who were writing some crude things just uh, for shock value or because they're trying to troll, whatever it was. And I, I left it up because that's uh, that's the way Poker Fraud Alert is. I don't delete things off the forum typically just because someone's trying to be offensive. However, once I posted this, I go, you know what? Uh, I better remove that stuff because I'm afraid her family is going to find their way here. That's what I was concerned about. So at first I didn't remove it, and then some people on Twitter gave me a hard time, like, oh, my God, look at these posts. And I'm like, well, these, these aren't my posts. This is people on the forum who have the right to say what they want, and that's that's the price of having a free speech forum. But uh, then I thought about it again, and I go, you know what? And no one said this part to me. I just thought of this myself. I thought, since we're the only place carrying this right now, and we were, like for, I think, Two days, we were the only one publishing this. So I had a feeling that her family and friends were going to be Googling Susie Zhao murder and eventually come up with Poker Fraud Alert and find that there was a, you know, so they'll find their way here and want to read about the guy arrested. And they'll read these awful things that are being written about Susie, most of which are not like serious theories about her. Like, it's not, I'm not, I wasn't concerned so much about the stuff being said that, uh, were serious theories about her that just weren't very flattering. I'm talking about stuff that was just being said for shock value. So I decided to remove that stuff. And then some people on the forum got angry at me for removing that stuff. And I'm like, guys, you got to understand here. This is like her family is probably going to see this. Her uh, friends are probably going to see this. And uh, I, I don't want to cover up any details which may not put her in the best light, but as far as like just trolling and intentionally crude comments for the sake of being crude, I don't want to leave up here. The people who are uh, who cared about her are suffering enough right now. There's no point to make them read pointless trolling about her. 
So that caused some controversy both on my own forum with my own users and and then also on Twitter, people who uh, thought I shouldn't have left this stuff up in the first place. You can't make anybody happy. I mean, I understand both sides of it, but I, I decided to do what I thought was right. And that was kind of a middle ground. Like, I'll, I'll leave up serious discussion of, of the case, but I'm going to remove any trolling or intentionally crude statements. And that's the way I'm still handling the thread. Anyway, great job, Forum Wars. It turned out he's correct. This, this was confirmed later by the police that, indeed, Jeffrey Bernard Morris was the guy who was arrested for the murder of Susie Zhao. So that led to some other questions. Who is Jeffrey Bernard Morris? How does he know her? Does he have any connection to poker? Now, I could not find any poker results for Jeffrey Bernard Morris. I actually found a Jeffrey Morris nearby in Michigan who had poker results, but it was a different Jeffrey Morris. It was a 30-year-old Jeffrey Morris, so clearly not him. So this Jeffrey Bernard Morris, who's 60, to my knowledge, has not played poker. And if he has, it's probably barely happened at all. He's not part of the poker community, from what I can see. So it does not seem poker-related. So then what was this about? Who is he? How did she get to know him? Did she willingly meet up with him, or did uh, he kill her? I mean, did he just kill her randomly? And if she willingly met up with him, why? There's a very big age difference. Uh, He doesn't look good for his age. He's not like a 60-year-old who looks uh, youthful and handsome and uh, might attract younger women. This is kind of a a trashy-looking 60-year-old white dude. I don't think Susie Zhao would have had romantic or sexual interest in him. I couldn't say for sure, but my guess is no. Just from looking at his picture, I'm like, this guy does not look like the type that she's going to hang out with because she wants to date him or have a sexual relationship with him. It just, it, it wouldn't make sense. It just wouldn't make sense. I also didn't think that he was staking her in any way. Just the, the, the whole appearance of this guy, I just got the vibe that this guy didn't have much money was very unstable, was a career criminal, and was trashy. And I, I didn't see where the appeal would be to her to hang out with him. Uh, so there was kind of a mystery there as to what all this was about. And and that part I couldn't answer. That part, we did not have that information. But that information is starting to come out. We don't have the full information on this, but we have more. And this has been coming out uh, the last two days or so. So I'm going to play you some reports of uh, other media outlets that picked up on this, and then we will discuss it. So first, I'm going to play you a report from Court TV. Now, Court TV is is a real channel. You can watch this uh, on your cable lineup. And that's why I was very surprised when I played this. This is a little clip they put up on their Twitter that when I watched this, I could not believe the horrible announcer they hired. I mean, they, they should fire this woman. You're, you're not going to believe it when you hear this announcer, how terrible this sounds. It almost sounds like uh, a parody of itself. It sounds like something you'd hear on South Park, where they're being in- intentionally uh, like a caricature of a really bad announcer. That's what this sounds like, except it's not a joke. Like this, this announcer actually thinks she's doing a good and serious job here. Listen to this. So I, I was going to cut out this part. And I go, no, 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 no. I've got to play this. This is uh, as much as I hate to laugh during this story. I'm not laughing at the murder or Susie Zhao. I'm, I'm laughing at this announcer. So you're going to get a kick out of this, and then we'll go back to being serious. 
60-year-old Jeffrey Bernard Morris of Pontiac, seen here, slumped down in a hospital bed, dressed in jailhouse orange, a familiar wardrobe for this man, addressed an Oakland County judge on Tuesday. Jeffrey Bernard Morris, a familiar wardrobe for him, dressed in jailhouse orange. Uh, he has a warrant in Oakland County Court. <laughs> what is that voice? <laughs> I understand if you're trying to speak like uh, an announcer or reporter but this is like a woman trying way too hard overacting big time but it's not just this little 10 second clip listen to the rest of this it just doesn't stop i, I was waiting for it to get better i thought maybe she was just a, a little too over exuberant but no this goes on for two minutes this is a very serious matter that's a judge um, before the court uh, a capital crime crime of homicide premeditated homicide 33-year-old Susie Jowell, an innocent, bright young woman, in the prime of her life, was viciously, violently killed. And police say Morris is responsible. The tragedy took place in the middle of July. Did it. It took place in the middle of July, and the and Jeffrey Morris is responsible. By the way, the poor sound quality you're hearing is not on my end. This is actually how it plays on the clip they posted. Now, clearly this announcer did this from home. They must not be going into the studio, and they probably asked her to record this opening. And she probably needs some direction. Maybe she's not bad if she has a director there with her, having her do retakes, but she must have just recorded this at home on a bad microphone and shipped it in. And if I were the director there, I'd say, uh, can you take another crack at this one and tone it down, like, by a factor of 10? While the Troy native was back in Metro Detroit, spending time with family and friends who will miss her more than words can express. She was a free spirit in the truest sense. Um, she played by her own rules. She followed her dreams. Uh, These are her friends. Absolutely brilliant. As a rising star on the professional poker circuit and other endeavors as well. This before Susie Q, as she is fondly referred, took her last breath. Sources tell 7 Action News the crime scene was grisly. Sources tell 7 Action News the crime scene was grisly. Yes, and she is a professional poker player, and she will never do that again. And I am trying to breathe as much as I can during this story so I can sound very news-like to you. How, how good of a job am I doing here from home on this microphone that I revived from an old computer bag from 1998? Gruesome, indicating that Susie was bound and then taken to the Pontiac Lake Recreation Area, where her body was set on fire. White Lake police say she was found on July 13th. Evidence linked investigators to the suspect's vehicle, then to him. Jeffrey Bernard Morris and the long arm of the law have crossed paths plenty in the past. Oh, they've crossed paths plenty in the past. The long arm of the law got Jeffrey Bernard Morris. They had reached out and touched him. Morris is a convicted sex offender. Some of the other crimes on his rap sheet? Well, in 1989, a criminal sexual conduct charge in the third degree. Is that so? Morris pled guilty to misdemeanor domestic violence in 2009. Oh, my goodness. And in 2010, Morris failed to register as a sex offender. Oh, my. A domestic violence second conviction out of 51st District Court. White Lake Township police detectives worried about Morris's previous behavior and the public safety ask that he remain in the custody of the Oakland County Sheriff's Office. Court is satisfied that there should not be a bond in this matter. The court is going to deny bond. Okay, so that was that awful opening. I almost turned it off after this. Like, I thought, what could this... It's like a nine and a half minute segment that Court TV posted. 
I'm like, okay, do I really have to sit through another seven and a half minutes of this horrible woman? It was really, really bad. Like, I I laughed at first, but then it it started to get on my nerves. I I was waiting for her to tone it down and get serious, but it just, I'm like, I don't think I can sit through this anymore. It's even preparing it for radio, I just don't think I can sit through it. And then it got better. Then they, they dropped the terrible announcer, and then they were doing more standard reporting, and some interesting things came out. So I'm now going to play the, the more serious part, and, and we'll discuss what's coming out in this video. And then I have a second video to play for you, and by the, the end of those two, I think we'll have a good picture of what's going on. Gruesome, gruesome killing, but now we learn a lot more about that suspect. Let's bring in Court TV anchor uh, Julie Grant. And Julie, I know you've been digging into this story for us. Um, So I'm trying to figure out how these two meet. Do we have any idea how this professional poker player who's back home in Michigan would meet this uh, registered or supposed to be registered sex offender? Exactly. And Vinny, right now, tonight, I believe investigators are trying to work to answer that very question. The little bit they know is that they know that Jeffrey Morris and Susie Zhao met the night before her body was found at the park. They met at that motel. But today at a press conference, the lieutenant uh, giving the conference um, was asked whether or not the relationship went Prior to that, prior to that night, that's still a question they're trying to answer. I want to take a listen together to the detective's response when a reporter asked him about how long the defendant and the victim might have known each other. Let me stop for a second. So what happened, what came out, and this already started to make people wonder, was that it turned out she met up with Jeffrey Bernard Morris at a motel. The reason for the meetup is not known yet or at least if it's known, it's not being revealed. But she met up with him voluntarily at a hotel or a motel. And then he ended up likely killing her. So they're, they're going to play from a press conference what the police had to say about this. We can't establish any direct relationship between the two of them prior to last month. Prior to last month? Yeah. We're still reviewing all kinds of data. Um, I'm not going to comment whether we have that information at this time or not. I mean, it's an ongoing situation, and we're still reviewing a lot of information that we received on search warrants. We're trying to understand what brought these two together. Uh, I, I understand that, um, and we're, we're piecing that together at this time also. But he's transient, and she's here. She wasn't sent. Was she living at that motel? Off and on? She was staying there. It appears that she stayed there quite frequently. Um, Mr. Morris, there's reason to believe that he lived with several different people in the Pontiac area uh, prior to this incident. It's our understanding that uh, he was out and about uh, homeless status at the time this crime occurred. Okay, so that's true. Both things that he said there. First of all, uh, Jeffrey Bernard Morris was bouncing around from place to place. There was one couple that said he talked them into letting him stay with them, and then they booted him out because they said he got violent. They didn't explain what they meant by that, but they decided they were scared of him and that he was violent, and they threw him out. And apparently the guy was really bad, really bad guy. So he was bouncing around from place to place. The the couple who took him in, they didn't really know him. I don't know how they got to know him, but 
they felt sorry for him and took him in. He probably gave a sob story about how down he was on his luck and seemed really nice at first. And then they brought him in and he showed his true colors. So he, he bounced around from place to place. And, uh, the cop is saying here that at the time the murder occurred, that he was homeless. Regarding Susie, she was going to this motel often, according to police. Uh, this was only two miles away from where her mom lives, as you'll hear in another video. So one would ask, why is she staying in a motel fairly often if her mom's house is two miles down the street? Think about it. If you were to go stay with your mom or live with your mom, uh, what would be the occasions to go to a motel down the street? And what would be the occasions to go there frequently? And this was not a nice motel. It's not like they're taking a staycation at, at the Ritz-Carlton. This is a, a sleazy motel. So wh- why would you stay there if your mom's house is two miles away? And she she was not visiting the area either. She was living with her mom there, but then also staying at the motel. So this, of course, raises more questions. And we will talk a bit more about this as we hear the rest of this video and the other one I'm going to play to you. So the big question there is, why was Susie Zhao frequenting that motel? We know that she has family in the Detroit area, grew up in that area, and moved back to be with her family after things didn't work out for her financially, as we understand it, in Los Angeles, where she was living. And, uh, Vinny, that is one piece of the puzzle investigators are still looking into, really the motivation behind why she would up and move. Okay, so notice what they said there, but it didn't work out with her financially in Los Angeles. It didn't work out for her financially in Los Angeles. And that's kind of what I had assumed once I thought, you know what? Maybe this wasn't her moving back because of COVID-19. And the reason I thought it wasn't is because it's always been kind of up in the air what's happening with COVID-19 and the card rooms here. It's not like you can look and say, oh, it's going to be closed for the next several months. It was it was kind of unclear whether they're going to stay closed a long time. And Susie being only 33 years old probably wasn't super fearful of COVID. So you would think she would go back and return to play when she could if it was just a matter of the card rooms being closed because of COVID. So I thought if – I started to think more – you know, I bet she went back home because she went broke. And I've known other poker pros who have done that, young, especially younger ones in their 20s, early 30s, that uh, the poker thing doesn't work out for them, at least for the moment, where they, they go broke and they can't even afford rent anymore and they don't have a bankroll to play and they just kind of go back home – to regroup with their parents. They go back to something familiar. I've known a number who have done that. So that's kind of what I assumed happened, but this confirms it right here. She, this reporter doesn't say how she got the information, but presumably they were told uh, by the police that she came back to Michigan because she was broke. So that looks pretty likely to me. And then why she was frequenting that motel, and then, of course, why she had any contact with Jeffrey Morris. All right, which leads to my next why question, which is, Mm -hmm. do we have any idea why he may have killed her? Oh, that's such a good one. Right now, they they don't know. Investigators were asked about this. Lieutenant, we just heard speaking, was asked about this today. Motive tonight still remains a mystery. And we know just the way her body was found. I mean, this was quite egregious, quite a violent crime. And we know that this defendant does have a violent criminal history. Um, a history of sexually assaultive behavior and other crimes of violence, domestic violence. And so at this point, I think they're looking at all of those angles, but nothing definitive yet, Vinny, in terms of motive. 
Okay. And at the press conference, the investigator was also asked about uh, Susie Zhao and, and what type of person she was. Let's take a listen to his answer. You know, we, we get to know Susie based on our investigation. And, um, you know, what we find isn't always uh, pretty. So uh, we get to know that person throughout the course of the investigation. But Let me stop that right there. That's a very big statement. He didn't give details. That's a very big statement. If that didn't apply to Susie, if he was just speaking in general, he wouldn't be saying that regarding this case. He wouldn't be implying something. If, if her life was pristine or close to pristine or even just kind of normal and average, you wouldn't say, well, when we look into someone, we'll, we'll find uh, we'll find everybody has secrets, everybody has skeletons. You, you don't say that unless you have reason to see it. If, if you do not believe you're going to find that, you'll say – no, we haven't seen anything unusual about her lifestyle yet, but we're still investigating. That's, that's the answer you give at that point. If you have found some things that are not uh, very flattering about her and that she probably would not have wanted people to know, but you're not ready to reveal it yet because you're trying to figure out what is relevant to this case and what isn't, and you don't want to kick the dead while after they're down, you want to only release the relevant facts of the case, uh, you say something like this. So let me play the rest of his statement. I, I think what he says and what he doesn't say actually says a lot. But I think you'd be better to talk to her family if, if they're willing to or her friends to find out who she was to them. So that's saying there could be you know some things in her past that people may not have known about that will come out in... Well, I mean, let's face it, everybody has friends that, and there's things that uh, people don't know about every one of us, so I, I'm sure that that's probably the case, but we're, we're trying to tie that up in the follow-up investigation. Yeah, so that's something that uh, you don't hear about with every murder victim. How often do you hear that when a, a typical woman is, is murdered by some dude? How often do you hear that sort of statement that everyone has skeletons and everyone's got things they're ashamed of, blah, blah, blah. Like you, you don't hear that unless there is something there. So clearly they found something. Clearly the police found some things about her life that uh, were not very pleasant and that she was probably making some mistakes, so to speak. So you combine that and the fact that she's going to these motels often or this one particular motel fairly often while living with her mom two miles away and that she came back because she was broke and she met up with this weirdo, the 60-year-old weirdo who ended up killing her, you start to get some ideas of what might have been happening there. So I'll play the remainder of this video. It's about three more minutes. You know, what we've heard from friends is that, you know, she didn't have enemies and she was very likable, big personality, all of that we've heard. And sort of a you know free spirit going out there and saying, hey, I'm going to be a professional poker player. We've got to connect these dots, though, somehow. I mean, mm-hmm. how is it that they both end up at this motel? Right. This is very, very odd. Uh, what was she doing there? Why was she there? I mean, it seems to me just listening to that clip, the lieutenant was holding back a little bit. I mean, yeah, obviously, exactly. they're going to hold back. You know that, Vinny. And this is so early in this investigation. They're not going to show all their cards Um, no pun intended here in this case, but one question he was asked about was the card playing and whether her profession might have been something that could have led to this. And right now they're saying no signs point to that. 
uh, but they're not ruling it out. They're talking to a lot of people, and there was a question asked as to whether others could be involved. And the answer is they're looking at several other people, and tips keep coming in all the time with this one. This one has really shaken that community. I mean, you see this beautiful young woman with her whole life ahead of her and murdered in such a horrible way, um, found in such a horrible way. And it's just, it's quite a head scratcher as to what she was doing with this transient man at that motel. Why were they both there? Um, why would she frequent it? Why wasn't she with her family? And uh, hopefully as the days go on, we'll have more answers to those questions, Vinny. Yeah, you're, you're going to need them because the, the jury's going to need them as well. I mean, if this thing ends up being a, a murder trial, you're going to need to explain it and uh, have the jury be able to make some sense of this, you know, and, and sense right. in, a, in a criminal way. Like, what is this? What is the story? How does a convicted sex offender meet this poker player who has come back home uh, to spend time, I guess, with family and friends? And while she's back home. She's frequenting this motel and interacts with mm-hmm. someone. Like, it just seems like they're in different worlds. But- yeah, see, this is kind of like an elephant in the room situation. Like, like they know what they're thinking. You guys know what you're thinking. I know what I'm thinking. Okay, so everybody's kind of dancing around it and just keep repeating over and over. Hmm, why would they be getting together like that? Why, why would this be happening? What's, what, what's the possible reason they would get together? How would they know each other? Why, why would she go meet this guy? They're in two different worlds. Why, why would they go hang out together in a motel. Why is she going to a motel so often instead of being with her family? Like, it's, I think everybody has ideas about what was happening there. And these ideas are very likely to be correct. But, but maybe they right. weren't in different worlds. Maybe it's some, somehow those worlds came together. And, um, yeah, I think you're right though. It seemed like he knew a little bit more than he wanted to share. Mm-hmm. Right. And we do know that folks at that motel knew her. They knew her. So you could imagine they're questioning everybody there who's working at the motel who may have seen her on previous occasions or perhaps may have seen Jeffrey Morris on other occasions. Who knows if he uh, was a regular there? I don't know. But uh, no doubt they have a lot of witnesses there who need questioned and probably are being questioned. Uh, All right. I've heard enough of that video. It's, it's almost over. I played you the relevant part. So that's the first video. So after that awful first two minutes, it actually was somewhat interesting. Like it had some comments from the detective and they they had some decent commentary on it. So it got better. They've got to eliminate the first two minutes or get a different announcer. That was just awful. Okay. I'm going to play another video now, which does not have a terrible announcer, which is kind of too bad because I like making fun of it. But okay. Here is the other video, which gives us more information. And no, it's not just more of the same. Some of the information is repeated, but... We get some new stuff. Good to have you with us for Local 4 News at 6. Tonight, the Local 4 defenders are revealing a lot more about the... By the way, this is for uh, a Detroit station, Channel 4. So this is a, a major TV station now, not just court TV. Local murder case that has made national headlines. The burned remains of pro poker player Susie Zhao were found July 13th at Mace Day in Crossroads. July 31st, her suspected killer was caught near Belleville. Defender Sean Lay is live now where the two met, a hotel in Waterford. Uh, Sean, we should let people know the details that you are finding are disturbing. 
Absolutely. We also want to talk about Susie Zhao at this point. Her family says she had an incredible memory. She was a graduate of Cranbrook and Northwestern, turning that into a very successful pro poker career. We're told by sources she was alive when she was set on fire. A man has been caught in this case. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's hang on here. It's not so simple. She was alive when she was set on fire. Well, that's awful. That is really, really bad. That's really, I'm like, if you just think about that, that's just really terrible. I was hoping, in fact, the original report was that she was not alive when set on fire, which made me feel a little bit better that maybe she was killed uh, much less painfully than that. But imagine being set on fire while alive, and that's how you die. I mean, that's just a, an absolute nightmare. And you have to be a really, really evil person to do something like that. The question remains why she met him at this Waterford motel. Known as Susie Q on the professional poker circuit. Quick bet by Susie. How did 33-year-old Susie Zhao cross paths with a 60-year-old drifter named Jeffrey Morris? Morris is accused of murdering Zhao, setting her on fire. What's the motive for this? We're still actively trying to put that together in the investigation. This is the um, uh, same cop again. Trying to determine whether Susie knew this individual uh, prior to the date of her death and how long that uh, that uh, interaction took place. The defenders have learned they both met at the Sherwood Motel in Waterford, two miles from Zhao's mother's home. The motel owner says Zhao checked in on July 9th. She checked out on the 11th, and then Morris checked into the very same room July 12th. The next day, Zhao's remains were found. Wow. Okay. So that's that's pretty big. That's a pretty big detail. The other video did not cover that. So she checked into the motel July 9th. Remember, her remains were found on July 13th. So she was uh, murdered sometime between when she checked out on July 11th, two days later, and July 13th when her body was found. So the murder occurred sometime in those two days. Jeffrey Morris then checked into her exact same room the following day on July 12th. Now, I don't know what happened overnight on July 11th, but he checked into that exact same room. It was not said whether he requested that same room, but I'm guessing he might have. Now, maybe the motel was full, and that's what was open at that point, but it's also possible he requested that room. I've actually done this, uh, not because I was killing anybody, but uh, I've done this before at the Rio when, uh, you know, to get, let's say I have a buddy coming in who has some comps, and I've been staying for a while on my own comps, or, or even not on my own comps. I, I've been staying at the Rio for several days to play the World Series of Poker. And uh, I've got a buddy coming in who has some free nights that he's willing to give me at the Rio in his name. So I have two choices. I can either check out of my room and check into the free room he gets me and then uh, check out of that and go back to my own room that I get after that's over, or... I can pull shenanigans and stay in the same room. So, of course, the latter is much more appealing. I don't have to pack and unpack and pointlessly move rooms. So the way I do it, and I'm glad to say this because I'm not doing anything wrong, uh, what I do is that uh, when the end of my stay is coming, uh, I go downstairs with this uh, person who's checking me in, and they say that uh, they want the same room I had because they like my room, and I'm checking out. And then they take over my room. And then when uh, it's time for their reservation to end and me start my own reservation again, we do the reverse. I come back and say, I want to take back over that room because I like it. And that's completely fine. And uh, 
Yeah, they they do it. I've never been turned down. There's no reason they should turn me down. But I specifically request to stay in the same room as the previous guest, and he requested to be the same room as I had been in when I was the previous guest. And that's just to keep us in the same room. Now, I don't know why they were doing this here and what happened in that day in between. Remember, she checked out July 11th, probably around 11 a.m., 12 p.m., and then he checked in sometime in the afternoon on July 12th, presumably. So what happened in that more than 24-hour period? Uh, was that when he killed her? Um, is it possible he checked in the room while she was still with him and he killed her on the night of the 12th? Uh, these details are still coming out. If I had to guess, I would say that uh, he probably did kill her on the 11th uh, and then uh, was afraid that... Uh, I think he didn't kill her in the motel, but I think he was afraid that uh, something in the motel would give away that he had been there. So picture this. They they stay together at some point between the 9th and the 11th. Uh, sometime, uh, I, I guess it's possible. No, no, he couldn't have killed her. So sometime after that, they're hanging out and he kills her. Remember, she checked out July 11th. So presumably... I mean, I guess it's possible she could have checked out without being alive. I guess it's possible he could have checked out for her and just called up and said we were checking out here and uh, pretend to be her husband or something. But we, we I'm just guessing that's possible. I think it's likely that she physically checked out on the 11th and, and the owner saw her. So I think she was still alive when she checked out on the 11th. And then probably sometime after that, he killed her. And then sometime over the next day, he thought to himself, crap, crap. There may be evidence in that room that we were together. Maybe my fingerprints are there. So maybe he checked back in the next day to wipe it down. Even if the crime didn't occur in that room, he probably didn't want any record that he was ever with her and was afraid that they'd go back and check the room and find his prints. That's my guess. That's what that's what I think will come out, that she was already dead when he checked in there on the 12th. Otherwise, why do that? Why, why go, back, go back and ask for the same room uh, the next day with that one day in between? That, that is my theory here. But let's listen to what the owner of the motel had to say about this. The motel owner never saw Zhao and Morris together. You had said that she was really soft and kind. She's very soft and kind and not, she had nothing to do with any other people here. Poker playing, that was her profession. Did that play a role in any of this? Uh, preliminary investigation doesn't show that that may had anything to do with with this at this time. Sources say Morris's number was in Zhao's phone. Police tracked him to Belleville and arrested him. Is he cooperating and saying anything to you guys? Did he admit to it? We uh, attempted to talk to him a second time and uh, he refused to talk to us at that time. 24 days of non-stop investigation for White Lake Township Police. Lieutenant Christopher Hild able to tell Zhao's mother that an arrest has been made. Her reaction was what? Very thankful. Emotional, thankful. Let's now talk about the suspect in the case who's now charged, Jeffrey Morris, being held right now without bond. He is a convicted sex offender. Investigators would not say if sexual assault is part of their investigation. Live in Waterford tonight, Sean Lay, Local Fort Defenders. Yeah, really disturbing. Okay, Sean, thanks. Okay, so that's the, that's the two clips. I think we've learned a lot already. So let's review. She had his number in her phone. That helped fi- That helped the police find him, by the way. She voluntarily met up with him at this motel where she checked in on July 9th and stayed for two nights. He checked into the same room. We're not sure if he asked for it, but he checked into the same room, presumably asked for it the following day after she checked out. 
it was said that she was alive when burned, which I, I hope isn't true. I hope that was a mistake. But if it is true, I feel really, really bad for her because that's just an awful way to go. I think it all fits together pretty well. We don't know all the details, but let's look at this honestly. Susie came back to Michigan to where her mom lives because she ran out of money in L.A. as a poker bro. She kept going to a motel and the staff there knew her pretty well because she came that often, even though the motel was only two miles away from where her mom lived. So there's no reason to have to stay there overnight just for a roof over her head. She met up voluntarily with Jeffrey Morris and had his number in her phone. And she presumably spent time with him at the motel, which she checked into on the 9th and checked out on the 11th. And then he checked into a day later on the 12th and she was found dead on the 13th, possibly having been killed over the past 48 hours prior to that. He was not involved with poker from what anyone can tell, including the police. He was uh, a transient, though he did have a car. So, clearly, something weird was going on. And she was not going to meet up with him there because they were friends or because they they were going to watch a ball game together or because uh, they're going to sit around discussing philosophy. They were meeting at that motel for a reason which, to say the least, wasn't very wholesome. And there's really two possibilities, and it's possible that either of these could be the case. And I won't name the possibilities, just to not be disrespectful until the actual facts come out. Because just just in case I'm wrong here, I, I don't want to say something definitively or semi-definitively and then have it not be true. But I'm sure you can figure out there's two things that would come to mind of why she would meet someone like this at this motel and spend time with them. And neither of them are very good reasons. So it's too bad. And it's a tragic story. She definitely didn't deserve this, no matter what reason she was meeting him there. She didn't deserve this to happen to her. This was a case of uh, associating with the wrong people, associating with a bad element because you get into bad things yourself, probably not evil things yourself. What the stuff she was doing was victimless in all likelihood, but nevertheless, she got involved in things that often pair you up with bad people. And that's what happened. She, got paired up with a bad person. There's no doubt about that. And didn't know how bad he was. And from that couple that said that they had to kick him out, but that they let him stay with them initially because he seemed like he needed help and that uh, he seemed like an okay guy down on his luck, he probably had the ability to come off as non-threatening and nice. And then you'd see his true color. So I, I have a feeling when she met up with him that he seemed very non-threatening and she just thought he's a, an older guy and uh, no real danger. And she didn't know the dark side of him. And I don't know what led to murder here. And it, by the way, it's possible that Jeffrey Morris has other victims. It just hasn't, he hasn't been caught yet. Sometimes 
when they're caught, it's not the first time, but it's possible it was. It's possible that uh, something happened and an argument started or she got him angry in some way and he went crazy and and killed her. But if, if the reports are true that he tied her up and took her to that location and burned her there, I mean, that's just incredible rage. And it would require him to actually drive her over somewhere and have time to change his mind. So it's not just rage, it's rage that stays as he drives her to this other location. So something just enraged him to where he did this just awful, awful thing. So this is the type of person I like to see get the death penalty, by the way. This is when they talk about abolishing the death penalty, it's it's cases like these where I say it should be there. That that would be an appropriate punishment. Death would be an appropriate punishment for Jeffrey Morris if he really did what they're saying he did. I think it's very likely he is guilty. And if he really not only killed her, but burned her alive, tied her up and burned her alive, I mean, that he, of course he deserves the death penalty. This guy deserves to be burned alive himself if that's the case. It's a very sad story, and uh, I, I don't want anyone to feel that I am taking away from that when I'm discussing what may have put her in that position. Someone on my forum remarked that the title of professional poker player is depressing to read, not just for her, but for most people, because as this person said, for 98% of the people, it's not really true. It means that uh, they're going down a bad path. And for about 2%, it means that it really is true. And that's how they're supporting themselves. And and it's stable. And I don't know if those 98%, 2% numbers are correct, but there are a lot of professional poker players who are headed for bad things, including just being busto, even if nothing bad happens to them physically, but they're just headed to financial ruin. Uh, It does not require any vetting. There's no process. Nobody has to grant you the title of professional poker player. If you just say, I'm a professional poker player, you are one. If you try to support yourself playing poker, or if you are supporting yourself for the very short term, or even if you're attempting to but failing, you're a professional poker player. What shows when someone really is a stable professional poker player is when they consistently make money and they consistently make wise decisions with that money. And those that don't can still be poker pros, of course, but they are headed for a very difficult life. And it is very, very difficult to maintain any kind of stable or happy life being a professional poker player who does not have financial responsibility. You can't maintain a family. It's hard to maintain friendships. You end up borrowing from a lot of people and not paying them back, even if you intend to. You just assume the next winning streak, you'll do it, and that sometimes never comes, and you get further in the hole. There's so many different ways that professional poker players without financial responsibility go down a very bad path. Sometimes these professional poker players resort to scamming to keep in action. Sometimes they are winning, but then they lose all their money through other forms of gambling or drugs. So there's a lot of different hurdles that a professional poker player must successfully jump over aside from winning at the tables. That's just one part of it. Now, there's some who have the responsibility and just aren't good enough at poker. 
sometimes the skill which makes you a good professional poker player at the table makes you bad at everything else in life. Why? Because sometimes being successful in poker means being risk-averse. Sometimes it means uh, playing by feel. Sometimes it means not always thinking about what the money means to you. That can sometimes make you a better player. The problem is you can't just walk away from the table and turn that off in most cases. If, the, if that is you naturally, then it is hard to make that not you when you're away from the table. And on the other side, if that's not you, if you're financially responsible, it's hard to go to the table and forget about what money means to you. So that's why a lot of times with very good poker players, they have no ability to manage money no matter how hard they try. Stewie Unger was a great example of this, if you know anything about poker history. With women, they have the additional temptation that men don't have. Men, if they go bust, it's pretty hard for them to get women to support them. It's happened before. We, we discussed this on a recent show. Like, Yes, a man can sometimes find a woman to support his poker habit, especially if uh, the guy is young and good-looking or if he's just a really smooth talker. But for most guys, if you go bust, you're not going to find a woman to bail you out. And for women, there are ways they can make money which can get them back in action that don't involve borrowing. Or in some cases, they do involve borrowing. And they borrow... I don't think that's what happened with Jeffrey Morris. I don't think that has to do with poker. But women have this additional temptation to do some things for money that men typically can't do. And then that's an additional destructive thing that can happen. Now, men would do it if they had the option, but most men don't. Most men don't have a way to get money that way. So women who are professional poker players have to avoid that hurdle as well. There's a lot of different pitfalls one can have as a professional poker player, and you must know that before you attempt this for yourself. Let me move on here. I'm going to call up Robert Goldfarb in a second, and we're going to talk about the life and unfortunate passing of poker player Robert Gray. Robert Gray finished second in the Stud Aider Better event in the 2019 World Series of Poker. He finished second to Michael Mizraki. Robert Gray was well-liked within poker. He was 56 years old, and he passed away, I believe, yesterday from the coronavirus at the age of 56. So that's just very tragic and it happened very quickly. It happened within a week, according to the friend of his that uh, alerted me to this. So a listener put me in contact with Robert Goldfarb, who was good friends with Robert Gray, and said that uh, maybe Robert Goldfarb would like to come on the show and talk about his now deceased friend and and what he went through and basically help everyone become aware that the coronavirus can hit anyone. It can hit them very quickly and that you can be gone a lot faster than you think and that your present health doesn't always matter very much. If you're already sick, then yes, you're in more danger. But if you're healthy and you're not really old, that doesn't mean you're not going to end up dying from getting COVID-19. The odds are that you will not die, but the odds are not tiny that you will die. They're something you should always keep in mind if you're over 45. And when I hear stories like this and I hear the story about what happened to the guy I knew from Facebook that was 50 that I talked about last week, 
uh, it, it gives me pause and I say, wow, I'm, I'm happy I'm being this cautious because I really don't want to get it. So we're going to call up uh, Robert Goldfarb and we're going to discuss what happened to his friend uh, Robert Gray and we will get the story here. And I, I don't like reporting things like this. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate that the first two stories on this show are about death of a poker player in very different fashion, of course, but don't like to ever do the stories about people in poker dying. But nevertheless, that's what happened in recent times. Hello. Robert Goldfarb, welcome to Poker for Other Radio. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you're welcome. I don't think we've ever met before, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we've played poker over the years. Oh, we've, but, you know, we've never, we've never really uh, exchanged anything other than pleasant, pleasantries at the table. So, so where have we played before? Oh, I mean, just the World Series. Oh, the World Series, okay. The World Series. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It seems like at the World Series, like I've been there so long, I run into everybody eventually. So, all right. Indeed. Anyway, um, I'm calling, I wish I was calling you under uh, better circumstances. Uh, I'm sure this is a, yeah. a, a tough time for you. I know that uh, Robert Gray was was a friend of yours, and that's uh, when this happens, especially so quickly, it's it's got to be tough. So can you let us know, run down what, what occurred here for the listeners? Well, I mean, to the best that I can put it together, um, back on the 23rd of July, I met with Robert. We had a mutual friend in town, so we kind of met uh, over at Caesars for, uh, you know, just to hang out, have a meal, that kind of stuff. And um, just just hung out, did you know, what friends do, ate and gambled a little bit and whatnot. And then uh, I saw him... On Saturday the 26th, I think it was yeah, Saturday the 26th, just briefly, we, we, uh, our friend who was in town was uh, staying at Paris, so we visited with him over there for a short while. And then on Sunday, he, he kind of started feeling ill. He, you know, he told us you know, via text and phone calls that he wasn't feeling great. Uh, and kind of the same thing happened on Monday, the following Monday, which is you know, a week ago Monday. But he said, and then he kind of said he was, you know, feeling a little better. His uh, his appetite wasn't back. Um, you know, he's feeling a little bit off. Just kind of chills, aches, that kind of stuff. General complaints, kind of flu-like symptoms, but he wasn't having any breathing trouble or anything like that. Um, I had sent him a link to get tested because you never know. It's, it's you know, within a you know, try to have an abundance of caution as the, the phrase is these days. He's you know he's he was fifty six. He had some. Uh, you know, just a few of the you know, minor symptoms. I, I just thought it might be prudent at least to, to at least maybe schedule one because I don't know what the, uh, you know, what the lines are like or what the procedure is. And he 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 texted me back on Friday. This was this last Friday, and said that he he tried to get tested, and he wasn't able to, and he was able to get an appointment, and he went to get tested, and the line was just crazy. And he basically turned around and left. Now, where uh, where is where is this? What city? In Las Vegas. In Las Vegas. Okay. He has a home in Henderson. Have a home in Henderson. He got kind of, I guess, got turned away or got frustrated and left with the process. And I went back home, and he, he was uh, still feeling okay, but but figured he, you know, it, it was probably a smart idea just to kind of get a handle on what's happening. And. Um, then this Tuesday, this couple days ago, he was able to get a test. Um, and I had asked him when he was going to get the results. They said three or four days. But basically, there's, 
really nothing they can do uh, for him, that he should just stay at home until he gets the results and see what happens. And if he had any uh, severe breathing difficulties, to go to the ER. So that's what he did. And um, uh, yesterday I, uh, I texted him and I asked him, you know, how he was feeling and whatnot. He, and he didn't reply. This is around one o'clock yesterday afternoon. And at around uh, nine o'clock, nine thirty or so, uh, a mutual friend of ours went to check on him and found him deceased. Wow. Have they determined what happened there? Because this is, this is an unusual case where someone goes from only having what seems like moderate breathing problems to where they're not even going to the ER to being uh, deceased within a day. Uh, usually it's, uh, it's when the breathing problems start, it gets slowly worse. And then they, uh, you, usually you've got another, uh, at least week or so, sometimes two weeks, sometimes more before uh, dying. If that's what is destined to happen to you, uh, the, the same day for this to occur was, it was surprising. Was there any theories, you know, of that they had as to what occurred there? Well, I mean, he, he, he passed away sometime yesterday. I mean, I, I texted him, um, around one yesterday and he didn't, he didn't respond. Yeah. Um, so, I, and the, the night before Tuesday night, I texted him at around 8 PM and I did get a, you know, I did get a reply. Um, so sometime between 8 PM and I, I think, you know, maybe noon one o'clock, it, it might've been when he passed away. Uh, you know, it could have been after that. He just, decided not to reply, but it would be very unusual for him. I would at least get a, you know, a, a two word reply or something. Yeah. Do, do you, uh, uh, was he the type who would go to the ER if he felt that, uh, things were getting worse or was he one to be kind of resistant to that? Well, I mean, he wasn't necessarily the greatest advocate for himself because he was quite easily frustrated, uh, with the process. Uh, but, he did say that if, you know, if his breathing got worse, he would go to the ER. You know, he, you know, he's, he was, he was definitely, uh, you know, full of life and wanted to live and, and, and wanted to take care of himself. Um, but he, you know, he was, he was just kind of quick to get frustrated, but I believe he would definitely have gone to the ER if he felt that, uh, that he was having labored breathing. Yeah. That's what's so strange about that story. Aside from the, the, the tragic, situation of the whole thing the, the thing that has been very surprising to me has been how quickly it happened i have heard with uh, the coronavirus that this, this is not what happens to most people but that some people who pass away from it are it's not from uh the inability to breathe if for some people that uh, it brings on heart attacks or strokes so I, I did think sure. that, that was perhaps yeah. A, yeah, well, what happened to him, and uh, that would explain why I mean, he never had time to go to the yeah, ER. Well, yeah, I'm obviously curious about that, too. I mean, it's obviously it's, it's too late to do anything about it, but it, it's for other people, I'm hoping that, uh, that it's a bit of a wake-up call. Um, I, I uh, you know, he, he didn't really have any underlying health conditions. He, he had gained some weight over the last couple of years, um, but he, he, his brother had, uh, um, some heart issues maybe a couple of years ago. So he was very aware of that. And I know that he, he, he made sure that he, he got, he got a checkup at some point and he wasn't on any, any high blood pressure medicine or any, anything like that. 
Mm. So as far as I know, he didn't have any, any really, um, you know, strong health issues. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's too bad. Uh, now you said he lives in Las Vegas, uh, lived in Las Vegas. Uh, Was he visiting the casinos over the last month or so? You know, he had started to a bit, um, but you know, it wasn't a, a daily thing. I mean, in the past, it might have been, you know, maybe three or four times a week. You know, a typical uh, Las Vegan who who gambles. Um, but he he had a few times. I, I I really think. I mean, and obviously, I have no way to know this, but it might have been that that visit at the end of July to to you know Caesars or Paris because that was the the the, the longest duration that I, that I was aware of. Yeah. Um, he was, he was, he was, he, he was aggravated by masks. He, he wore them begrudgingly. He wasn't like a big fan of it, but uh, you know, like we, we still don't know how this virus works. So it's hard to know how he, it may have been transmitted to him. Well, I, I can say this, that with masks, they protect other people from you. But they don't protect you from right. it. So, so his, whether he wore a mask or not, which you told me he wore anyway. But even if he didn't, that didn't make him more vulnerable. That just would have made others more vulnerable to getting it from him. But you said he wore it anyway. So, uh, I think the casino probably is, unfortunately, the uh, the biggest suspect here. I have uh, a, a personal friend who uh, decided to go play blackjack and count cards. In, and this is someone who doesn't live in Vegas. This is someone who lives in California that went there and said, this is great. I can play at places that have banned me for card counting because they won't be able to see my face. I'll wear a big mask covering my face and perfect time to do that. Right. And uh, also they're so distracted with everything else there, it's hard for them to keep track of people who are raising and lowering their bets based upon the count. So this person went there. They made money. They were very proud of themselves until they found they caught COVID. While they were, that It was definitely from there that the timing was perfect. When they came back home, they uh, they – Right around the time you'd expect, started to feel lousy. I took a test. Turned out they had it. Then they, their kid ended up, young kid ended up catching it, and then wife ended up catching it. Fortunately for uh, this family, nobody got it very badly, so it looked like they mm-hmm. got off easily. But uh, you never know. You never know if it's going to be like that for you, or if it's going to be like like what happened to uh, Mr. Gray here. So that's uh, sure. that's that's why people should be. Very careful, and uh, my, I don't know, you can tell me how you feel about this, but my opinion now from what they've learned so far about COVID-19 is that the greatest danger by a wide margin is being indoors where an air conditioner is running. And that's that's what really, really terrifies me as far as COVID-19. So I, I, I personally just do as much as I can to not ever be indoors other than in my own house and uh yeah i have a i have a friend uh richie who has been repeating that over and over and over to me that sustained uh contact in a in a place with recirculated air is where you're going to be most vulnerable yeah and that's uh um i i don't know how old you are i'm 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 not that much younger than than uh than robert gray was I'm, i'm eight years younger than him so yeah, roughly the same boat. He is a little bit higher risk by age, but yeah, I see cases like that. I see people my age that die or get it very badly. Not all of them do, but uh, you know, some of them 
get it mildly. Some of them, a lot of them in between where it's a very bad experience and they may have lung damage, but they're not going to die. But uh, it's something I just really, really want to avoid. And uh, I recommend everybody else does. And uh, it's it's really too bad when it cuts people's lives short like this. You know, when you're 56 years old, you don't really expect you're going to be dying soon. You expect you're going to, you've got uh, yeah. a lot of years ahead of you. Yeah, Robert had had a lot of lot of lot of gas left in the tank. He he he. There's no reason he could not have lived a happy, productive life for twenty five, thirty more years. I mean, his his parents both uh, were octogenarians. He he, you know, he he was athletic when he was younger. He, there's just no reason why. You know, it's just it's it's completely senseless, and it's uh, unfortunately uh, preventable. That's one of the biggest. Uh, heartbreaks about this yeah so i hope i hope people listen to this segment and uh especially people around that age group or even if you're around my age group a little bit younger but still roughly around there uh that this is a very serious matter you never know what's going to happen to you you may get off lucky you may not you may be somewhere in between uh the i I saw you posted on facebook something which is true that the best thing to do is just to not get it yeah i was i was actually going to say that that yeah the uh best way to not die from it is to not get it and yeah. and you don't have to get it you can i mean you can not get it it's up to you to not get it yeah and it's not, it's not going to be a hundred percent like it's not like uh um certain things where you, there's certain ways you can avoid catching certain things by just totally not engaging certain behaviors but this is with covid there are some ways you can still get it even if you're super careful but you can dramatically lower your chances to get it by engaging in the behavior which appears to be most responsible for it and and by constantly following the news on it and that's why I try to put out on the show each week the, whatever the current news is so people can understand constantly following the news on it and, and using your best judgment of what's going to put you most at risk and 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 what's going to put you at very little risk and 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 try to adjust your life to that and and that's it just it's very sad, and it's strange to think about. I, you know, some people say, "Oh, they don't know anybody in their lives who were really affected by COVID." I, I know a lot of people because of being in poker and the, the wide group of people that I have access sure. to, even ones I don't know very well. Like I, I didn't know Robert Gray, but uh, someone who listens to my show did and told me about him. And then uh, now I have you on here who knew him very well. So, uh, so I get to hear about this where otherwise, if I wasn't in poker, it, I, this wouldn't mean much to me. Uh, it would just be another statistic of, of another person who died from it in their 50s. But what, but even someone I didn't know personally, I know they're in the poker community. I, I see the reports. He played in the same World Series as me. I didn't play that event, but um, I actually would have played that event this year if, if, it, if it ran. But uh, um, so, right. so if we, he could have been at my table if this if this all didn't happen. But uh, I, I, I play a lot of events at the World Series, and uh, that's it, you have to think about a poker player who's not that much older than me that everything was fine one day and now he now he's gone that's it's very sad yeah. uh let me ask about from last year uh what did he say about his second place finish was he just proud to have gotten that far was it very disappointing to uh to, to lose to Mizraki at the end or was it there's different ways people see these things when they get to second he, he was ecstatic i mean uh, the, the one overwhelming trait that he had is he was always happy. He was always just, I, I mean, anytime you ever talked to him, his response was always, you know, living the dream. And, and he, he, nobody loved it more than him, whether it was poker or anything that he, he, he poured his heart into. He was just, he was always all in. 
and always full steam ahead. And uh, he he took it in stride. I mean, you know, he was obviously disappointed. He 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 could taste the bracelet, um, but you know, he was. It lasted for about twenty seconds. He was like, "Wow, I can't believe I did this." And he he was very happy, and I was very proud of him. And uh, it's really a shame. Um, I, I wanted to make one point about what we uh, what we were just talking to a friend who responded to uh, the post on Facebook made a comment that, well, a lot of people, people die from a lot of things. And this is just one of those things. And the, the uh, mortality rate is very small. And, and while that's true, none of those things are something that I can give to you. I mean, for the most part, or that you can give to me, those things are, you know, maybe it's a car accident, maybe it's heart disease, whatever it is these things that, that are, are out of your control. This is just, it, it strikes me as the one thing that, that we can give to each other that can kill us. And, and while the, the, the rate is low, it's, 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 these are needless deaths. Yeah, and it's and, it's, it's uh, low, but re- but realistic for for this age group. It's realistic for for twenty five. I admit that you're going to say, okay, I, I may not want to get it anyway, but the chance of me dying from this or getting something really serious, I know what happens, but it's so unlikely, I'm not going to worry about it. But but when you're over forty five, yeah. uh, it, right. it is there is a very realistic chance you're going to have permanent lung damage from it if you get it and, and have a hellish experience right. for a few weeks, uh, and, and then the lung damage the rest of your life, and then. And then there's a realistic, not high, but realistic chance that it can kill you or come very close to killing you. It's not such a long shot to where you absolutely say, "Okay, I don't have to worry about it." Like it's not, it's not like, for example, uh, getting on a, a a plane operated by a major airline and saying, "Well, you know, there are plane crashes, but it's it's so unlikely." Some of these flights go, and and such a high percentage of flights land safely. That I'm not going to worry about it. That's that's it's one thing to have that attitude. It, it's another thing with something like COVID, where the chance of something bad happening to you is something that is very realistic, especially something that causes permanent damage, even if it doesn't kill you. And then there's also right. the you could infect others who are more vulnerable than you, and that's something you also must consider, even if you aren't particularly afraid of uh, what's going to happen to you, or if you're young and and don't have to worry about it. So. Uh, I've, I've, yes, certainly if you're going to visit your grandparents, your 25 year old, you go visit your grandparents in the ER and they ask you to wear a mask, you're not going to have much, much, uh, resistance to, to grandchildren doing that to protect their, their grandparents. It's, I, I don't see this as, as much different than that. Yeah. You've just got to be, you've got to be careful yourself for other people and, and take it seriously. And there's, uh, there's a lot of people that are dying from this and a lot of people dying young. You, I've also heard, oh, it's, it's mostly old people. It's mostly old people in retirement homes, mostly you know, old people. There's so many different ways they die anyway. And that, that's all true. Like there's a, um, and also there's a matter of how many years it's cutting off the person's life. If, if, if someone who's 85 dies, you can say, well, how much longer would they have lived if they didn't have COVID? Maybe not that long, but, and probably not that long to, to be honest, but, uh, this is killing people also who still have a lot of years left, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s. And these people would have had decades left to live. And that's that's the worst part of this is that uh, a number of the people dying would be nowhere near death if this hadn't occurred. So, the, and, and as you said, it's, it's somewhat preventable. There's a lot you can do to uh, be careful for yourself. And I, I feel very bad for... Uh, for uh, 
Robert Gray there, and uh, and for his family, he said his parents are still alive. That's that's also very sad for parents to have to bury their child. I know as a parent, I would be very devastated by this, even if this was uh, you know 45 years from now. Even if my child lived to their 50s, you don't you're not you're not expecting that you're going to bury their child when they're in their 50s. You expect your child has a long way to live. I'm sure my parents expect that I'm going to be alive for a long time past now. They don't think I have eight years left. You know, like they, uh, they would expect that I'm going to be around for, for decades beyond this. So uh, everybody needs to consider this. And, and also one more thing, and I'm going to touch on this later in the show and then, then I'll let you go. I'll let you make any closing comments. And I'll let you go. But um, I believe personally that each area has its waves where it's bad and then it gets significantly better, not all better, but significantly better. We see that in New York. We see that in Sweden. We see that in Italy. We see a lot of places where there's got this one really bad period. And if you are living in a place that is going through its worst period, which a lot of states are right now. Some aren't. Some are. But if you're in a place that is, then you need to be especially careful. And any and if you're taking the attitude, look, I can't shut down forever. I can't hide forever. Don't hide forever. Then just give it a few months. Right. It, it'll improve. And Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hopefully, um, uh, policies and procedures and, and uh, treatments and who knows, maybe there'll be a vaccine uh, in, in short order, but you need to protect yourself so you can uh, survive until then. Yeah. Well, uh, um, I, I was going to ask you a question. What What is your reaction when people say that the cost of of, of prevention isn't worth it? Well, it depends what type of prevention. I, I am a believer that uh, you can't just shut down indefinitely until we have a, an effective vaccine that will create a right. lot of problems that uh, may even be worse than what the coronavirus is and has done to people. Uh, but I think there should be some responsible reopening everywhere. Uh, but number one, based upon what they're seeing in each local area and be willing to adjust it based upon if things get worse or, or better. And, and, uh, and second, uh, make something they've done a very poor job of, and I don't understand it. Something they've done a very poor job of at the government level, at all levels, state level, local level, federal level is informing people what their true risk is. You don't, you're not seeing the, the percentage of each age group of each, uh, possible preexisting condition. You're not seeing a chart where you can figure out for yourself what your risk is, and then make a responsible decision. Uh, but I think there should be the responsible reopening that's, that's kind of based on what's going on in whatever area it is. And then also adults should be given the data and easily access data, not we had to dig for it because most people aren't going to do that. Uh, some easily accessible data that's well-reported in the media of the different risk factors and who is it most at risk, who's least at risk, just be honest about it. And then so maybe if they reopen things and you're 25 and, and you want to go out, Fine, you're you're, but if you're in a more risky age group, or you have other issues which would put you at higher risk, then then don't. And then each adult can make their own decision of of what they should do, and and also the government needs to provide the correct information, the correct stats, and and also reopen responsibly. Like for example. Uh, in New York, it seems like they're doing everything wrong. In New York, they had the subways and the trains open when they were just in horrendous shape there with people just dying left and right. And now, with the whole thing 
mostly passed over there. If you look at the numbers, they're dramatically down, dramatically down, and they have been for a while. Now it looks pretty safe in New York. Now New York looks like a pretty safe place to be. You don't have zero chance, but it's the chance of getting in New York is much lower than Los Angeles and Las Vegas right now, for sure. So uh, that's when they should start thinking, okay, let's reopen more. Now it's looking pretty good. Now it's looking like maybe it ran through a lot of our population and, and it's not going to be that easy to get anymore. Uh, so, so now we should start thinking of, of reopening more and seeing how it goes. And in places where it is getting bad, that's where they start saying, you know what, we should shut down. So New York, they should have shut down earlier when, when it was a disaster there. And now that it's not a disaster, uh, now now it looks like they're re- reopening too slow. So that's – and I, I admit this isn't easy. I admit that uh, decisions can blow up in your face, the ones that look like they're correct at the time and that people have a lot of different opinions of where to go with this. I've never been someone who uh, has validated those who think it's a hoax or that you shouldn't wear masks or that masks are a violation of your rights. I don't believe any of that stuff. Uh, and, and, right. uh, and I think that people shouldn't propagate that. I, I think also that people should be honest about uh, – what all the situations are and what is and isn't safe and that people should also get politics out of it. They should not have politics influence their decisions or what they tell other people regarding the disease because the disease does not know politics. Right. Uh, all, all excellent points and, and thank you. I wanted to say thank you for uh, letting me talk about Robert. Um, I'm hoping that maybe a little bit of good for somebody else can come from his tragedy. Yeah, and, um, I thank you again. Thank you for that. Yeah, and thank you for coming on. And I hope was, so, he, I, I hope so too. And I hope that uh, uh, you know sometimes people just hearing a, a particular individual story and they can Google and they can put a face to it. They could see that he almost beat Mike Mizraki for a bracelet last year. And this wasn't a guy who almost won right, a bracelet um, in 1984. This is someone who almost won one last year. So this is someone yeah. who is almost a bracelet winner, uh, a, a guy that that a lot of people liked, and uh, someone who yeah. If you want to if you if you want to get a great taste for him. Watch the uh, the replay. Uh, that, that is, I think it's on Poker Go. It's it, they occasionally broadcast it on uh, CBS Sports, but it's uh, he was like nobody else. He he just had a an incredible incredible amount of zest for life, and he was not afraid to show it. Yeah, it, it's any anybody who he's touched will say the same exact thing that he he was like no other. So, yeah, and that's really too bad. And so was, uh, and hopefully people, yeah. w- upon hearing this and putting a face to it, and, and and maybe seeing him on video, whatever it is, people can go, wait a minute, like wow, that kind of I don't really know the guy, but just hearing his story, that kind of makes me think, and maybe I'll behave differently. And if that helps some people not catch COVID when they otherwise would have, that uh, at least will have done some good. Right. All right. Thanks again, Todd. Okay. Thank you for coming on. Good night. All right. Take care. Bye bye. So that's kind of a so as a segment I wanted to do because I wanted people to just hear about one of the COVID victims that was in the poker community. And I know he's not a super famous player, but he did almost win a bracelet last year. And he lived in Las Vegas and he played a lot of poker and he was not that old. So it's important to hear things like this so you can think about what your own risk you want to take. So rest in peace, Robert Gray. Sounded like a very good guy. Didn't know him personally, but sounds like someone who definitely deserved to have more time on this earth in 56 years. Okay, so uh, we're going to move on to uh, another topic here, maybe to something less depressing. Actually, it will be. We're not going to have any other. Well, actually, that's not true. We're going to have one other topic, which is uh, a little bit depressing that could be about someone who has died, but uh, we don't know for sure. 
But uh, we're going to break this up. We're going to go to something a little bit more light. You guys all like a, a good uh, Daniel Negreanu drama story, don't you? Let's go to that. We, we can laugh a bit at this. So Daniel has really been going off lately. I mean, look, you may be a fan of Daniel's, and I am not blind to the good that he has done for poker. And there are some haters out there that dishest Daniel and think the worst things about him, and I don't agree with them. I agree with some of their criticisms of him, but there's a lot of their criticisms of which I disagree. And I think that Daniel has done a lot of positive things for poker over the years, and that overall, he has been a good ambassador for poker. He's made a few mistakes, and in uh, recent times, his behavior hasn't been particularly good, but... uh, Overall, he's been a good ambassador. He was really great with, with fans at uh, at the World Series and other tournaments where people go up to him. I've said this before. As, as far as representatives of the game, he also has never scammed anybody or acted shady, as far as I know. Like, in those ways, he is a great face for the game of poker. But I will also acknowledge that recently he is not behaving well. And people are noticing a change in him, which... Everybody's wondering, myself included, is he going through some change? Is there something going on with him that we don't know about? Is he melting down? Is he cracking? Or was this always him and we're just seeing the real Daniel now that he's not suppressing anymore? I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. I can't even begin to guess because I I don't get to see him privately. I've never gotten to see him privately. So I've interacted with him in person before, but... I've never seen him in a private setting where he'd let his true self show. I've always, I've only seen him in person in a poker setting. Aside from the videos he puts out, which of course he voluntarily puts out. And by the way, that is kind of disturbing too, because he knows he's on camera. This isn't a hidden camera. He knows he's broadcasting and uh, he's not controlling himself. He's involved with a lot of drama with a lot of different people. Like, Sure, you're going to have a lot of trolls if you're a big name in poker. That's a given. If you're an opinionated big name in poker, you're going to have even more trolls. So I'm not talking about the trolls. I'm not talking about the people who go on Twitter and bash him. I'm not even talking about Doug Polk, who's bashing him as part of an entertainment product. Doug Polk legitimately doesn't like him, but Doug Polk does enjoy bashing him and and getting uh, people laughing at it and getting views on his channel and getting notoriety and getting, you know, Doug Polk gets satisfaction in more ways than one, from bashing Negreanu. So I'm not even talking about Doug Polk. I'm talking about people who aren't doing this for any kind of gain, and it just seems like he gets in a lot of different disputes with people, a lot of different arguments with people. It seems like he's always fighting with someone on Twitter, and often the people he's fighting with on Twitter are other known people in poker. And yet, not all of them have very nice personalities themselves, like Sean Deeb is a good example. Sean Deeb is kind of an asshole. I think even he'll admit he's an asshole. He's not easy to get along with. He's come on the show and yelled at me before. Uh, me and Sean D don't get along really well. We're not enemies. Uh, he, he'll occasionally DM me when, when we're on the same side of an issue. But uh, if you ask him what he thinks of me, he probably won't say very nice things. He'll probably say, I'm a jerk. Uh, so I'm, I'm no friend of Sean Deeb's, but that's just one of many people who feud with Negranu. And if you look deep into all these feuds, you can see the other side's point. Even if Daniel is not totally in the wrong, you you can see where he is at least somewhat in the wrong in a lot of these, including with Sean Deeb. And Daniel never wants to acknowledge that. He always... Daniel really believes he's a victim and just people constantly attack him. And this isn't true. 
Like, he, he doesn't see what he does to instigate it. He doesn't see what he does to bring it on. He doesn't see what he does to aggravate people. And when, when there's a lot of people who are constantly battling with you within your industry who are also prominent names, then you might want to look at yourself. I'm not Again, I'm not talking about trolls. The, the trolls are going to happen. You're always going to get trolled. The better known you are, the more trolls you're going to get. So I'm not talking about trolls. And Daniel, for whatever reason, just is not looking at that. He's not engaging in that kind of introspection that he should. Which is funny because the last I heard, he's a member of that Choice Center thing, which is supposed to be all about introspection and getting to know yourself and improve yourself and engaging in self-control. And I, I don't know what's going on lately with him. Now, again, I, I don't see this the same way a lot of his enemies and haters do. There's some people who just, uh, whenever he goes off, they, they find the worst way to frame it and make him look the worst way possible. And I think on this show, I've been very fair to him. I've never kissed his ass. I haven't been someone uh, trying to make excuses for him. And at the same time, I haven't been looking for reasons to bash him or insult him. And I think I've been fair. And I've talked about the positives and I've talked about when he's right. And I've also talked about the negatives and when he's wrong. So we're going to do that again here in this segment. So this week, we're going to talk again about Negranu. And this time, he is not fighting with Doug Polk, though that's still happening. But we're, uh, in fact, they, they agreed to the heads up match, which I'll play the video about that as well. But right now we're going to focus on the situation with him and two people I hadn't seen him battling with before, Jamie Kerstetter and Norman Chad. I didn't even know they had a problem with Negranu, those two, but apparently they do. So that to add them to the list of people Negranu was beefing with, I just uh, he's got to look why this is happening. He's got to look at why there's so much beefing. Why, Daniel? Why, why are there so many people? Is it all Doug Polk's fault? Are you just going to blame it on him? Like, there's there's some reason these people don't like you. And it, it couldn't just be all their fault or all Doug Polk's fault for influencing them. I'm not saying he said it was all Doug Polk's fault, but if you listen to Daniel say, oh, there's these people that uh, just start up with me, they're trying to get views, they're trying to get attention. In some cases, that's somewhat true, but not all the cases. And I don't think in this case I'm going to play you here. So... Jamie Kerstetter and Marley Cordero have a podcast, which they, uh, I, I don't know if it's always on video or sometimes on video, but it's called The Rake, and it's presented by Run It Once Poker. It's kind of a vehicle to advertise Run It Once. We've played it recently on this show when we talked about Marley and her uh, assertions about women in poker, but this one's not going to be about Marley. It's actually going to be about Jamie and about their guest, Norman Chad. Now, before I begin, I'm going to give you full disclosure of what I think of each of these people. Uh, Marley, she's not really that much part of this one, but Marley I'm, I'm fine with. Um, kind of neutral about her. Kind of neutral positive overall. Uh, Jamie, Jamie I'm kind of neutral. Like, she's a social justice warrior. I think she virtue signals a lot. Uh, we've sometimes disagreed on Twitter, and she's been a little bit rude to me. Not, nothing too terrible, but... Um, she hasn't always been that polite to me and when it comes to things like that. Uh, however, I, I think she seems like a decent person. I've never heard of her being involved in any scandals. I haven't heard anything about her behaving dishonestly. I haven't heard stories about her mistreating people at the tables. So, like, um, actually, that's not true. One person on Twitter posted a story that she is was nasty to some older rec player at the table, but who knows? That's just some person on Twitter. They 
may or may not be telling the truth, or it could have just been a, something they didn't see the full story of. So I, I won't even focus on that. But for the most part, uh, Jamie has a good reputation in poker, even though I don't agree with some of her behavior on social media. Uh, Norman Chad, even though he bashed me on ESPN very hard 15 years ago, I actually like him. And if he made up for his bashing on ESPN in 2005 by uh, approaching one of my main event tables in 2019, he didn't come there for me. He came there because the guy I was sitting next to was a friend of his. But then he noticed I was at the table after standing there for a few minutes talking to the guy. He looked down and said, oh, Todd, I didn't realize you're here. And uh, we had never really had a conversation before, me and Norman Chad. So I didn't know what he was going to say next. I didn't know if he was going to say, hey, you're that asshole I was giving a hard time to uh, 15 years ago on, on uh, ESPN. But no, he actually stopped, told everybody to listen to him, got, a, got the attention of the whole table during the main event, and made a speech about how good I am for poker and, and, and uh, how many great things I've done with exposing scams and how it's uh, important to have people like me in the game. And he wants everyone to acknowledge that. And I was like, whoa, Norman Chad, wow, I didn't know you felt that way about me. That's very nice. He actually made a speech to the table about what, what a great guy I was. I was like, whoa, that I would not have pictured. I was I was hoping just wasn't going to say anything negative, seriously. So uh, from that moment, I, I thought much better of, of Norman, of course. I never hated him, and I, I know I kind of brought the comments that he made upon myself, and I know that was his job to make uh, sarcastic and snarky comments. So I, I realize it's it's an entertainment product, and uh, I, I gave them material to, to say things. And I would have done some things differently if I was on that tape, televised table again. But anyway, uh, for those of you who didn't see it, I didn't do anything that bad. I was just kind of obnoxious. But anyway, that's all past. That's 15 years ago. And so I like Norman for the most part, and I've agreed with most of the things he's put out on Twitter. Now, I will say that his broadcast partner, Lon McCarron, I do not think very highly of recently for all the defense he's put out of Stones and Mike Possel. And that Lon, who had a business relationship with Stones, should have just shut up about it. If he didn't want to bash those that were signing his check, and that he had always had a good relationship with, fine, but don't defend them when what they did was indefensible. Don't cast any doubt upon the possible situation when it was obvious. That's a slap in the face of the poker community that made Lon a lot of money. Uh, now, Norman has never said anything about this. And Norman calls out a lot of things, but he's never called out Lon before for his comments about Stones and Possel. And it's easy to listen to Norman going off about other things and go, wait a minute, why is he not calling out Lon? But I can understand it. I've said before, I don't expect people to call out their friends or close associates. It would be nice in a perfect world if everyone was just so unfailingly moral that they will call out anybody who does anything wrong, no matter how close they are. Even like a a mother will call out her son. But that's not the way life really works. It's not the way human beings really work. So I don't hold it against someone because they won't bash someone that they're close to or that they like, or someone they've worked with. I will hold it against them if they will lie for someone or defend them when they don't deserve defense. And depending on the situation, I'll be anywhere from mildly annoyed to kind of like really pissed off. So I don't blame Norman for not saying anything about Lon. Be nice if he did, but I understand why he's not. Anyway, I'm going to play this segment if you want to go play it for yourself, they, they do timestamps like I do. 
even though the show is only like an hour ten. They cover a lot of things. They, they have an efficient show, which we do not. But this starts at the 27-minute, 23-second mark, which for me would be when I'm just finishing the agenda. For them, it's like halfway into their show and pretty deep. But uh, the 27-23 mark, you can hear them making their remarks about uh, Negranu. And I'm going to play that, and I'm going to stop it as I'm playing it and uh, give you my commentary. Like, you covered it when Matisau made comments, and then when Negroni made comments, and it's like, you just want, excuse me, poker to be, I guess, a little bit classier, and not so, I don't know, like, Yeah, I don't think it's that hard, and I've had had really bad arguments with people I work with now in Poker Go, with people like Jeff Platt, uh, who are just, they're not moving an inch on Daniel, and I just, I do not understand, it doesn't seem to be that difficult of an area for me, uh, how we present ourselves, and in, in Daniel's case, with those two outbursts and just other stuff he's done during his live stream, you know, he has a coterie of apologists and protectors and acolytes and enablers around him in which if, you know, if, if he says the sun rises in the West, then it rises in the West. I don't get it. Wow. That's, that's a pretty strong indictment of Daniel there by uh, Norman Chad. And he's basically saying that uh, Daniel has been misbehaving and he's got a bunch of yes-men around him that will constantly excuse it and say that everything's fine. And went as far to say that if Daniel claims that the sun rises in the West, that they'll say the sun rises in the West. Wow. That behavior, you know, I understand the basic instinct, the basic spontaneous reaction to if somebody attacks a member of your family in some bad way, particularly your spouse that you're going to have a bad reaction, but there's so many ways to handle that. And one of them is not the way he handled it. The language itself, the threat of violence, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's absurd. And then of course he doesn't even apologize for it. In fact, he does a announcement where he does the opposite of an apology. It's an F you to everybody who disagrees with them and they all get behind him again. It's really bad for the game. Uh, I think it should be bad for civilization it should be in another in another era. It would have been bad for his brand. He would have lost sponsorships. He would have lost endorsements. He would have lost his ambassadorship. But now it's you know you go boy, you go boy. It makes no sense. Yeah, I don't understand that part. Uh, he wouldn't necessarily have lost it. And if anything, people are more sensitive now to problems on social media. Like now, definitely, there's much more canceling going on of people not behaving in the way that certain others don't. That certain others want them to. Like there's a lot more of that now than in what he says a different era talking about like 15 years ago, 10 years ago. But I understand his point that he is representing a major poker site in GG Poker, that he is representing poker itself as one of the best known poker players in the world, and that he has to – he has a certain responsibility as someone who has made a lot of money from a marketing standpoint – from the game as the approachable, nice, friendly guy. And that's the image that he has presented, and that's one he has presented very well over the years. To do this 180 and become this, like, violent, violently raging guy on the streams, making threats to knock people's teeth out and feed it to them through their anus. I mean, as Norman was saying, it's understandable why he got mad when someone made a rude comment about his wife, but he didn't have to go that far. In fact, the right thing to do was to ban the person 
and ignore them because the person who said it was not a prominent person in poker. It was some unknown troll. So why, why even say this? Why, why even respond? Why even give this person any attention? Why give the person what they want? And, and most importantly, why behave this way if you are someone who really is representing poker? Uh, he's not the only representative of poker, but he's been a big representative of poker. And you have to keep that in mind. He's not just some random who's going off on his stream. My main issue with um, the way that he portrays poker players is he will always say there's a dichotomy of you're either a robot with no personality, um, an unsponsorable robot, because all you do is just click buttons and win, and no one wants to watch you. You're so boring. Or you're a hothead, like cursing, raving lunatic. And that's what we want on TV. We want these crazy. I'm like, there are so many people in between. I know so many people in between that'd be fantastic ambassadors who are colorful, like energetic people who are really smart, who'd give great interviews, who don't curse at people and don't alienate people and apologize when they misspeak. It's there's not two sides of it. There's a Yeah, she's correct for the most part. Daniel has posted blogs before criticizing other pros. In fact, uh, that's where he got the attention of the guys who run the Chip Race podcast. Uh, the one who's uh, who does this the most is uh, DK Lapin. Lapin, I don't know how you say his name. DK, L-A-P-P-I-N. He's been coming hard after Daniel for a while now. And this started after Daniel wrote a blog, which wasn't a very good blog, that was basically bashing other pros. The, the basic line of the blog was, Either act like me at the table, me meaning Negranu, or you're not a good pro. You're bad for the game. And and he lists different ways people were bad for the game. They they weren't talking enough. They're they're being nits. They're doing this. They're doing like a lot of stupid things. It wasn't obvious things like people who go to the table and abuse other players. Like that's fine to say. That's fine to say those people are bad for poker. But he wasn't just saying that. He was talking about uh, people who just show up and aren't very social and just uh, quietly play and politely go about their business, but don't really add a lot to the social aspect of the table. He can say it would be nice to have more social people and it'll make it more fun for the fish who lose money, but but he was shaming people in the blog, saying that he actually hates poker players like that, and that he, he hates nits who won't gamble it up. Of course, it's, it's easy to gamble it up when you have all that sponsorship money coming in like Daniel, but but some of these, quote, nits are people who have to pay the rent and and don't are, are they afraid to waste money to possibly get future action? Like I I can understand why certain people are, are big time nits. As long as they're ethical nits, then fine. And if they're just quiet, if they don't have a gregarious personality, fine. But Daniel went off on these people. So DK Lapin and and his partner in the Chip Race podcast really were going after Daniel for this, and Daniel was infuriated, and that started a feud between them, which still exists to this day. So that's kind of what uh, Jamie is referring to here, that he has a very narrow view of what makes a poker pro who's good for the community. And she's saying, it's you know, look, it's not that you're either Daniel or not Daniel. There's a lot of different ways you can be that aren't like Daniel that are still totally fine. And there's a lot of people who are good for TV that aren't necessarily obnoxious or, uh, or aggressive whole spectrum of people and I feel like whenever he's talking about it he creates this false dichotomy so that he can say well I'm better than the robots and I'm like okay but the people in the middle are better than you they'd be a better ambassador than you um and that's how I feel but I also understand the people being apologists for him he has hurt my career like I want to commentate I enjoy commentating he had me removed from a commentary that I was already signed up for um 
because I speak my mind about him and uh, I'm not going to kiss his ass. And recently I've just been studying a lot. So I'm like, well, that's one thing nobody can touch. If you're good at poker, you can make money in poker. You might not get these jobs you want, but they can't make you sit out a tournament because you didn't kiss the right ass. Wow. (laughs) So she is now accusing Daniel Negreanu. This is Jamie Kerstetter. I had no idea I had any kind of feud with him. She is now accusing Daniel Negreanu of not only misbehaving, but taking it out on her and taking her off as a poker broadcaster from somewhere that already had her signed up to do it. Now, of course, these are Jamie's accusations. It's possible that this isn't true. It's possible she thinks it's true, but it's not. Sometimes people don't get a job and they blame it on somebody else they just assume doesn't like them. They, they assume they got screwed in some way. Uh, sometimes they'll think it's because of their race, their sexual preference, their age, their gender, or just that the person making the decisions or who has influence in the decision doesn't like them personally and screwed them. So sometimes there's suspicion of this. For example, let's take a very simple example. Let's say Jamie and one other person were vying for a spot on some kind of poker broadcast. And the truth was that uh, the other person was just better at Jamie than commentating. I'm just picking some random generic person. I'm not talking about any real person. Just we're picking a hypothetical situation. If Daniel were to say, I think this person should be on this broadcast and not Jamie, even if he dislikes her, that would not be him screwing her broadcasting on poker career. This would be him just picking the better person. So you don't always know. But it is also possible that they could be equal and he picks the other person because he doesn't like Jamie or Jamie could have been the better one and he chose uh, that person over Jamie because of dislike of her. There have been others, albeit ones who have a bias against him, like uh, Doug Polk and uh, Sirius of Sirius. And uh, I, I think uh, this uh, DK Lappin and, and his Chip, Chip Race podcast partner, I forget the other guy's name, I think they claim that Daniel helped uh, snub them from certain rewards and I can believe it. Like I, I can totally see Daniel doing this. I'm not saying he did it. I'm not saying I have proof he did it. I could, I could picture him doing this. Knowing his personality, I could picture him, uh, if using his influence, which he has a lot of. He has a lot of influence in the poker community, and I can picture him influencing certain people to deny certain opportunities to people he hates. Like let's take the most obvious one. Do you think Daniel would ever let Doug Polk have any kind of opportunity in poker that Daniel could stop? If Daniel could stop Doug Polk from getting something he wanted, do you think Daniel would do it if it was legal? Of course he would. Of course he would. He hates Doug Polk with a passion. He would take pleasure in ruining anything for Doug Polk. Now, to be fair, Doug Polk's been coming after him pretty viciously for the last several years, so it's understandable why Negreanu hates him so much. Still, Daniel would do it. I think we all know he would do it. Now, Jamie Kerstetter is no Doug Polk. She hasn't been relentlessly attacking Daniel. Like, I didn't even know anything about the two not liking each other until right now. So this is something that I don't know. The one that, if she's telling the truth, I don't think she'd be outright lying. But if the situation is true and she saw it correctly and she really was already picked for a broadcast and then removed, I think there's a good chance she's correct that Daniel had to do with it and that it wasn't just because Daniel thought the other person was better. I had this occur to me, not at Daniel Negreanu's hands, it had nothing to do with him, but I had this exact thing occur to me 11 years ago during the World Series of Poker. I was supposed to be the color commentator for the 10K Limit Hold'em World Series final table 
on ESPN 360, which is now called ESPN 3. I was supposed to be the color commentator. It was all set up. It was agreed upon. And it was yanked away from me by someone who hated me. That was a someone named Joy Miller, who had power at the time. Later, she became disgraced and, and ran away from poker. Uh, but uh, at the time, people still had respect for her. At the time, people it hadn't gotten around yet how vindictive she was and how she abused her power at work. Anyway, she decided that because I had defended Terrence Chan, of all people, who's never been a friend of mine. In fact, Terrence Chan had stated on his own podcast that he doesn't care for my personality. He thinks I'm too caustic, and he doesn't listen to my show for that reason. He says he doesn't mind me personally. And I don't mind him personally, but he just doesn't uh, like listening to me. And he, I'm not really like his type of guy. He even said that. I'm not his type of guy. Okay, fine. So like this is not a friend of mine. He's never been a friend of mine. We've never, we, we've never had a beef, but, but he's never been someone who's been close to me, nor have I ever represented that he's close to me. But when Joy Miller screwed over Terrence Chan, which she did, and I stated my honest opinion, and I was – Respectful in the way I did it. I didn't uh, say anything bad about Joy Miller that didn't directly apply to that situation. I just took Terrence's side in one post and dropped it. She saw the post and decided that because two years beforehand that I had taken the side of Terrence Chan on a forum post that I was not going to be on that broadcast. And she took me off. And then at the last minute, I was put back on only because they could not find a color commentator to take my place because the one they had tabbed to take my place told them at the last minute that he does not want to do color commentating for Limit Hold'em because that person didn't know the game well enough and was uh, didn't want to make a fool of himself. So he said, I'm not going to do it. You need to get someone else. It was at the last second, really like the last second, like an hour before the broadcast. So they, they had no choice but to call me and pretend like I had never been uninvited in the first place. Instead, I just got ghosted. First, first uh, Joy told my then-girlfriend that I'm not going to be on there and then she just wouldn't respond to me. So I just, I was never even given the courtesy of being told, you're off. I just wasn't getting response. And then an hour beforehand, she had someone else call me because she didn't even have the guts to call me herself and, and, and acted as if uh, I was going to be on the whole time. And hey, can I come down now? And then I found out the true story from the other broadcast, the other broadcast partner I had there who told me what really happened. So this happened to me. Not with Daniel, but it happened with me. So I, I can totally believe that someone who has influence, who's holding a grudge, can take away a broadcast opportunity from you in poker. Totally believable. So I think this did happen, unless this is some kind of misunderstanding. I don't think Jamie's making this up. I don't think Jamie's lying. Daniel has not even said she's been lying. Daniel put out a little anecdote, not about Jamie, but it was clear that's what he's talking about. He put a little anecdote out there about how he once had to decide between... Uh, uh, Joe Stapleton and uh, Bart Hansen to broadcast something, and that he decided that he thought uh, for this particular broadcast that uh, Stapes would do a better job, so he went with Stapes instead of uh, Bart Hansen. But he still likes them, and uh, nothing against Bart. He thinks Bart's very good, too. And, and Bart seemed to take it well, but the point is that he put that out there right after Jamie said this, because he's trying to present, hey, I, I just... I have to make editorial decisions. I ha I have to make decisions on on or give my input in broadcast situations which have to do somewhat with me. Maybe a company I represent. Maybe someone asks my opinion. My opinion is going to be asked sometimes, and I'll tell them who I think the better person is. And so he didn't mention Jamie, but that's what he was really getting at there. It was right after she said this. But I don't really believe that's what happened here. He may even believe to himself this is what happened, but I don't think this is what happened. 
So if you take a look at his Twitter, uh, let me find the place here. He said, it is true. Many years ago, Bart Hansen and Stapes auditioned for the big game commentary gig. I like both of them, not personal at all. I thought Stapes was a better comedic fit for the role and shared my opinion. He got the job. When asked for my honest opinion, I gave my honest opinion. It isn't personal. Some people listen to my opinion. Sometimes they don't. I get how it can hurt their feelings, but such is life, man. But, okay, well, I believe that's happened sometimes, and I believe maybe you've been accused sometimes of showing bias when in reality you're just really picking the better person. But I think other times what you think of the person plays into it. I can totally believe that from everything that I have seen of you, Daniel. And this pisses people off. You can get away with it, I guess, but this makes people angrier and angrier, and then eventually they get a platform of their own, like Jamie has right now. And Jamie has a decent Twitter following, too. And eventually they call you out. And then Norman Chad calls you out. Eventually you have more and more people calling you out, saying the same thing. And then guess what? People start believing you're a jerk. So that's that's the danger of using your influence in that way. In fact, that's what happened to Joy Miller. She got run out of poker because uh, – she'll claim she left on uh, on her own because she was having a kid, but that's not really what happened. She she was basically run out of poker because uh, it, it got out the way she was treating everybody. And that was that for her. So if you don't treat people fairly and eventually they get a platform to call you out and enough of them come out and if enough of them have respected voices, then it can hurt you and your brand. And that, I think, might be what's happening here. I felt good. I, I agree with you completely <laughs> on the, that there's there's a middle ground. It's a huge middle ground that uh, can be occupied, but he has set it up as that dichotomy. I agree with you. And uh, you are also right. It's it's frustrating. You obviously you should, you should not be stopped from getting a job because one person uh, with a god complex just pushes a button because that, that ain't going to happen. So you are. I, I think you have a low ceiling in poker, but I think it's good for you to study poker as much as you can to get as good as you can, which is not going to be very very good. But uh, it does remain a meritocracy. <laughs> so you're right. There's no nobody can you know anybody can sit down and nobody can stop you, and that is the way you should go. Yeah. Uh, thanks. <laughs> we interrupt this podcast with an important message from our sponsors. At- yeah, we interrupt your message for your sponsors for me to tell you this show has no sponsors, and therefore I'm not playing that message from your sponsors. What do you think of that, Phil Galfon? I'm not advertising your site. Unless you want to pay me, then maybe I will. Okay, so that was pretty interesting, wasn't it? That was pretty interesting. Two people I didn't know had a problem with Negranu. Have a problem with Negranu. What do you know? So what did Negranu have to say back about this? Now, Negranu responded, and to be fair, this uh, DK Lapin, he, when he posted this, he made it kind of look like this was just out of nowhere. He didn't explain the context that this was in response to what uh, Jamie had said. But this is what Daniel said later that same day after that podcast dropped uh, about Norman Chad. He didn't go after Jamie in this rant, but he went after Norman Chad. Fuck you, dude. I want to tell this guy. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like Norman Chad. I want to say bad things to him. But that's the thing. It's like sometimes I, I write out tweets all the time. I write it out and then delete. I've written out like 17 to him that I've deleted. You know, because his obsession and his fucking preachy nature. Like all he does is complain about other people preaching what their beliefs are. And all, all nonstop, he's a preachy motherfucker. 
preach, 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 preach from this fucking perfect high top place. Listen, you don't like it. I don't give a fuck. I think I've made that clear. I don't give a fuck what you think at all. You are not my fucking mentor, my life guru. I do not follow your rules of living. You do you. You can say whatever the fuck you want to me. But I'm not going to listen to you, you dumb fuck. Enough. Ugh. Move on to a bigger and better things. <laughs> Pretty angry. Well, it's kind of weird. At the end, he said, you can say what you want, but I'm not going to listen to you. Well, you did listen to him. You're responding. So what are you saying here, Daniel? But you notice all the cursing, all the anger? I, like, I understand Daniel wanted to give a rebuttal to this. Like, it, it's not like he can't give a rebuttal. He, sh- he should give a rebuttal. Not should, but he has the right to, and I don't begrudge him for it. You can't just say, it's one thing to ignore a troll. It's another thing when Jamie Kerstetter and Norman Chad, who are both uh, no names in poker, get on a show and bash you. So if Negreanu wants to respond, he can and should. If I were in his shoes, I would respond. I wouldn't just sit there and take it because you know what happens if you just sit there and take it? If you take it from a troll, nobody cares because nobody respects trolls. But if you take it from respected names in your industry and you say nothing back, it makes you look guilty. If Daniel does not respond to this, it makes him look like they got him and they're they're exposing him and he has nothing to say. So as much as you don't want to, you usually have to say something if it has any kind of audience already. You don't want to draw people's attention to it, but if there's enough attention drawn to it already, you need to respond. And they talked about him, so he needs to respond. Okay? Fine. Correct. But listen to that profanity-filled rant. That's not the way you respond. What you could say, if you could say the same thing in a, a much better way and not come off like an angry jerk. What you can say is, Norman Chad, uh, he had a lot of... Uh, unkind words for me. I'd just like everybody to think about the fact that Norman Chad is always giving his opinion about a lot of things. He preaches about a lot of things on his Twitter, which is fine, but what I don't understand is he gives me a hard time for doing the same thing. To me, it seems hypocritical that he thinks it's okay for him to do, but not for me to do, and when I do it, he acts like it's so terrible for poker, and that doesn't make any sense to me. And he should maintain a calm demeanor and a calm tone of voice, not curse, and put that out there, and people go, hmm, you know what, Daniel, you have a point. Yeah, Norman Chad does offer his opinion a lot. Norman Chad uh, does preach a lot. Wow, you know what, the, you two do have that in common. Wow, maybe maybe Norman Chad shouldn't be saying these things about you. Now, I'm not saying it invalidates Norman Chad's points, because when Norman Chad was saying that Negreanu was behaving poorly on those streams, he was correct. Negreanu was behaving poorly on those streams, especially for a guy representing GG Poker and representing the poker community. That's true. There's no getting around that. I think most people in poker who witnessed that will agree. But uh, you can respond to the criticism in a way that will not validate what they're saying about you even more. And people who are watching this, everyone's shaking their heads going, what's going on here? Like, yeah, he's got his fanboys going, yeah, Daniel, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You show him. You show him. You know, curse him out. Get him. Get him. Get him. But most other people are looking at this and going, what's wrong with Daniel? What is he doing? Why is he not the same guy we once knew? Has this always been what he is? Now, let's get to what could be causing this. What is possibly causing this change? Okay, let's let's assume he has changed. It's possible this has always been him, and we're just seeing it now in the era of live streams and all that. Maybe he just stopped giving a shit or stopped wanting to hide who he is. But let's assume that the friendly guy we saw before was at least mostly him. He was probably putting on somewhat of an act. He was probably putting on a nice face. But everybody puts on a nice face. 
Uh, when I do this show, I put on a nice face. Uh, there, there's times when I'm not on the show that I, I'm not as uh, calm and rational as I am on the show. And, yeah, everybody has their better and worse moments, and there are moments where you try harder to, to come off well than others. But for the most part, Daniel is, uh, I, I think it was at least semi-close to what he presented himself to be. And so what are we seeing now? What are we seeing now and why? So let's assume that he has changed. What could possibly be the reasons for this? Well, th- there's two that come to mind. And I could be wrong about either of these, so I'm, I'm not saying it has to be one of these two, but these are just two theories I'll float out there for you, which may or may not be true. Theory number one is that there are some marital difficulties or stresses. And, and not the way you think. I'm not saying that he's being cheated on or anything like that. I'm, I'm saying that maybe... Daniel, he had one marriage before this, and it was a weird marriage. He he described it as one where they never had one fight, and then they divorced after like two years, three years. And the funny thing is I kind of believe him. It was kind of a really weird marriage, which is like, it seemed like they got along but had no passion. I, I don't even know why he married this girl. Like People don't even remember that marriage. A lot of people don't even know he was married before Amanda, but he was. He was married before Amanda. They had no kids, of course, but they got divorced. Uh, it, it was an Asian girl. I don't remember her name. Seemed like a nice girl, but I, I didn't know much about her. But they got a divorce, and Daniel put out that they never had a fight, and they, they're just divorcing. And some people said, oh, you know, he's getting divorced because he's gay. Well, that, that turned out not to be true. Obviously, he wouldn't be married to Amanda if he were gay. But if you look at why he got that divorce, I, I think for whatever reason, he kind of married a girl he was friendly with and – it just didn't have much passion, and if you marry someone you don't have much passion about, then yeah, you can just drift away from each other and go, what, you know, why are we even together? We have like nothing in common. We're barely talking. So there, there has to be some passion which the marriage was based upon in the first place or it will often fail. So, okay, let's just assume that's what happened there. But going to this marriage where there definitely is passion, especially on, on Daniel's end. I mean, there's no question Daniel is really, really, really into Amanda. And that he was obsessed with her for a long time. This is like his dream to get to marry her. And that, that is all sincere. When he says stuff like that, that was really sincere. Uh, he's been married now for, what, a year and a half or something? Uh, whatever it is, I, I haven't kept track how long. Something like a year and a half. Maybe two years. Whatever it is, Daniel might be having some marital difficulties. Maybe just the marriage isn't going well. Maybe they're not getting along well. Maybe uh, just there's challenges there we don't know about. And that can really drag someone down to where they're irritable and angry and they don't even realize it. I've known people who have been in a bad marriage before that it kind of changes them. And it changes them in, in various ways. Sometimes it will make them do reckless or irresponsible things to kind of act out. Sometimes it'll put them in kind of just this quiet depression where they just are kind of withdrawn and sullen and just never happy about anything because the the marriage is so depressing. Uh, other times they'll be angry all the time. They'll, they'll walk around constantly angry because uh, the marriage is constantly pissing them off. And and this will persist. And then when the, when the marriage ends and then there's this, veil lifted and they're happy again now sometimes they'll go into other bad relationships or marriages and it'd be even worse but uh, for the moment they're they're happy when the veil of the unhappy relationship or marriage is lifted when it ends 
So maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe he's not happy at the moment. Remember, he just because he loves Amanda and was obsessed with her, and it was his dream to marry her, doesn't mean that marriage with a marriage to her is pleasant. There, there may be issues in the marriage that uh, could be stressing him out. Again, I'm just speculating. I'm just guessing here. I don't have information on this. Number two. Number two. You remember a few weeks ago? I didn't talk about it on the show. I don't think I did. But Negroni posted this very bizarre picture of himself with his shirt off. He had like some before and after picture. And in this after picture with his shirt off, uh, he had built some muscle. He uh, he looked like he'd been working out. He wasn't like uh, bulging with huge muscles, but uh, he, he was mus- He was kind of like skinny and muscular at the same time, and uh, very little fat on his body that you could see. And he looked very fit, very fit, and kind of like sort of muscular. It's kind of harder to tell in these uh, videos, these kind of grainy videos where you're wearing the tank top. You can't really see that as much. But the, this shirtless picture he posted, which he claimed was, was somewhat recent, uh, he looked like he'd been working out a whole lot. Now, what does that have to do with anything here? Well, and by the way, he, he mentioned today that he goes, he gets up like 6.30 a.m. now and goes to the gym right away, which he said he didn't used to do. He said he never used to get up at that time. So what can we infer from this? Well, nothing for sure, but Daniel is uh, 45 years old, and he's 45 or 46, somewhere around there, mid-40s, slightly younger than me. If you're a man over 40, and you've tried to go to the gym a lot to work out and build muscle, what have you probably found? You've probably found that it's a lot harder to build muscle now than it was 15 years ago, 10 years ago. You've, You've probably found that since turning 40, around that time, that building muscle at the gym is much tougher. You, you, you try and try and try, and yeah, you see some results, but not the, not the dramatic results you used to see when you were younger. It's just hard for men over 40 to build muscle at the gym all that easily. So what happens is men who are there just to work out and be fit and build some muscle, uh, they start to get frustrated. They start to say, I'm putting in all this work and there's, there's no return, very little return. And then they think about something that can bring that return. Steroids. And they're not doing it for the same reason Barry Bonds did it or that other professional athletes do. They're just doing it to help themselves out, to kind of bring themselves to what they were when they were younger, to make it to where they can build muscle. It just kind of feels unfair to them that you put so much effort into it and you're not getting the results that you should be getting, that your body would have gotten if it were younger. So that, that's the way they rationalize it. They don't see themselves as a roid head or, or a cheater in any way. And you know, if you're not competing physically and you're, you're doing roids, you're not cheating anyone but yourself. But um, So that's why they rationalize it. Hey, it's my own body. I'm not, I'm not in an athletic competition. I'm not cheating anybody. I'm just trying to build muscle, and this is the only way I can do it to get my body the way I want it to look. So they, they do the steroids, and they rationalize why it's okay, and they will sometimes miss – the side effects of the steroids, which we've all heard about, one of them, roid rage, where people, they get very irritable and angry and aggressive. And and you don't even see it when it's happening to you. So it's not like you're roid raging, going, oh man, I'm roid raging, I'm going to stop. Like, like, at the moment to you, it seems rational. So this could be happening. He's been going to the gym by his own admission, and he is very, very 
into building muscle and, and looking fit, and he's mid forties. So that could explain it. And if if that's true, Daniel should watch out. I'm not trying to do this to bash him. I'm saying that this is not a healthy thing to be doing, and and it's a lot of men, men of that age fall to that temptation. Call you're on the air. Hi, Todd. This is Tygo. Ken. Yeah. Hi. How are you, sir? I'm good. What's going on? Hey. Uh, I'm I'm 100 percent agree with you. With your second thing is that uh, I've been admired of Daniel Nagrana for a long time. He is not behaved normally. I think he's on steroids. I don't believe that his his marriage is in trouble. But uh, oh, you think it's steroids? He, he, He's definitely on story, paranoid, because most people, when you get on story, you get angry, you get frustrated. Uh, it's not, uh, to me, you look like a different Daniel. He does. He does. Uh, he, he does. So, so uh, I, I, I sort of agree with you. Uh, on, on that point of view. Uh, yeah. My second point is, thank you very much to point out how dangerous this coronavirus is. That, uh, you know, there's, there's something uh, most important I sort of agree with you is that you need to think about that's something you can control. Uh, control. You, you, you just have given a lot uh, you know, uh, like a car accident, you cannot control a heart attack. You cannot, uh, you well, you can or you cannot. But some of the things you you you're sick or die, you cannot control. But uh, this one, you know, you kind of minimize your risk. You know, uh, so I think you, uh, you 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 bring out a good point too. Well, thank, think, yeah, th- th- yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. I'm, gl- I'm glad you appreciate it. I know you're uh, an older gentleman here, so uh, it's important to, especially to for people your age to be careful and for people to be careful around you. And uh, Well, I, I used to be, the, when I listened to you three or four, three months ago, when you, you have a great deal of influence on me, uh, on me when I thought you're not going to go to the casino or play poker, I said, no way I'm not going to do that. Then uh, the more I thought about I think Ta is right. I'm not going. Because I've been showing self-quarantine for four or five months now. Why should I take a chance? I, I'm very healthy. Yeah. But uh, uh, I have 10 or 20 years to live. Yeah, you, yeah. You know, go, I, I, I work hard. All my life, save money, money now, enjoy life. Why should I? Uh, uh, I sort of agree with you that uh, when I told my all my friends playing poker, I say I'm not going to Vegas play poker until the vaccine is coming. Then I'll go. <laughs> yeah, no, so that's, that's I, a good idea. I, oh, another quick thing, quick question. You're a poker pole, right? Do you know it's yeah. 30? Uh-oh. Uh, the wife is getting angry again. <laughs> uh, uh, that's okay. Uh, All right. I hope it's okay. I hope, I hope the show here doesn't cause uh, marital issues. You might end up like Negrani would yell on streams. 
But thank you and uh, uh, enjoy your show. And uh, yeah, okay. Uh, have, have a good night, Tyrone. Go go uh, manage that oh, situation. Yeah, I'm a poker pro. Yeah. Uh, so your main source of income is from poker. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, you know, I, I've been playing online a lot. Before I was playing online and live, I was playing a combination of them before uh, the coronavirus came. And then, obviously, uh, since uh, late January, I, I quit uh, the live part. And now I've, I've, play, I've actually been playing a lot more online. I know that because I'm getting, uh, um, I'm seeing how many hands I'm playing. It's like way up compared to what it was before. So, so, so let me ask you a question. Do you ever have a booth in here? Um. Have I had, yes, I have had a losing year. Not not often, but I have had it. But you but you manage your money very well, so you don't lose. Huh? Well, I manage my money. I also manage. I also manage the games well. If, if something's not working out, I either look at the strategy I'm using and see if it's not working anymore, or uh, I, I will change games or whatever. Like I'll I'll change something. I'll look at what's not working and change it. I'm not going to just keep banging my head into the wall and then losing all my money. So, uh, or, or I'll drop down in limits if I see a problem. Like. Okay. But with all this year, that you never came close to bankruptcy, right? Oh no, 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 never close, never close at all. The reason I ask this question is that uh, I think I think eight to nine out nine famous professional poker player they at one time or another go go on bankruptcy. Yeah, they, yeah. Most poker pros went broke at some point. I was never there. Now it was fortunate. I, I started. I made money working my programming job for years before ever playing poker. So I, I had a bankroll coming in. Not not a gigantic one that couldn't be busted. It was just a. Um, I, I had some money coming in, so I didn't have to start from zero like some of these college kids did. But uh, I, I just managed the money and the limits properly. And when I would go on a losing streak, I'd look why, you know, why am I losing? And and uh, um, I I handled it well enough. Not everything perfect, but but well enough to where I was never anywhere close to going broke. In fact, uh, I, I never even lost a significant percentage of my bankroll at any point. There 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 were times but, where I'd go on a losing streak. The the worst losing streak I ever had was uh, at the is a long time ago now, but at the beginning of two thousand seven, I lost uh, three hundred thousand dollars in the first three months. And that was that was not easy. That was a very tough thing to deal with, but I, I got through it. But that still wasn't close to anywhere near my whole bankroll. But that's that's uh, that's pretty good. But I bet you, if you look at figure and fact, not not too many professional poker players able to manage their bankroll. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, one of the right. There aren't, and that's one of the biggest challenges. And that's what uh, that's what. All poker pros really have to have that skill. It's not just they have to have the discipline. They also have to just the the natural uh, skill in them to do to to act responsibly with money. And some people just don't have it. Some people you, you can teach them, and they just won't be able to get it. It's just not in them to do. And those people should do something else. Those people should not be professional poker players. Or if they are, then allow someone else to manage their money and allow that person to make all the decisions with the money and and. Abide by them. That's the only, if they try to manage it themselves, they're going to go broke. Some of these people. Okay, Todd. Thank you very much. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you for calling, uh, uh, Tyrone. Bye. Bye. Tyrone. Tyrone's wife doesn't appreciate his calls to the show. We've, we've dealt with this before. 
where she's yelling in the background. <laughs> but I imagine they've been married a lot of years, so I don't I don't think they're going to get a divorce over this. I, I would feel bad if they got a divorce over my show. What if I got called into divorce court to testify about Tyrone calling to my show? Okay, I'm sure they'll be fine. Let's. Uh, so I, I'm not actually done with the Daniel Negreanu topic. I'm, I'm done talking about him and Jamie Kerstetter and and Norman Chad. But little addition to what happened last week: the match has been set up with Doug Polk versus Negreanu. The heads up match. Remember we were talking about that? Listen to this. This video will be my last poker video ever until my next one. I yeah, like so that, this. So that's Daniel. That's a. Uh, Polk uh, making a joke about his retirement. Let me speed up here until he talks about uh, Daniel. Agonism from Doug Polk. Business, Doug Polk's business, is attack people bigger than him. So it's called Grudge well, Match, really versus Polk. What happened to get this thing going again? And it all- okay, I, don't, I don't feel like going through the history. We've done this so, before. He's probably in the thumbnail of maybe a few million of them. Video, it's just good comedy. Hours after the release of that video, as it was blowing up on YouTube, Negreanu punched back with a awkward tweet to a follower saying that I have, there's precisely zero chance he has 10 million, quit poker, crypto failure, stand-up career failure, reduced to clickbait videos to cover that rent money. Same old shit regurgitated for clicks. I'm essentially paying his rent. I never saw that tweet. Thank you. Thank you, Doug, for bringing me. I, I never saw that tweet before. That was on July 25th, uh, what Negrani wrote about Polk, and Polk is reading it. Uh, you know what? Negrani's not completely wrong here. I, I obviously don't know Doug Polk's finances, and he did very, very well in poker. There's no question about that. And he's very well respected as one of the best, best if not the best, heads-up, no-limit poker players of all time. However... It is true that it seemed like he lost a lot, of money, a lot of money in crypto. I can't say this for sure, but from what I've observed on his Twitter, and I'm not obsessively watching Doug Polk's Twitter, but from what I've seen on his Twitter, it looks like he didn't do very well with the crypto trading. And it looks like that the things he's done since leaving poker have not been very lucrative. So I, I don't know how much money Polk still has, but I, I have a feeling that he did lose some of what he made in poker to the crypto market and uh, elsewhere. Uh, I don't think that he's reduced to clickbait videos to pay his rent. I don't think it's anywhere near that. That's where Daniel is just uh, saying absurd things. The man certainly got some good points. I mean, look at my crypto career. Total failure. I bought Bitcoin back in 2013 for a couple hundred dollars. At some point, we're going to have to face facts. That's worth a lot less now. And then, of course, you have my failed stand-up career. So I'm getting too fat lately. Which I believe was the one time that me and Joe Ingram went to a stand-up open mic night. And I did a bit once that I wrote that day with Joey. So, you know, that's... I didn't know about the stand-up thing, but I never heard he was doing a stand-up career. A failed career if I've ever seen one. And then, of course, quitting poker. Like, somehow that's reduced my income significantly. Actually, that's reduced my income significantly. There's simply no way around that. The thing is about this tweet that's just so funny to me is I haven't even made videos lately. And the one I did make, it didn't have ads on it. So, essentially, I'm not being paid by YouTube at all. And if he's saying it's driving business to upswing, yeah. But the thing is, if you look at all of my work, 
I'm getting 40,000 views on my channel for the videos I've made in the past, and that drives traffic to Upswing anyway. Upswing's doing great. This isn't like I made a one minute video to make fun of Negranu for funny! It was just funny. Does that mean I've never leaned on personalities for viewership on the internet? No, of course not. I've done it all the time. I've done it with every big poker player. I've done it with myself. Look at this video. You wouldn't want to be that guy. The bottom line is if you want to succeed in the online video making space, you're going to have to talk about the people that are in it. See, that's not totally true. See, he's really gone after Negranu hard. See, that's, that's where, like, when Doug Polk says these things, it's, it's kind of obnoxious. He should just own it. He should just say, yeah, I don't like Negranu. And he, he says a lot of clownish things and I like to make fun of it. It's, it's good content for my channel. Yeah, it gets me clicks, but, uh, it, it's clicks that, uh, are, are for the truth. He should put that out there. He should, he shouldn't, uh, say, oh, no, 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 I'm not picking on Negranu. I pick on everybody. See, I, I hate that line. I have, I have trolls doing that crap to me on, uh, even on Poker Fraud Alert, where if someone who's just constantly obsessed with, with hassling me, and with bashing me about every little thing I post and say, and then I I talk about how obsessed they are, and then and they're, you know, all they do is is bother me, and I get back, oh no no no, I bother other people, and they show me some post they made from five years ago where they made one post criticizing somebody else, like that's that that's crap. That's not being honest. He should just be honest. Yes, he he is obsessed and has been obsessed with making videos of bashing Negranu. He hasn't for the last several months, but he was for a long time. Some of it, I think, was for personal satisfaction. He enjoyed it, and part of it was to get clicks. It's true. I don't think that's how he was surviving, like Daniel says, but this wasn't just, oh, I'm getting Daniel like I get everybody. I mean, look at the work that I've done on YouTube. I've done almost exactly as many Phil Helmy videos as I've done Negranu videos. I've done plenty of Tom Dwan videos. I've done plenty of videos about myself or Doyle Brunson. No, but you didn't say things about these people like you do about Negranu. Again, that's dishonest. Like this, this is the type of Polk I don't like. I like Doug Polk when he's just honest and direct and straightforward. This isn't. This is very, uh, this is not addressing the situation the way it really is. This is saying, what? Negron is too sensitive. What? I, I just make a video about him occasionally and he thinks I'm after him. What a paranoid freak. I, I never liked the whole thing of when you're going after someone a lot and being really mean and nasty to them and then denying you are. And he's, oh, I do this to everybody. Oh, no, this is just me. Oh, this is just the way it is. Oh, stop being so sensitive. It's, if you're going after somebody hard, admit it. You can give justification. And I think Paul has some justification for some of this stuff. One of the pieces of justification is simply that Daniel puts himself out there and is intentionally controversial, that he's a big-name pro, he makes a lot of money being a big-name pro from a marketing standpoint, and that he puts out a lot of controversial opinions and makes a lot of statements that are hostile to the poker community. And Paul can say, yes, if you do that, then yes, people will make videos about you, and yes, you're going to get more attention than the average Joe Poker Pro who people don't think about too often. That's what he should say. He shouldn't deny that he's doing this. And Or who else? Or Vanessa Seltz. Oh, wait, I already said that. The reason the Negranu videos upset Negranu so much is because it tells a narrative that he doesn't want being told, and it's a very popular one that people see. It's easy to ignore someone if they don't have any views. I mean, for example, does anyone know what Alec Torelli's been doing lately? I didn't think so. I've made videos about all these players, and in the majority of them, I'm not saying bad things about them at all. Maybe I'm teasing how badly they played a hand or maybe the title and thumbnail is something to try and get people in the door but there's really only a couple of people that i've actually gone after and negranu was one of them there's no doubt about it when i was younger negranu was one of my favorite players in fact he might have even been my favorite player 
But the reality is, I didn't then not like him because I started making videos on the internet or whatever nonsense this tweet was from Negreanu. The reason is because he changed into someone that does not care about the players. He's also someone that belittles people quite frequently and then tries to get his way at whatever cost he can. What about the time Negreanu said- You know, I'm, I'm kind of getting sick of this video, but um, I, I kind of think this is a situation where they're both right about each other. <laughs> Some of what Negreanu is saying about Polk is true, though not the stuff about the clicks for rent, but a lot of what he's saying is true about how Polk really is just punching at him constantly and he's not responding that often and Polk just keeps doing it. At least that's what, that's the way it was until Polk retired from the poker videos. So Negreanu is right about that and, and that, uh, and then Polk is correct that Negreanu, uh, deserves some of it from some of his behavior. And that he can't play like he's the innocent victim. I mean, I, I think these guys are – sometimes this happens where there's a feud and you look and you go, you know what? Both people are right about each other. <laughs> both both have a point about the other not behaving all that well. Okay, so here's the part about the heads-up battle. Still in my mouth. It's, it's a reference that you guys will probably get, I think. I hate being anal about this, but I just can't show you this clip. It might get me banned. I'm just not willing to risk that. I will your if you come step to me and I will f you a much to my surprise after making a comment about this is like comparing Clyde Drexler to Michael Jordan he accepted Michael Jordan is going to play against Clyde Drexler but he's an underdog at least that's the story he's trying to tell he took to his blog to explain why this is an underdog heartwarming story you know, your classic Michael Jordan tale. Over this post, he does a bunch of classic Daniel Negreanu things, either misleading to try and make my point different or just outright lying. For example, he says that there's no possible interpretation you can come up with that credibly denies I'm the underdog going into this match. The cards are stacked against me, and I accept that reality. It's akin to Steph Curry challenging Shaquille O'Neal to a three-point shooting contest to decide who is the better basketball player. But that's not really what it is. Because I did offer Negreanu we could play half a game of his choice. And then he said, no, no, let's just shoot three-pointers. Also, it just went from I'm Clyde Drexler to Steph Curry. Which one am I? What's the story here? Please be Steph Curry. I don't want to be Clyde Drexler. Also, if this is a three-point contest, let the record show. I'd hire Phil Helmuth. Oh, my God. Oh! Oh my God. Devastating. This is the face of a guy who just lost 10000 he also said we should add a charity component, but Doug is anti-giving to those in need, which is ridiculous. Here's my big problem with charity and the way that it's used online. It's used as a way to say, I'm better than you because I'm giving money to people. You hear that? Way better than you. You hear that? How, oh my God, so much better than you. I just don't think that that's cool. I think, frankly, if you want to help people, go for it. If you want to donate money to charity, go for it. But when you're using it as a way to try and make your name sound better or as a way to promote your match, I think that's bullshit. I also think many charities are horribly mismanaged. I don't really want to get down that road. But, of course, I'm not anti-helping people. That would be a pretty weird stance. And finally, he says, I take offense when poker media calls this a back and forth. How disingenuous. I have never made a video targeting this man. I've barely referenced him in the last four years while my name is on his lips constantly. Where is the evidence of a fourth in this case? There are plenty of examples of the fourth. Like, for example, what this person posted online with an image of all these different times that he's mentioned me over the years. The guy also always takes the side of anyone feuding with me because he just can't help himself. When Luke Schwartz trolls me on the internet, oh, it's hilarious. When Alec Torelli hides chips, I don't think hiding chips is a big deal at all. Not surprising there, by the way. There's also been a 
couple other instances. I've always been a big believer that if I'm going to use somebody's content, I reach out to them, just get permission. So a lot of people were thinking that I was responsible for getting GSN to pull videos. Well, I don't have a relationship with GSN. They've had a good conversation with my brother. You know, he's been watching some of the videos and brother's like, let me smash him. I'll break his fucking face in. A video was released a while back that took a snippet. One small snippet was taken completely out of context. I am not pro-rake. That is absurd. My favorite part of like one of the videos that he recently did was he said this. He said, actions speak louder than words. Doug's whole machine, his whole business model is to attack people to get clicks for his YouTube channel to transfer those into buy-ins for his like uh, – Okay, you know, this is the case for this is the case guys, they're both correct. Been long enough. Said my – Okay, it has been long enough. But uh, again, they're both correct. For sure, Doug Polk has gone after Negreanu far more than the reverse. Has Negranu just ignored him for the last four years and barely responded? No, that's not true either. Negranu has responded. He has mentioned him in places. I even believe he's probably shut out Doug Polk from certain opportunities. I believe that's happening too. So Negranu has not been just this guy who's trying, trying, trying to ignore it for four years and just finally can't be silent anymore. Negranu has punched back at him a good deal. Not as much as Doug Polk has been after him, but Negranu hasn't done nothing like he's kind of trying to imply peace but here's the deal we're going to play a heads up no limit match it's hard for me to imagine him winning i've won at 10 big blinds per hundred over my entire career mainly playing against the best people in the world people like sauce people like jungle people like harry potter it's a tough list of people that i've gone up against and i've won over that sample pretty significantly but here's the deal I've not played actively in a couple of years. And, of course, he really wants it to be like, cute, I'm a huge underdog, and that's probably fair, but I'm not exactly the sharpest my game's ever been right now. Really. Still, though, he does not have a lot of experience in this format, and while he can probably get a good amount better in a month or two, it's going to be hard to become a world-class player in order to win this challenge, which is what he's going to need to do in order to beat me. Frankly, the whole thing feels a little bit weird to me. Why would someone do this? Why would someone play at this high of stakes in a game that they seemingly have to be so much worse in? It doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Oh, well. It's going to be it for me, guys. I'll probably make some more content at some point. Maybe. Kind of oversaying what I'm going to do at this point because I can't seem to stick to it. But uh, I'll definitely do something at Upswing for this. You guys want to check that link in the description below. And that's going to be it. You know, really? All right. I've heard enough. Uh, I usually like Doug Polk's videos about this type of thing. I didn't really like this one very much. I, I think he kind of came off too sanctimonious. Uh, I, I think he wasn't being totally real and honest with everybody here about the situation. But nonetheless, I am looking forward to this match. It looks like it's really going to happen. The details still have not been hammered out. Someone who listens to the show said that they think that maybe that Daniel accepted this so it can be on GG Poker. Now, it can't be on GG Poker unless Doug leaves the country, which might be difficult right now because there's not a lot of countries right now that are accepting Americans traveling to. So I, I don't know how they're going to do that one. They, GG Poker is not allowed for U.S. players. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure where this is going to be or how they're going to do it or when they're going to do it. But at the moment, they're agreeing to this. In theory, there is some chance this is going to fall through. Just because they're saying they're going to do it doesn't mean it will. And uh, there, there could easily be reasons that this doesn't happen. It can be on either side, actually. I, I think more likely on Daniel's side he backs off of this if, if it does get backed off. But 
uh, or backed out, not backed off, but uh, it could be dug too. I, I don't put too much faith in this until we really, really have a date and venue nailed down, and then it's much harder for someone to back out. Right now, it's still in theory. I mean, like Daniel could tweet tomorrow, you know what? I decided I'm not giving Polk the attention. Screw him. Why should I play a game that, that uh, he's so much better in? What? Why am I even doing this? Uh, I realize this doesn't make any sense. I just accepted the challenge because I didn't want to make it look like I was afraid of, of playing him, but uh, this is stupid. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to give him what he wants. It could be something like that. Or maybe they're going to play. I hope they play. I'll watch it. If they play it, I will watch it. And of course, I will comment on it on this show after it occurs. That's all about Negreanu for the moment. Let's move on to our next topic. I want to tell you about Brad Booth, and he may be the next uh, tragic poker story that we have to tell. I hope not, but Brad Booth may be in some trouble. Brad Booth has not been heard from by anyone that's in poker in quite some time, and attempts to reach Brad Booth have failed. Brad Booth was best known for being a high-stakes poker pro and a successful one in the 2000s, and then falling upon hard times because of cheating on UB. He was one of the biggest victims on UB when uh, Russ Hamilton was looking at the cards and playing him and just destroying him, as you would expect, when someone could see all the whole cards. Brad never really got over that, and he's been a mess ever since. Now, to be honest, Brad Booth was always kind of an unstable character, and I'm not sure if his life would have been okay if this hadn't happened, but this definitely didn't help. Brad, later on took some criticism for taking loans and not paying people. He basically stiffed people out of a lot of money after this whole UB thing had happened several years later. And people are like, Brad, look, you spent so long going around complaining about how UB ripped you off and, and never paid you back properly. And then it turns out that you rip people off too later on. Like, how is that? So uh, this occurred in 2012 the controversy he was in. Uh, someone wrote a blog in uh, January or, or June 2012 entitled Poker Player Brad Booth Stole 28000 From Me. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's an eight-year-old story and it's not super relevant here, but it's just to give you some frame of reference. Brad really was going through a lot ever since this happened. Constantly broke, constantly in debt, constantly borrowing from people and not paying them back or misrepresenting how quickly he can pay people back and it turns out he can't. And a lot of bad stuff like that. And Brad hasn't denied it all. Like he's he's admitted that some of this has occurred. So the guy definitely has some demons. The guy definitely has some self control issues. The guy is one of those poker pros I was discussing before who cannot manage his life outside of poker. And that's for sure. But with all that said, that doesn't mean that uh, I want to see anything bad happen to him. We had him on uh, one of our previous shows, not on Poker Fraud Alert, but on the Donk Down show I was part of. Brad Booth was last seen in Reno. This information actually came from Adam Schwartz, who listens to this show. Adam Schwartz of the Dats Poker podcast that he does with Daniel Negreanu and Terrence Chan. Uh 
he said that nobody has known where Brad Booth has been since July 13th and that he was reported missing. It's not known what happened to him and where he is. Schwartz tweeted on August 3rd, just uh, three days ago, Brad Booth's friends are very worried for him. He was last seen in Reno July 13th when he told his roommate that he was going camping. If you have any information about Brad or his whereabouts, please tweet it at me. And the last place he was seen was the Grand Sierra Resort in Reno, which is a casino there. And since then, he has vanished. He supposedly told his roommates on July 13th he was going camping, but then they didn't see him take very much with him. They supposedly only saw him take one or, about like one or two days' worth of items. So this is not – it's not like he took a lot of supplies and just decided to be a mountain man for a while. What he took, he could not have used to survive since July 13th. So something weird is going on. Someone wrote back in response to Adam Schwartz, got a bad feeling about this. And I have to admit, this is not looking that great. Now, it's possible that he went camping and then just kind of went off the grid. He could just be flopping in some cheap motel somewhere or maybe even homeless and just doesn't want to talk to anybody. It's possible he'll pop back up. We've had other players go missing before and then they reappear. Remember Matt Marafiotti? Remember all his issues? I mean, he had major psychological problems. And then he vanished, and he was involved with a lot of shady characters. I mean, we really thought that he had been murdered. But no, he reappeared and he was fine. In fact, like I think Matt's credit cards weren't even used for like a long period of time. It was really suspicious what happened to him. I mean, I was really thinking it was a good chance he was dead. But no, he was not dead. He's still alive as far as I know. And at the time when we thought he was dead, he, he definitely reappeared after that. So I don't know what's going on uh, with 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 Brad Booth. Oh, by the way, the the one with the twenty eight thousand was actually written by Doug Polk when he wasn't as well known. I forgot about that. I'm seeing that in this article. <laughs> I said some guy wrote it. It turned out it was Doug Polk, who we just talked about extensively on the show. But that, it's funny when it was posted on my site, it wasn't even attributed to Polk because Polk was like not that well known then. Anyway. Uh, this still has not been solved. As far as I know, they have gotten no more information about this. There were some. Uh, there was a uh, missing persons report on him, and it says circumstances of disappearance. Brad Booth was last seen leaving the Grand Sierra Resort in a 2002 silver Toyota Tacoma truck, Nevada plates, 6:01 PMR. Brad told his roommate he was going camping. However, he took minimal items that would not sustain him for more than a day or two. So, who knows? Sometimes these will take a long time to figure out whether good or bad. If he's just not wanting to be in contact with anybody, then it may take a long time until someone finds him. And if he is dead and his body is somewhere that is hard to find, then we won't find that out for a while either. The time We'll find out either when he resurfaces or when a body is found or when such a long time passes that he's gone. And I'm talking about like a very long time. Like Marifiati was gone for 10 months and he resurfaced. So like a very long time passes and 
you'll have to assume he's not there anymore. Like, like, I don't know how long it would be, but I just, let's say like three years from now, no one's heard from him. I think there's a good chance that very good chance that he wouldn't be alive anymore if that can, if that were the case, but that'll be a long time till we know that. Hopefully he's okay. Um, if for some reason, when people say they're going camping, that is often the precursor to disappearing. And I'm not sure exactly why that's like that so often, but it's it's interesting this came up because I just posted, uh, totally unrelated to this, I just posted on my forum, on the Flying Stupidity section, you can go take a look, nothing to do with poker, this post I'm about to talk about. But there has been a series of disappearances in a small town kind of near Palm Springs, kind of near Casino Morongo in Southern California. Call, it's called Idlewild. And there are six disappearances in Idlewild and the surrounding areas since March. And I think five of the six have occurred since May. Five of the six are female. In fact, every one of them that occurred since May has been female. The only one was a male back in uh, March that was not female. So there's a lot of curiosity as to whether this is a serial killer at work. But some of these people who disappeared went off hiking. In fact, uh, one of them actually went hiking and said, it was a 41-year-old woman on June 15th, said she was going hiking with no destination. She was going to go hiking, and she'd never seen again. The male who disappeared in March went hiking. In fact, he was seen somewhere at a store near a hiking trail about five hours after he left, and then he was never seen again. His backpack was found later without him, his body was never found. It's been five and a half months. He's never been seen. So a lot of these had to do with hiking. Now all of them did. Like one woman in that in Idlewild just disappeared from her house. Her car was there. Her purse was there. Her phone was there. She just vanished. And others, it seemed like they were on their way out of Idlewild, or at least supposedly, and just never arrived to where they were going. In some cases, abandoned vehicles were found, but no body, and these women have not resurfaced. So uh, I don't know what's going on there, but I've heard a lot of these situations where somebody goes camping and doesn't make it out. Now, I can tell you in some cases what happens. In some cases, the person has an accident and dies and nobody's there to see it if they're by themselves. In some cases, they have some kind of health issue, sometimes brought on by them, brought on by their own actions, like doing drugs or whatever out, out in the nature. And if something happens to you, nobody sees it and nobody can do anything about it. Often there's no cell phone reception. So if something does happen to you, you can't tell anybody. Uh, sometimes people actually go to nature to die. I have a, I had a childhood friend who, uh, died that way in Yosemite. There was a guy I was friends with first in elementary school, and then we stopped being friends. Then we became friends again in high school. In high school, we weren't as good of friends as we were in elementary school, and then we kind of drifted away after that. So when he died, we were we hadn't talked in a long time. We didn't have a fight. like We, we were still on good terms. We just kind of drifted away from each other. But uh, this guy, uh, he didn't even have psychological issues when I knew him, but uh, he must have developed them shortly after that. But apparently through all his adult life, he was having uh, major issues with depression. But he loved Yosemite. He absolutely loved Yosemite. He, he knew it super well. He spent a lot of time there. That was one of his favorite places. It probably was the favorite place in the world for him. 
So one day he decided that he's going to commit suicide, but he wanted it to be in Yosemite. He basically wanted to become part of the land. He didn't say that, but it was clear that's what he did. So he he went into Yosemite, parked, and then hiked to an area that he knew that nobody would find him because he knew the place really well. So he knew a really remote area he'd go to, and then he took a lot of pills and killed himself. And then many, many months later, his like bones were found, but had... It had been so long that animals there had disturbed them. There wasn't much left of him, but it was clearly him. And uh, it was thought that this was not an accident because uh, he went, uh, he knew the place really well and he went to a really remote area that looked like he didn't want to be found. And he was, he had suffered with depression his entire adult life and had talked about wanting to kill himself before. And he loved Yosemite, so it was very clear what he did. He went he went there to become part of the thing that he really loved. And he did. That's that's what he became. He became part of Yosemite. But he went, quote, camping. And that's what happened to him. He said, that's what he said. He was going camping in Yosemite, and then he, uh, he disappeared. But it seemed like it was intentional. And there was no sign of, of foul play or violence. It, it really looked like that this was something he did to himself. So it's it's possible that Brad Booth did that. It's possible that he just sometimes people when they they go camping, it's it's kind of like they just want to get away from everything. So they're not always in a good mental state. They're not. A, sometimes they go there. Unlike unlike my friend who knew Yosemite super well and was an experienced camper. A lot of times, people who run out into nature to get away don't realize what they're getting into. They don't realize how how many supplies they really need. They don't realize that. Uh, uh, what you the, how cold it can get at night even in the summer sometimes they they don't realize uh, uh, they have to keep track of where they're going if they just wander they can get lost and nobody can hear them or find them and you can you can end up uh, dying there of uh, of uh, starvation or thirst or exposure or whatever so now I, I know right now it's it's summertime and uh, now Reno is is near uh, mountainous areas so it's still in fact, Reno is is high up itself. I don't know specifically where he was going to go camping, but in that Reno area, I mean, Lake Tahoe isn't that far from there. Lake Tahoe is about an hour away. I don't know if he's going to Lake Tahoe, but th- these there are places near Reno that get into the 30s at night, even in midsummer. So uh, it's possible he just showed up unprepared for camping. Something happened to him. Possible he did drugs out there. I don't know if he had a drug problem, but I, I'm just guessing things he could have done that uh, could have led to uh, an unintended uh, death. I hope that's not what happened. Uh, But I just have known so many cases where people go camping where when there's some kind of issue going on in their life and they they don't return. Camping or hiking, that is. Either one. Either one where you just go off by yourself into nature. A lot of times it doesn't end well. So many of these missing person stories start out with they said they're going hiking and they said they're going camping and it's always alone. In general, it's not all that safe to hike or camp alone because if something happens to you, no one's there to see it and no one can call for help. There was a death that I had reported on the show, I forgot the guy's name, but a well-known sports handicapper. Let me Google it right now. A sports handicapper who died on Mount Charleston. Uh, he, he fell. It turned out he fell off a cliff. Uh, but for a while it was thought maybe something happened to him because of his profession, uh, that maybe this was 
something sinister. Maybe somebody murdered him, but no, he, he just fell while doing a solo hiking uh, a day trip to Mount Charleston. And he died. It was just an accident, and it was someone. It was David Malinsky. That was his name. He was fifty-seven years old, and he was a uh, an experienced hiker. So, despite being an experienced hiker and knowing Mount Charleston well, he still slipped and fell off a cliff and died. And it was hard to find him. They spent a long time looking for him. This was two years ago, but they spent a long time looking for him, and they finally found him at Mount Charleston near uh, what's called Mummy Spring. And again, maybe if he was with somebody else, they could have gotten help for him. I don't know if he died on impact or if he uh, it's possible he fell and could have been saved if someone was there to see it. But in general, it's, it's not good to hike yourself, especially if you're female. If you're female, there's a whole additional set of dangers. But males have, are in danger too because uh, a lot of times, usually when, when someone who goes hiking or camping disappears and dies, it's not from foul play. It's from something that just occurs out there. And I'm, I'm hoping that Brad Booth is just off the grid. I'm hoping he just wants some time away from everybody and maybe even threw away his phone. Wants no way for anyone to reach him and just decide, hey, I'm going to go out and go camping for a while. Maybe he's done with that and went somewhere else and maybe he's homeless somewhere. Whatever it is. Anything besides uh, dead or close to dead would be good news. It's also possible that he never went camping or hiking and just said that and then went somewhere else, just what he wanted to get away. So it's too early to declare that something terrible has happened, but we do have to consider the possibility. So hopefully we will have uh, good news on that in the future. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also text that same number, 775-372-8355. We're going to move on to our next subject here. Kristen Bicknell. Do you know that name? You probably do. She is a very good player, very good tournament player. She has she had won two World Series of Poker bracelets prior to this year. Now she has three because she just won an online bracelet. Now, normally I wouldn't be covering this. I don't really cover who's winning bracelets unless it's really notable. I mean, congratulations to her that she's a great player, but that's not the type of thing I cover on this show. However, it was the ensuing controversy afterwards that got uh, some attention here that I want to talk about. So Kristen Bicknell is in a relationship and I think lives with Alex Foxen, who's another big poker pro. And uh, there was once even a controversy that they were playing three-handed and there was some suspicion they were soft-playing one another, which I think they were. I I don't think for the most part that these two are shady. I just think it was too tempting to not play each other super hard with a third guy there. I I understood the guy's complaints. But uh, aside from that, uh, Kristen has a good reputation there's definitely a lot of respect for her poker game. Uh, if anything, she is the best current female poker pro, at least tournament poker pro. I don't want to say poker pro. There's so many different forms of poker, and people are good at cash games, never get their due. But as far as tournament poker, she's probably the best female player right now. And that's saying a lot. And on an overall basis, she's a, a very good player, even ignoring her gender. If she were a male, she'd be considered a very good player. 
I mean, she's got three bracelets. I mean, that's, that speaks for itself. If you look at her other results, aside from the three bracelets, she's done very well. So, okay, very good. I think we can agree that Kristen uh, Bicknell is very good at tournament poker. But where the controversy came from was actually from something a troll said. And th- this is another case where it's it's better not to give the trolls attention. But I think in this case, uh, because the troll was given attention by somebody else, she had no choice. So she didn't bring this out as far as I know. I believe this is brought out uh, <clears throat> only by a friend of hers, Danielle Anderson, who we've, of course, talked about on this show recently. Danielle Anderson tweeted this on August 4th. She's got $5 million in live earnings, and these are the responses to Kristen Bicknell's WSOP online poker bracelet win. Kristen's probably too nice to care, but I want to punch something. Jesus fucking Christ. This is what uh, Danielle Anderson wrote. And she put a screenshot. So in the screenshot, Poker News, and what looks it looks like it's Instagram, wrote, uh, in case you missed it, Kristen Bicknell won her third WSOP bracelet. Congrats, Kristen, from all of us at Poker News. Then someone named Adventurous037 wrote, is there proof that it was her playing? Remember, it was an online event. And then someone wrote back, her previous two bracelets seemed like enough evidence to me. Well, then somebody else made a similar comment. Keyman1985 wrote, I wonder if Foxen was helping her and put a uh, an emoji of the rolling eyes. So you see what these two guys are saying. They're basically saying, yeah, she won a bracelet, and yeah, maybe she has two previous bracelets, but I don't know, this one, she probably had her boyfriend, Alex Foxen, helping her win. Maybe it wasn't even her. Maybe it wasn't even helping her. Maybe he just took over. Maybe he was playing the whole time, according to these guys. I'm not saying that. I don't believe that. But uh, these two guys, Adventurous037 and Keyman 1985 are putting out these questions. Now, I think these guys are either just kind of ignorant, or they're just trolling, or maybe both. Neither of these two guys are known in poker, as far as I know. These are basically nobodies. These are basically nobodies who follow PokerNews.com on what looks like Instagram and made some obnoxious comments. Okay, whatever. You know, like, as I said about Negranu before, if you're known in poker, you're going to get trolls saying bad things about you. Now, Kristen Bicknell, unlike Negranu, is nice and soft-spoken from what I've seen. And she does not put out controversial things like uh, Negranu does all the time. So she's not going to get as many trolls as Negranu. But yeah, you're going to get some trolls being a successful female poker player. In fact, maybe these guys wish that they were good poker players and they can't win. And they're kind of jealous. They're jealous of of the girl who's winning. So they want to find a reason to criticize her. And they... They jumped to that. I don't know if they meant what they said, but it doesn't really matter. What they said wasn't right. It wasn't appropriate, and it wasn't fair. I believe Kristen played for herself. Now, if I was asked, you know, since she's with Alex there, and she gets down to the final table, is it possible she talked with Alex about certain hands of, hey, you know, what do you think I should do here? I think I should do this. What's your opinion? Not like he's the better player and has to help her, but like, hey, there's another good player who lives with me. I want to get his advice because I really want to win this bracelet. Is it possible she was doing this? Yes. And if you think that that's not possible, then you're naive because uh, 
Um, people do this, and this is part of the reason I hate online events, is because uh, it's not just you never know who's playing, it's you never know who is playing in a team to uh, make decisions together. And that doesn't mean that the person whose account it is is bad or is incapable. It's just that uh, sometimes more people together can make a better decision than one because if the one person is making a decision that isn't optimal, then you know, a group of people maybe can uh, come to a consensus that is right a higher percentage of the time. And that's even true of great players. So, uh, yes, I'm not saying she did it, but if Alex was with her, which he probably was when this was going on, uh, I could easily see it where he didn't give any advice. Just not that, not that she needed it or that he was in control or that he was playing or he was telling her what to do, but just a second good poker pro is with me. Let's see what he thinks. Which, by the way, two dudes in the same room would probably also do. So this is not about, it's not about her gender. That's when I think about these online events and when I worry about this. Uh, I don't think about a woman having her boyfriend play with her. I, I think about dudes together who are just uh, uh, going to talk about hands, and, and, and if one's about to make a mistake, the other will go, no, 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 don't do that. And like that, that's what I don't want to see. I don't want to see a group of people making decisions where I'm the only one making the decision on my end. So it's possible that was occurring, but that's just a fact of the online WSOP, and there's also no way to know if it did or did not. But... Since there's no way to know, and since Kristen has great success in live events where this couldn't be happening, then for sure you don't have a right to question her bracelet win here. You don't have a right to say, I wonder if this is Alex playing for her. I wonder if Alex is helping her. If you're going to say that, you got to say that for anybody who's won an online bracelet. Which friends did they have over? Which relatives did they have with them? Which which uh, friends did they have on the phone? Like, uh, which friends did they have uh, through text that were helping them? Like the, There could be tons of people who got assistance or advice, or people getting together to make decisions as a group. You don't know. So you can say this about anyone who won an online bracelet, especially one who lives with somebody else who is also a very good player. Whether it's, no matter what their genders are, two dudes living together, two women living together, uh, a woman and a man living together, a group of people living together, this would apply to all of them. I would have the same concerns there. But that's what this series is. That's that's the online series. I've, I've voiced my objections before to that. But that has nothing to do with Kristen herself. Kristen chose to play it. She won it. There's no evidence that anything was done that was wrong. So that's all that should be said. That's really all that should be said. And then when I, when I heard she won, my mind, I promise you, I promise you my mind didn't go to, oh, I bet she was she was having Alex help her. Like, I didn't even think for a second about that. And I was very aware of the relationship. I've talked about it before on the show. I didn't think, I think, oh, good, good for her. Wow, she, she's doing really well these days. Wow, she, she may be the best female poker pro. That, okay, that, that's what I was thinking. That's honestly what I was thinking when I heard she won. And that's all you really should think. Because if you can think of anything else, you might as well just bash the entire series. If you're going to bash the entire series, at least you're being uh, consistent. So was there sexism at play here? Yes. Was there misogyny at play? Yeah, very possibly. Was it trolls? Yeah, very possibly. But rather than virtue signaling here, as I think that most or all of us can agree with this assessment, let's talk about what this really means. Because Danielle's 
tweet about this got 752 likes, 58 retweets, and 133 responses in less than three days at the time of this show. And there will probably be more by the time you listen to the show if you're not listening live. So why was there so much talk about what two idiotic trolls who nobody knows had to say? Why why was this an issue? Well, it's it's part of this narrative that this is misogyny in poker. This is not just two individual trolls saying something stupid. This is uh this is a symptom of massive misogyny and sexism in poker. And that's where I start to disagree. Now, these two individuals were engaging in sexism and misogyny. I can say that, unless they were just trolling for attention. But that does not mean that this is representative. Does it exist in poker where there are some men who resent and hate women? Yes. Do some men in poker have a sexist attitude toward women and look down upon female poker players? Yes, there are some who do. Are there as many who act this way and feel this way as is portrayed on social media? No. I sincerely doubt that. And that's what Marley was saying recently when she was arguing with Jamie Kerstetter on a previous episode of that Rake podcast. That's basically what Marley was saying. Was that She's like, I don't encounter this. I, I've been in poker. I don't encounter this. I don't, I don't get this from men. And uh, Jamie's saying, yeah, but you don't get this from men because you're young and attractive and they want to impress you. And yeah, I understand that point. But um, it's not like Kristen Bicknell's ugly. I mean, she she looks fine herself. Uh, I think that you're always going to have trolls. You're always going to have a few idiots making obnoxious comments. But that does not represent everybody or the community as a whole or men in the community as a whole. And I think this is being overblown. I think this should have been dismissed as, okay, look at these two idiots, and that's it. Now, Kristen did respond. Remember, this was brought up by Danielle, her friend. Uh, Kristen responded saying, nope, makes me want to punch them too, infuriating. Remember that uh, Danielle said she wanted to punch them. So um, that, of course, got some responses because, okay, wow, we got uh, uh, Kristen responding to this and giving her opinion. And uh, some, pe- some people commented on that. Everybody was pretty much positive. Like everyone was congratulating her and uh, telling her, stand your ground, don't worry about it. And I, I can't even find a single negative comment in there. Uh, Alex Foxen then pointed out that it was actually Kristen who was the better known player when they got together, that he was an unknown He said, I think the best part about it is that before we started dating, Chrissy had a long history of crushing and two bracelets. I was relatively unknown with no significant results. Sexism really is the only explanation. And she wrote back, can deal with haters. What's awful is seeing this misogyny exist within our industry. Media happily questions me about how Alex has, quote, helped me. Yet I don't think anyone ever had the nerve to ask Alex how a female may have helped him. Well, okay. I mean, I understand. I understand the point you're raising. I didn't know this either. I, I I didn't know who came first. I just kind of heard of them around the same time. The reason media asks this isn't because they're sexist, because that's usually what it is. They're like, how many cases do you know of, Kristen, where a very good male poker pro learned from a female poker pro who was good before he was? 
How many times? I'm not saying it's never happened other than you. I'm saying like, how often has this happened? Now, how many times has the female learned from the male? How many times has a guy gotten his girlfriend into poker and she turned out to be pretty good? That's happened a lot more. That's much more common. You may not want to admit it, but it's much more common. Now, there could be some good reasons for it, and I won't bother getting into them, but that's much more common. That's not saying anything bad about female poker pros. That's just saying that as far as which situation is more common of a, a female learning poker and becoming good through uh, teaching from her boyfriend or husband, or the male becoming good, being taught by his wife or girlfriend, the female being the one learning from the male is just much more common in poker. That's just the way it has been. That's not misogyny. It's not sexism to say that. That's the way it has actually been. Not all the time. Looks like your case was not that, but that's why the media has asked you those questions. Not because they're sexist or misogynist. And that's when you start to try to place a sinister motive upon everything everyone says and does and every question they ask, which is supposed to be innocent. That's where you start to get off the rails. And that's where you start to find reasons to be offended where really there should not be. Joey Ingram wrote, I read so many out-of-line comments on my YouTube and Twitter like a, a week. That is all that seems standard for my internet experience. People love to talk shit about everyone and anything. Yeah, well, that's true. You're right, Joey. That's a good point. People love to talk shit about everyone and everything. So yes, these were two people talking shit. Yes, maybe they were resentful that she was female and doing better than poker than they were. Yes, there are men like that. I never think that way. I just... There will be poker players that I wish I was doing as well as they were, or people with great tournament results that are better than mine, and I'll, I'll wish my results were theirs, and I'll be a little jealous. But it doesn't have to do with their gender. I don't think that differently of a male than female. In fact, I, I might do a little differently where I'm more jealous of the male because I identify more with the male because I'm more similar to him. There's been a phenomenon noticed, and it's not discussed very often, but in the workplace, females sometimes treat each other poorly. And you may say, well, males treat each other poorly sometimes in the workplace too. But it, it's been really noticed that uh, it happens a lot where women mistreat other women in the workplace more than they mistreat men. That women seem to be worse to each other than they are to men in the workplace. In fact, uh, I've heard a lot of women tell me that when they've been in the workplace, it hasn't been the men so much treating them badly. It's been the women. They've had some men treating them badly, but overall, the women treated them worse. And where I really heard this occurred a lot and I've heard this from multiple women, is that they tell me that when they were young, and, and especially if they were young and pretty, that the middle-aged women were the ones who treated them the worst because they assumed that the older, less attractive women were jealous of them and just took an instant dislike to them and just wanted to be nasty to them. And I've heard this from a lot of different women, including ones I, I really trust who went through this, ones who don't find reasons to call themselves victims or blame uh, other people that like very credible stories of, of older women mistreating them. Even stories from like a long time ago. Like I'll talk to women now that are my age that tell me that 20 years ago, this happened to them. If you talk to women who have worked in an office setting and ask them, they'll probably tell you, they probably have some stories like this too. But what about men? Well, there are some men who don't treat women well in the workplace, but when men don't treat other men well, I've noticed it's not so much jealousy over uh, being in a different place in life. So you don't see as much where the older man treats the younger, good-looking man badly because he's young and good-looking and the older man is jealous. You, you don't see that very often. Where I see it, and what I've seen from my own experience as a man, is that the males who have treated me the worst, the males who feel like they, they're most motivated to treat me the worst, 
are ones that are similar to me, ones that see themselves in me somewhat. We could be a similar age. We could be uh, in a, a similar place in life. We could have similar career path, whatever it is. Someone who can kind of see themselves in me. I even had it uh, playing blackjack that the pit bosses who were the most difficult on uh, trying to catch me and to kick me out were the guys who were my age. White guys my age were the worst ones. Why? I think because they saw it as like it was me versus them. Not so much a challenge, but like a competition. It's me who's their age. They see them like I'm in their peer group and I'm beating them if they don't catch me and boot me for card county. So they're most motivated, much more motivated than an older guy or a woman would be because uh, they feel a sense of competition means I'm similar to them. So what I've noticed, this is just my own observations. They've been proven in studies as far as I know, but my own observations is that men tend to have resentment and jealousy toward men that are similar to themselves. And women tend to be jealous of ones who aren't similar to themselves and they're afraid are better than them. So tying this back in here, people do talk shit to everyone about everything. There's a lot of shit being talked for men to each other for a different reason. If I want a bracelet, there'd probably be men who talk shit to me because they see themselves in me, but I'm the one who won the bracelet and they didn't. And they're jealous and, and they go off on me. A female, they, they would do it more from the standpoint of they're older or something about them that's different that they think uh, they might be inferior to her. And they're jealous of that. The bottom line is, I think there's too much credit being given to trolls. You have to watch out how much you read into it. And I think they're doing way too much reading into this whole thing. You can't take the comment from two randoms and say, oh, misogyny in poker. Either ignore it or just go, hey, you know, can you tell you know, this? this kind of, I don't blame Danielle for putting it out there and saying this is bullshit and then having people tell Kristen they support her. That's fine. But that's not why she put it out there. She put it out there as evidence of misogyny in poker. You can find evidence of anything, of any group, if you just point to a few bad actors. You can find a few bad actors in any group. You can find a few bad men. You can find a few bad black people, a few bad white people, a few bad Jews, a few bad Christians, a few bad straight people, a few bad gay people. If you judge them based upon the actions of a few, you judge a large group based upon the actions of a few, you're doing it wrong. And that's what's happening here. And you have to look at how often this happens. And with a very large group of people, if there's a few trolls in there, like, here's a question. How many people wrote supportive things to Kristen Bicknell, including men? Like, how many men wrote things to her that were very supportive about her winning, both before and after these trolls said this stuff? I'm sure those numbers dwarfed the comments of these two guys who accused her of having Alex help her. So if you have two guys making sexist comments and hundreds of guys telling her how great she is and congratulating her, what does that say about men in poker? They're awful and sexist or that most are very supportive? I mean, it's a numbers game. Come on. This is just, it's absurd. I I hate when people point to anecdotal evidence and say, this is proof of it. And I see this a lot in general, not just in poker. I've had this issue with the way police have been characterized recently. All cops are racist. So many racist police. No, there are some racist police, but most of them are not. 
And you can point to terrible incidents like the George Floyd killing. And that does not mean that the police are racist. It meant that one officer, or in that case, I guess, uh, one officer and and, uh, a few other officers who stood by and let it happen were bad. But it does not mean that uh, there's a major problem with racism in policing, even if there are a number of individual racist police officers throughout the country. And it's fine to say, let's get rid of the racist police. Let's find who the racist officers are and get them fired. But it is not okay to say, well, this is evidence that the police are racist. And here's here's 10 other incidents around the country where, where white police officers treated black men very badly. And that's proof racism is going on here. No. It's proof that it's existing, but not that it's widespread. And that's kind of how I feel about this whole thing about the misogyny of sexism and poker. I just don't think it's to the level that is being claimed. I think these are isolated incidents and that most men are pretty supportive and pretty good to women at the table. And in my many years in poker, I have seen women treated very well at the table. I just don't see it. I don't see women mistreated at the table in the games I've played. I don't see it happen when I play the World Series. I don't see it happen when I play at Commerce. I don't see what happens when I play the bike. I don't see it happen when I play at at, at Bellagio or anywhere else. Occasionally, yeah. But I also see men get mistreated at the table. I've been mistreated at the table. I've been mistreated at the table by men and women at various times. But I don't judge men or women as a whole based upon these bad experiences when I encounter someone who is a jerk, regardless of their gender. So uh, what I've seen is that uh, at the poker table, for the most part, uh, there really is not any kind of discrimination. Like, I don't see black people being mistreated in poker. I don't see women mistreated. I don't even see gay people being mistreated. When there's gay people at the table and people know they're gay, they're, they're treated like anybody else. I, I, I just don't see it. In, in my, not, not even just like in the last year or two. I mean, I, I think way back, just the, the disputes I've seen happening at the poker table have been over issues that were occurring that had nothing to do with the identity of the people who were arguing. It was just people not getting along. It was never about race or gender or sexual preference or anything like that. Just a matter of people not getting along and in some cases some people being uh, drunk and angry. Or should I say drunk and or angry. (laughs) Commerce, everybody's angry all the time. I just think it's overblown. And the other problem here is that People love to pat themselves on the back for speaking out against this. Like, how good do you feel when you come and say, oh, no, 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 Kristen, you're a great player. This, these people are idiots. You know, how dare these misogynists come out and say this? Uh, I support you. You're great. Stand up to them. Like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's nice to say, I guess, but you shouldn't feel great about yourself for saying it. It's just obvious. Like, you shouldn't feel good about yourself for saying the obvious thing. Or taking the obvious position. That doesn't make you a great person to take the super obvious position that any decent human being would take. That does not make you a great person. You should not pat yourself on the back. You should not virtue signal on Twitter because you feel that way. 
nor does it make you a better person to claim that there is a massive misogyny or sexism problem in poker that doesn't really exist and is only there occasionally. So I think it's overblown. I think it happens, but it's overblown. Anyway, good job, Kristen Bicknell, though. It's another bracelet for you. I'm impressed with her overall poker results. I do think she doesn't get enough credit from the standpoint of she should be like more poker famous with how she's done. I do think that. I don't think it's about misogyny. I just think it's just she's kind of newer on the scene and kind of low-key. That's the only injustice I see here. I just think she should be more poker famous. <laughs> That's pretty much it. But people know her. It's not, she's not an unknown. But if you think, like, if you ask, like, who's the best female tournament poker pro right now, like, most people aren't going to jump to that name. If you think about it, maybe, but, you like, most people aren't going to jump right to say that. Now, she does have a sponsorship with Party Poker, so it's not like nobody's acknowledging her. I just think some people are always looking to present the narrative that there's victimization going on. And they may have good motivations, like Danielle Anderson does this, but I, I really think that she believes she's doing the right thing and she believes she's calling out bad, like a systemic bad behavior in poker that she wants to see stopped. I don't think she's doing this uh, for her ego or anything. I really think she's earnest in what she's saying. I just don't think she's right. And I think she's too invested in wanting to prove this. So don't fall into that trap. It's it's much easier to go along with that narrative. It's much easier to say, oh yeah, terrible misogyny, terrible sexism in poker. Yep, that that's happening. Awful, awful, awful. Uh, I support you. Like, it's a lazy way out. It's a lazy, easy way out. Nobody's going to question you for saying that, and that's why it's lazy. What's not lazy is to look at it critically and then give your true opinion, whether it's going to be popular or not. But people don't like doing that anymore, do they? All right, let's move on to something else. I have a Prahlad Friedman update for you. Remember, I read you some tweets from Prahlad and from uh, his wife, Aida Leal. Remember all that? Remember, I was speculating that perhaps they have separated, that perhaps she's dating another man. But we didn't know for sure. There were just certain signs. She was writing things that she was, it seemed like she was very excited and in fact kind of heartbroken when she didn't get to see her man or be with her man. I just didn't think she was talking about Prahlad because it was a stable relationship. Now, stable meaning it was like a long relationship. That wasn't stable, but it was a long relationship. You just don't get that excited about the person you're with. No matter how happy your relationship is, after some time you, you lose that excitement factor and it seemed like she had the excitement factor and I thought this must be about somebody else, especially given everything else that was going on. But we didn't have confirmation. And in fact, Prahlad had been kind of quiet about it. Prahlad had not been bringing out his relationship drama to Twitter. So I wondered, I wondered what the truth was. Well, I think we got the truth. Prahlad Friedman, who still has me blocked, by the way, he tweeted out on August 2nd, something that made it look like that they actually were together. He tweeted out viral shit and put a fire emoji and then if you click on the link of, quote, viral shit, you got uh, some picture, which is no longer up anymore. But it was a, a picture of his wife, Ada Leal, in a bikini or some, some picture of her ass. So you, could, you could see most of her body naked in the picture. She wasn't naked, but she was mostly naked. So it was one of these, like, look how curvy my wife is wearing almost nothing 
pictures. Okay? So he just wrote viral shit with the fire emoji and then tweeted that out. That was on August 2nd. So that would sound like they're still together. That was after my last episode. My last episode was on July 31st. On August 2nd, after I had theorized they weren't together anymore, he tweets out viral shit with this uh, sexy picture of his wife. So, okay, maybe I was wrong. Or was I? Or was I? Seriously serious, who's always taken an interest in Prahlad Friedman. He even did that black and yellow song about him several years ago. Prahlad, uh, seriously serious, tweeted to Prahlad, you're still together? And Prahlad tweeted back on the same day. Nah, just supporting the baby mama. This picture deserves to go viral. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're still together is the question, and the answer is, nah, just supporting the baby mama. He actually put, nah, just supporting the BM. (laughs) I read that, I think, bowel movement. Nah, just supporting the bowel movement. That that would actually make make more sense than what he's doing here. So let me get this straight. This chick leaves him, or at least they're not together anymore. She humiliates him by posting a picture with a younger, more muscular dude kissing her and hugging her, and she's tweeting all these things about how much she misses being with him. Him meaning the new guy, not Prahlad, presumably. She didn't name it, but it it looked pretty obvious to me. And then his response is to tweet out a sexy picture of her and try to make it go viral. What? What? Does he have no shame? Like, why is that okay? Why? It's you know that's that's pretty nasty to do, honestly. When a relationship breaks up, to rub your ex's face in it and show, look who I'm with now. Look at this hot person I'm with now. I'm going to be fine. She even wrote something in in uh, Portuguese, which translated to, "I will be fine if we don't last," referring to Prahlad, presumably. So it's basically saying, look, look how well I'm doing without you. <laughs> uh, we, we may never get together, but uh, this is who I get to be with if I'm not with you. So no problem. That, that, that was the message she was putting out there. That's, that's pretty humiliating. I mean, wh- whatever meaning you take from it, there is a picture she tweeted out on like July 21st of her with a muscular dude, a muscular young dude around her age that was holding her and kissing her. Okay? So that's pretty humiliating to Prahlad, who is married to her even if they're separated now, and I presume they somewhat recently separated. And, as he mentioned, she's his BM, not bowel movement, but baby mama. So, why would you be okay with her doing this? And you can't control what she does, of course, but if she does, why why would you then promote her pictures to try to make it go viral and make her famous? Really strange. So my guess is this was a way to try to get her back. He's trying to show how much he appreciates her. He's trying to show that he's not bitter that she left and that she wa- he wants her back. But without directly saying it, he's like, uh, he's just trying to put this out and show he's trying to still help her. That he's going to be a great guy and try to help make her famous even after she's left him. But come on, have some pride here. I don't know the circumstances under which they split. It's possible it was all his fault or mostly his fault. I I have no idea. I said last week, which I still believe, they just weren't compatible. I don't think he was her type. I don't think she was ever that into him. I think that she was using him to try to break into music and get famous. 
And I think he was using her somewhat because uh, she was much younger than him and, and he was very attracted to her. And so he basically using her to have a, a young, hot girlfriend and then wife. And then uh, she was using him for uh, help with her career and neither really worked out. And I think she started to get frustrated that he wasn't really the type she wanted to be with. It seemed like her type was young, muscular black men. And okay, that's her type. And she's young herself. I mean, that's a better type for her than a middle-aged white guy. Prahlad really should go be with a woman his own age, or at least a a woman, if he's going to be with a younger woman, it should be with a younger woman who likes middle-aged white guys, because that's what he is. There are younger women who do like middle-aged white guys. In fact, if he moved to Las Vegas, uh, I don't think he's in Vegas, but if he were to move to Las Vegas, uh, there's plenty of them there. So, like, and there's women who are not white who like middle-aged white guys who are young. He doesn't want to be with someone who's white. Um, Prilat is virtue signaled before, by the way, about how he was dating someone who wasn't white. He was he was very proud of himself for that. In fact, he was implying that you're racist if you date your own race. <laughs> but whatever, you know, there's there's plenty of women he could date of whatever race that would legitimately like white men in their 40s. But... There's also many young women who do not. And she was one of them. It was very clear. It was very clear that she was not into the middle-aged white guy type. And uh, this marriage was doomed to fail. But you can have a marriage fail and still treat each other respectfully in public. And in private, hopefully. But especially in public. You don't go onto social media and do that. Especially right after you break up. If, If a long time later you want to show how happy you are, fine. But if you're doing it at a point where it's going to look like you're rubbing it into the other person, you don't do it. Like, let's say Benjamin's mom and I broke up. Um, and I was dating someone else new sometime relatively soon after that. I would not post pictures of me and the new girl. Because I would say, wait a minute, this this is disrespectful. This is disrespectful. This is looking like I'm rubbing it in. This is looking like I'm trying to show off, look at my new girlfriend, ha, ha, ha. Like, I, I wouldn't do that, and I would hope she would not do that to me with uh, a new man she was dating. Now, if if years down the road, uh, you're, you're posting a picture of the new person you're with, that's a different story, because that's it's so long after that that uh, it's clearly not trying to send a message. It's just basically saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm happy with this person. But, uh, like, right after you break up, when you post any picture with a new person on social media... Uh, that's often to rub it in. And if it isn't, it looks like it is. Now, she's young, and so it makes sense she's immature and does that, but um, I'm surprised Perlot has taken it all so well. He, it looks like he just wants to try to get her back. It looks like Twitter just changed something, by the way. Uh, Twitter did this annoying thing, which only started recently, where if someone has you blocked, you can't see their tweets when they're embedded on a forum or anywhere else, which is really annoying. <laughs> like, there's a difference between like browsing someone's tweet or seeing a tweet that is being shared in some other media and you can't see it. So it looks like they may have changed that back. So for a while, I, like for a few weeks, I couldn't see Prahlad's tweets anymore, anymore when they're embedded. But now I can again. So I think Twitter changed it back. Uh, another kind of funny exchange that I think that same picture she also posted. In fact, she did. This is the one he uh, that he retweeted, and 
some guy tried to ask something obnoxious. This is again where this is where she handled it well because like instead of getting offended, she just answered the guy straight out. So he she posts this picture again. She's hardly wearing anything. You can basically see her whole, her whole ass, her whole bare ass. And this guy named uh, Wiley's Burner. I don't know who he is, but he wrote back, "Do you do anal?" And she typed back, "No, lol." <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess I believe her. <laughs> She's like trying to show the the kind of curvy, big ass picture out there. So the guy says, "Hey, do you do anal?" She's like, "No." <laughs> she just answers him. Just, just straight out gives him the answer. That kind of just shuts it down, though, right? Like instead of acting offended or, or trying to avoid the question, she's like, "No, I don't." Like, what? Where does he go from there? That's actually a pretty smart response. Well, it looks like that's it. I don't think she's going back. I mean, it's possible she's going back, especially if it's for money or whatever, but I think it's pretty much done. I think I think she's checked out of it. I think she's just realized that she's not happy there. And what are they going to do about the kid? I would love to know the custody agreement. As much as I criticize Perlod, I don't see him as the deadbeat dad type. I don't think he just wants to abandon his daughter. I think that he wants to be in his daughter's life. I think he loves his daughter. I think he would want 50% custody at the very least. That's just my guess. He hasn't said anything about this. It's just my, From what I've seen of him, it seems like he would care about his daughter. There are some guys that would say, no, they're not going to care. They'll, they'll just run off. Perlod does not seem like that type. Uh, as far as Aida... I don't know. I could actually picture her running off. I could actually picture her saying, you know what? I want to leave this whole life behind. I want to go be the, the young party girl. I don't want to be weighed down by this baby. You know what, Prahlad? I know you care about the kid. I know you have money. This kid's not going to suffer with you. You take her. Have at it, Prahlad. Have fun. Have our daughter. Goodbye. Like, I could picture that. Maybe she won't do that. Maybe I'm misreading her. But I could picture that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Where I, I would be surprised if Prahlad left, which is the reverse of what will happen a lot of times in these situations where there's a baby and then the relationship breaks up pretty early. Much more often it's the dude who runs off. But in a few cases, it's reversed, and I think this could be one of them. But I wonder what they're doing right now because it looks like they're separated right now. It's possible they're still living in the same house. But if they're not living in the same house, like, who is taking care of the kid? It's got to be one of the two, but which which of the two is taking care of the kid more? Or is it 50-50? I don't know if she has it in her to want to be weighed down by this. I really think she just regrets the whole thing and wants to go back to being uh, young and free. Where Prahlad is more like, okay, like I'm happy having a family right now. So we will see. I, I think he won't be able to contain himself. But that, that's your update. He admitted that they're not together anymore. All righty. I'm going to move on here to our next topic, uh, a quick Jew tip of the week. American Airlines is doing something pretty nasty. American Airlines is... When you compare them to other airlines and their customer service, it's kind of interesting because there are two different ways you can judge a company with how they treat their customers. And a lot of people only do it based upon one thing, and they should really do it on two things. There is, number one, what are their standard policies? Are they customer-friendly, customer-hostile, or somewhere in between? And I'll explain what I mean in a second by that. And how do they handle when there's issues that deviate a bit from policy. 
how do they handle, handle customer service matters, basically. So I'll give you an example of a, a, of a company that is very customer friendly when it comes to standard policies and very customer hostile when it comes to customer service. And I'm talking about an airline here. Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines has a lot of very customer friendly policies. Southwest Airlines does a lot of things that the other airlines won't do. They have a lot of policies that are much more favorable for the customer than other airlines do in the U.S. And that leads a lot of people to believe that Southwest Airlines, with their better standard policies, is the customer-friendly company and that they treat their customers well. Unfortunately, that's not true. Because when it comes to anything that deviates even slightly from their stated policies... They are incredibly rigid, incredibly difficult, incredibly rude, incredibly nasty, incredibly inflexible, and people get screwed. So they have nice policies, but Lord help you if you need any exception made or any common sense decision made over something that's not specifically outlined in policy. It's going to go against you, and they're going to give you a big swift kick in the ass while they're doing it. And that happened to me. I'm not going to go into the story again. It's happened to other people I know. Southwest is a freaking disaster when it comes to customer service outside of their standard policy. And I've talked to a lot of people who've been through things like that with them, and they're shocked. They're like, but wait a minute. They're so they're so good to their customers. Like, no, they're not. They have policies which they established in advance which are – they seem customer-friendly – and they are more friendly on the surface than they are for other airlines in the U.S., but they're doing this not out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing this because they decided it's a good business decision to do this. But when it comes to actual customer service and dealing with customers and solving problems, they're horrible. And that's a very good example of that. American Airlines is actually opposite. American Airlines is very customer-hostile for the most part, with their standard policies. Their standard policies suck. But customer service-wise, I won't say they're great, but they can be semi-reasonable. I have had customer service things with American Airlines. One, one thing that sucks is you have to email them. You cannot bring up any customer service issue with them on the phone, which I hate. But if you do it through email, through their web form, actually, uh, you actually get a lot of times a decent resolution. And I've experienced that a few times in the last few years. And uh, I've never walked away like that unhappy. Like there's, it's been a mixture when, when I've, I've done it. And there's been, sometimes I feel like I was a little undercompensated. Other times I was overcompensated and I'm very happy with what they gave me. Uh, and, and other times I've gotten just kind of like right around what I was expecting. And it can be all kinds of different things. Uh, I, I won't get into the problems with the seats, uh, problems with the flight, problems with uh, something being super late. Um, Problems with uh, what they do when the, when a flight gets canceled and the flights they move me to, what I'm stuck with, and what they're going to do from that point for what they give me back. Stuff like that you can't avoid. I'm not, I'm not talking about being a jerk and complaining about every little thing. I mean, just basic airline stuff that happens that you've got to get some kind of resolution. So American Airlines is is decent with that. And if you ever do have an issue, I suggest you use their web form. And calling them will do no good. The, the people you can call are only reservations agents. They have no customer service power other than reservations themselves. But once you've taken the flight, there's nothing you can do by calling. But the, the web form, you'll get usually a decent response. Uh, Southwest, terrible. 
But as I was saying, American Airlines has kind of hostile standard policies. And one very hostile standard policy, especially in 2020, is the expiration of miles. So there's been a trend in the industry, a good trend, to stop making people's miles expire. It's stupid they should expire because you earn them. So who cares if you don't use them right away? That's how flying goes. Some people don't fly constantly. Some people will fly and then not fly again for a while. Sometimes you'll fly very actively for a while and then not fly for a while after that. And it used to be, at most airlines, they would take away all your miles in 18 months if you don't have any activity, which sucks because sometimes a year and a half passes, you don't travel. Now, yeah, I know there's ways to earn miles otherwise, but a lot of people don't. And uh, the, the year and a half can pass by without you knowing it. You can lose miles and it's really frustrating, especially if you had a lot of them. There are ways to get it back, but it's, it, it's sometimes difficult and expensive and uh, it, it's rarely easy. Delta, I'll give them credit. Delta was one of the first major U.S. airlines to say, we are not going to make the miles expire. And Delta miles stopped expiring some years ago. United, in 2019, keep in mind, nothing to do with COVID, in 2019 decided they are also going to stop making miles expire. So your United miles also do not have an expiration date anymore. American still had the 18-month expiration date of their miles. When COVID hit, they said, oh, yeah, nobody's going to travel. All right, well, we're not going to make your miles expire. Okay, great. June 30th came, which was what they said they're going to not make anyone's miles expire until, and then they were going to reevaluate. And then they quietly put the expiration back. So starting July 1st of 2020, your miles would expire once again if it had been 18 months. And by the way, during the period where it was not expiring, it's not like you got credit for those months. Just as soon as July 1st hit, if it had been 18 months since you had last had activity or more, then bang, your miles are gone. So I was aware of this, and in the middle of August of 2020, I knew that my miles, of which I have a lot, I have hundreds of thousands of miles, they were going to expire. And uh, I had a plan of what to do about it. I'll tell you what my plan was, and then I'll tell you about a better plan on how to keep your miles from expiring. So my plan was to use AA Dining. AA Dining is a free program you can sign up for through their website where you attach a credit card, any credit card. It doesn't have to be an American Airlines credit card. It's any credit card you have you can attach to AA Dining, and then they monitor that credit card. And if you use that credit card with any restaurant that's on the program, and there's tons of them throughout the country, you'll find one around you unless you're really in a remote area. You go to any AA Dining participating restaurant, Use that card you registered on there, and you will get some miles. Not a whole lot. I think like three miles per dollar spent. But what's good about this is that it will restart the clock. So even if you earn fewer than 10 miles, you could earn one mile. If you earn anything, then that restarts the clock. So I thought to myself, even though I'm not doing takeout, even though I don't go to restaurants anymore, I will go to a taco place that's near me that is on a dining. I will buy a single taco for takeout. Never have to walk in. I'll do it at the takeout window. And uh, I'll have to decide what to do with the taco. Like maybe I'll eat it. Maybe I will give it to my dog. I'm not sure. But the point is I'll go buy the taco, which is three bucks. And then I'll have saved my hundreds of thousands of American Airlines miles, which are worth several thousand dollars, by the way. So that was my plan. 
I went to go execute that plan a few days ago. And I did exactly what I just said. I went there. I ordered a $3 taco from the takeout window. They gave it to me. I paid with the credit card that was attached to AA Dining. And sure enough, I got the email saying that, uh, thank you for your purchase. Your miles are on the way. It takes a little while for them to post, but it doesn't matter because it's retroactive. So as long as you get the purchase in before the expiration date of your miles, then you're good. And I did, and I have proof of it. So I'm good. My miles are saved, and they will not expire until February 2022 because we're looking at 18 months. So is the saga over? No. There's actually a better way. And you may ask, what could be a better way than just going to a takeout restaurant near you and ordering the cheapest thing on the menu and then doing what you want with it? By the way, I ended up giving it to my dog. I decided I didn't want to take the chance. My dog enjoyed it, though. So what could be better than that? How could I do better than spending $3 on a taco to save my my hundreds of thousands of miles? Well, someone brought this up on Twitter. See, I was, I tweeted this out as a public service and I advised people to use AA dining. And one of my followers one upped me by giving an even better suggestion. This uh, follower, Alex Keating, who is a professional poker player who I once almost had on the show because he was having an issue with poker stars, which has since been resolved. So he never came on. But anyway, uh, he follows me as a result of that whole poker stars conversation. And uh, he brought up something that was very useful, better than my plan. I'll give Alex credit. Alex is at heads up goalie, by the way, at heads up goalie, exactly as it sounds on Twitter. Alex wrote another trick. Message them on Twitter and say whatever you want. Ask them to add one point, meaning one mile to your account They'll usually do it. So wait a minute here. That is a great, great idea. I never even thought of that. But boy, that's smart. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to buy a taco and give it to your dog. It's very simple. You just go on Twitter. You message American Airlines through the direct message system. And you say, hey, um, my miles are going to expire. Can you please give me one mile? And he said they usually will. Well, Mac Lance was fascinated by this, and he tried it, and he just wanted to see what would happen. And they they didn't give him the mile, but they told him the only reason they're not giving the mile is because he's had activity recently, so his miles aren't going to expire until like January 2022 anyway. But that they said that they would have done it for him. So it, it would work. It looks like it would work. Now, it does depend on which person you get. You could get an asshole there who just refuses to do it, but it looks like that they probably do. It looks like they've done it for Alex Keating before. It looks like they would have done it for Mac Lance if his uh, miles weren't going to expire in 17 months. And it looks like if it's coming fairly soon for you, they'll give you that one mile, which, by the way, is worth literally pennies. It's worth about two cents at most. And that'll save you for another 18 months because, remember, any activity posted the account save it for you and restarts the clock. So that single mile they add while worth almost nothing gives you another 18 months. So now I feel stupid for that taco. I mean, I could have sat at home. I didn't have to go to that takeout window. I did not have to waste $3 on a taco for my dog. I could have done this for free. I didn't have to do any of that. 
I should have tweeted this out before doing it instead of after doing it. I could have saved my miles for... Zero point zero. Zero point zero. Zero point zero. Zero point zero. Ah, so thank you, Alex Keating, for telling me about this, and I will definitely do this in 2022 if I need to, if I haven't used my miles then. Because who knows what the future holds with COVID and airplanes. But I'm passing it along to you guys. Just message AA on Twitter and ask them for one mile. Just one mile. But check your account. Make sure it's not expiring. I once almost lost my American miles. But I found that upon further examination that I had rented a car with Hertz on a previous trip I had taken and just uh, had not connected it to my American Airlines account. But I had really rented a car with Hertz, which at the time, I don't know if they still are, but at the time they were a partner of American Airlines. So that counted as activity. So my miles were down to zero. (laughs) And uh, I called up American Airlines. I'm like, so if I get Hertz to retroactively add this for my rental car, my one-day rental that I did in Halifax, Nova Scotia, if I get them to add this on there, then I will get uh, the miles back? And they said yes. So I called Hertz. It wasn't a simple process, but it wasn't super hard. It was just a little bit of a pain in the ass. But anyway, Hertz had to go research it because it had been a while, but they found that, yes, I rented a car on that date, and they, they I gave them my... American Airlines number and they gave it credit and I watched and it just auto posted back all my miles. If I had not done that one rental, that one one day rental in Halifax, by the way, this wasn't my trip from last year. This is years ago. Then I would have lost all my miles and it would have been a big pain to get them back and expensive too. Don't lose your miles. Just ask them to give you one mile. And if they won't, then you can go to the taco stand that is part of AA dining. Make sure to just look up in your area, which Restaurants are supported by AA Dining. Buy the cheapest thing, and that should save them. Make sure you save the receipt, though, until it posts, because just in case something happens, you want to have proof of it. So there's my Jew tip of the week for you. Do not let your miles expire. They have value. By the way, you know you you can use your miles to buy flights for other people. Do not ever transfer them to people, because that's a waste of them. You can use it to buy tickets for others. You do not have to buy them for yourself. So let's say your buddy wants to buy a $1,000 ticket and you can buy it with miles. You can buy it for him and he can pay you whatever you feel is fair for him to pay you for that ticket. And it's completely fine within their program. There's nothing in the AA program that prevents you from using your miles for somebody else's ticket. It just has to be you. You can't just give the miles to them, but you can purchase the ticket for them. Much like you can purchase a ticket for somebody else. That's why you can buy a plane ticket for your girlfriend without your girlfriend getting involved or your wife or your kid or whatever. You can you can buy plane tickets for other people just like you can use miles to buy tickets for other people. Let's move on to this weird story of the German reporter. And I say reporter very loosely because I don't think it really was one. The German reporter who showed up on 2 Plus 2 to claim that Phil Galfond and company had stolen 
thousands of dollars from a senior citizen. Now, you guys know I have been critical of of, of uh, Phil Galfon's Run It Once site. You guys know that. You guys know that I have had some unflattering things to say about the site. Not about Galfon himself, for the most part. I mean, I think he mismanaged it, but I, I think Galfon is a decent guy. But I've had some things to say about his site. But, look, I'm always honest and real on this show. And I'm not going to criticize something just because I have the chance to criticize it or pile on when someone else is criticizing. So if someone's going to say something unfair about Run It Once, I am going to be honest here and I'm going to call it out for what it really is. Well, this story I'm going to tell you, I don't believe the accusation. I'm going to tell you that straight out. And I'm not giving a lot away here because once you hear the accusation, it'll be pretty obvious to you that this is not the way the person is presenting it, nor are they presenting themselves honestly. A new account on 2 Plus 2 showed up named PFOTE88, P-F-O-T-E-88, PFOTE88. Hiya. My name is Laura, and I've been tasked to gather information for a German media outlet that is working on a segment considering uh, concerning Run It Once Poker. It revolves around the poker site creating an account for a retired widow and withdrawing several thousand dollars from her bank over a few months. Look what you just wrote. It revolves the site creating an account. Not someone created an account on the site. The site created an account and withdrew from her bank account. Can you picture Phil Galfon doing that? Can you picture Phil Galfon just going, yeah, you know what? You know what will make us some more money? You know, we're kind of struggling. We're kind of not doing very well here. I know a new source of income. Let's just create phony accounts under the names of old women and withdraw from their bank account. Devious plan. Perfect. We'll get away with it. <laughs> no. No chance that Phil Galfon did this or anyone working for him. So this PFOTE goes on to write, The forum comes up several times in online searches for Run It Once Poker, and my hope is to find a former employee of theirs or another poker site who can tell me if there's any safeguards in place to identify atypical accounts or transactions. Would the account creation for someone in the above demographic typically cause any red flags to go up? How thorough is the verification process in, in actuality aside from requesting copies of ID documents? Is it just a matter of being able to check off the receipt of documents, or does someone really carefully look over the documents, account information, and account behavior to try to identify potential fraud? Does an account for someone over a certain age attract additional scrutiny, in this case someone over the age of 70? I have found several underage account topics and examples of that, and that is, of course, due to legal and regulatory concerns, but nothing about other unusual accounts. The site has been asked to provide information about their player demographic and answer more specific questions, but has not done so. If you have any first-hand experience as an employee or as someone that has been in the field for a certain amount of time and have relevant insights, I would love to hear from you. Please email me at infolaurag1 at protonmail.com. All right. First of all, protonmail.com is like it's used by a lot of spammers for throwaway email. It's it's a it's kind of a, a poor man's version of Gmail. Protonmail.com. Would a German reporter be using Proton Mail to get this? Like, why why is it Info Laura G one? Why isn't it Laura at whatever the the publication is? So that that's already the first red flag. But that's 
not necessarily conclusive because you know, some people use Proton Mail legitimately. It could just be a freelance reporter or something. But let's look at this again here. This person says they work for a quote Germ- a German media outlet. They won't say what it is. They won't even give their full name. They're just Laura from German media. Okay, whenever they're non-specific like this, why, why the secrecy? Why can't they say who they work for? Why can't they say we're we're doing a, a report for this publication? Or if they don't want to say the publication, why can't they say their name? My name is Laura such and such. I'm uh, a reporter for a German outlet. No, they're just Laura. This person also is very knowledgeable about online poker. About the typical age of players on there. Um, it, whether they look over documents, account information, and account behavior. Like, you have to know a lot about online poker to know that you would look for these things. But let's think about what's most likely here. First of all, it's laughable that they think that they can just demand demographics from Phil Galfond and he's going to just give it up. Like, give us the demographics of your players in your site. Why does he have to do that? He's not obligated to give away the demographics. That's company private. He can, but he doesn't have to. You can't expect that. You can't just make companies give away the, the stats of who they're attracting. Uh, it's, it's, I don't care if you're media or not. You can't just demand that. You can ask, but you can't demand it. And the company's not unreasonable if they won't provide it. Well, Phil responded because Phil clearly doesn't want it implied by anybody that they're ripping people off, which I don't think they are. So he, he responded because he's trying to protect the company's reputation, and rightfully so. He wrote, Hi, Laura. I'm the founder of Run It Once Poker. Our managing d- director, who is also responsible for fraud detection, will reach out to you at the email address you shared, but I wanted to respond to a couple things myself. It sounds like you're alleging that we created the account ourselves and deposited into it with stolen card information. It does sound like that. It's unclear if you meant it this way because you go on to ask questions about our account verification and fraud detection processes. So I want to make sure to make clear for those reading that what you're investigating is whether or not a woman was a victim of credit card fraud by a third party rather than theft by us, correct? I'd appreciate it if you clarify that. I've spoken with our team. Nothing about this account's activity followed any fraud patterns. If someone besides this woman was playing, please explain to her that it was almost surely someone close to her and that she needs to contact the police because her card is being used fraudulently. Our team has already explained this to her, but she seemed to ignore it. Perhaps she will listen to you. The person in control of the account apparently intended to continue using the card. A payout attempt was even made to the card. Hmm. If this wasn't her, please make her aware that her personal information can still be used fraudulently outside of run at once, even if the card is blocked. I hope you're able to figure out what happened. Take care, Phil. It's a good response. Uh, they went back and forth, and uh, I think PFO responded one more time. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth among people on 2 plus 2, a lot of stupid comments, as is often the case on 2 plus 2. Uh, a lot of smart comments, and people immediately saying, I don't think this is a real reporter. I think this is probably the person who used her account. I think this is probably a relative of the old woman who's now trying to make excuses for why they lost money on their mother or grandmother's account, which I think there's a good chance of that, that this PFOAT is not really a reporter. Anyway, this is what PFOAT said back. They, they only made two posts and then disappeared, and it's been now five days since their last post. They wrote, Hiya, Phil. I could have been more concise in the sentence you quoted regarding the account opening, so my apologies. I'm not suggesting your company created the account without third-party input to benefit directly from the stolen funds. Nonetheless, an account was opened for someone who, after consideration of several factors, is clearly a victim here. It's highly implausible, and in some instances, essentially impossible, that these transactions were initiated by her. By the way, I don't fully believe this. I think she was implying that the company did it to get their attention. Uh, and then... Uh, 
once Phil responded, like, oh, no, 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 I didn't really mean that. The woman is a retiree of over 70 years of age, and we are curious about how many individuals in that demographic you have as customers to where this account would not raise any red flags. The question we asked her was to relate to your team was because it wasn't something we initially wanted to get involved with, but she never received a response, so here we are. She did not ignore you. It is your team that failed to respond to additional follow-up questions from her. I did receive some additional information from others, but have not had anyone in your team reach out to me as of yet. I look forward to hearing from your side prior to us moving forward with this. Best regards, Laura. Moving forward with this, what does she mean? What are they going to (laughs) do? Moving forward with this. First of all, this is supposed to be a reporter. This isn't an attorney. It's not like, hey, hey, Phil, make it right for my elderly client. We're going to move forward and sue you. This is supposed to be an impartial reporter. This person, doesn't this person seem very emotionally invested in this? Like, this isn't just someone seeking info. This is someone who's pressing pretty hard and definitely has an agenda. So here's what I believe. First of all, I do believe that an elderly woman probably had her credit card used and the person on the account playing on run at once was not the elderly woman. It's possible it was an elderly woman with a gambling problem who now claims it wasn't her, but I don't think so. I think it was probably someone, as Phil said, close to her, maybe a son, maybe a daughter, maybe a grandkid, maybe a niece or nephew, someone who had access to this old woman's credit card and maybe they had intended to win and then put the money back and then make an excuse later to her if she ever sees it on the statement like uh like oh i I guess they must have seen it as a mistake and refunded it back in fact maybe that's what the payout request was maybe it was an attempt to try to put the money back on there um whatever it was the person had some kind of plan or some kind of degenerate who wanted to play online poker and didn't have the funds themselves and knew this old woman that they had access to their info did have the funds and of course if they're close to this person they have access to their id they have access to their credit card they just got to wait till uh, granny goes to sleep takes a nap during the day and grab her id and credit card and and sign up an account and then uh, send in the documentation so i believe that probably happened I believe this probably this person probably lost. Uh, I think maybe at one point they tried to do a payout request. Uh, I, I'm thinking maybe they won some at first and then did a payout request and then they lost after that and canceled the payout request. And then uh, I'm just guessing here by what Phil said. He said they initiated a payout request, not that they got a payout. So I'm thinking maybe it was initiated and then canceled. It looks like a degenerate who basically lost thousands of dollars on granny's card and obviously granny's going to get the statement and is will be unhappy about it so the problem is what's going to happen if you've stolen your grandma's card or your aunt's card whatever you some old woman who lives with you or you have access to her stuff and you play online poker with it and then she gets it and she sees that this happened what's she going to do well she may call the police or she may call the credit card company and they'll call the police So maybe you're worried about this. Maybe you're worried that they're going to investigate and figure out it was you and that you've committed credit card fraud and you're going to go to jail. So what do you tell Granny then? You tell her that it looks like the site did this and that you'll take care of it, that uh, you're familiar with these sites and that uh, you will approach them and get them to make it right for you, that uh, rather than go to the police, the the police probably won't do anything, probably won't get the money back. Let's just go to the site directly and get get the money back. So then the person thinks, 
well, how do I approach the site? I can't say, hey, uh, I'm the person who stole my granny's card and I lost thousands on your site. Can you give it back, please? That's not going to work. So what do you do? Well, you could approach them and say, hey, I'm the relative of this person and their card was stolen, but then you're going to get the tough questions. Okay, well, then how did the person get granny's info? How are they getting these ID documents? And there's going to be tremendous suspicion on you again. I know. Why don't I become a reporter who's just taken an interest in this story? And now this reporter is demanding that they answer as to why they didn't try harder to verify this was really an old woman playing. And if they don't return the money, then you will threaten to humiliate them in the media. Of course, the media that you really are not part of, but the media nonetheless. So you take that approach and figure that that, uh, your best option is to, first you try to complain as her to get the money back. You you complain as the the elderly woman. And then when run at once wouldn't cooperate and give the money back, then you create this account on two plus two to try to make it look like it's going to be a publicity nightmare. That's really what it looks like happened here. I really would be shocked if PFOAT 88 was not either the person who did it or a relative of the person who did it who was tricked into going to bat for them. So it's possible the person who did it convinced this third party to contact them and say they're a reporter saying, oh, wow, I know what this is. I, I know these online poker sites. Oh, they do shady things. You've, you've got to approach them and say you're a reporter and scare them into bad publicity. They'll get the money back. Like they, they could have referred this to somebody else. It could even be someone, a re- relative who knows what happened and is trying to rectify the situation. Like, let's say, let, let's say it was a nephew. Let's say it was a 20 year old nephew who did this. And let's say, uh, uh, I guess the nephew would probably be the nephew would probably be older than twenty. Let's say a uh, whatever. Let's say a grandkid. Let's say a grandkid of, of of the woman did this, and then they don't want to get the grandkid in trouble. So then the parent of this grandkid, who's maybe forty five, says, "Okay, I'm going to take this over, even though I know my kid was no good and took took uh, my mom's credit card. Uh, I'm going to rescue my kid, and I'm going to." come up with this reporter story and try to scare them into giving the money back. It could be any of these things, but whoever's doing it, it very likely knows what the truth is and that, and they know who really did it and they're very close to who did it and maybe they are the person who did it and that's most likely. One thing is that they're definitely not a German reporter. They definitely have a strong emotional connection to this. You can tell by reading these two posts they gave up after they were not getting a positive response. They they thought everyone's going to jump on and go, oh my God, Phil, how could you have done this? Oh my God, you got to give this old woman the money back. This is so awful. And there wasn't support. People just bashed them and said that they were full of crap. There were some people that were saying that it's it's not fair to tell this person they're not a reporter. You can't jump to these conclusions, which is stupid. I, I've always hated the, you can't prove the person online is lying. So therefore, you can't say it. Well, you can't prove a negative. Um, I could go on a forum. I could just pick a random forum and start posting that I'm a billionaire. Not identify myself. Just just post anonymously, say I'm a billionaire, identify as a billionaire, constantly brag about my billions of dollars. And if anybody questions it, say, no, you have no right to question me. Prove that I don't have billions of dollars. Prove it. Well, without knowing who I am, they can't disprove it. 
So the correct answer would be, since I'm the one making the claim that is hard to believe, in this case that I'm a billionaire, I need to prove it. And if I won't prove it, then you should just not believe me because my claim is hard to swallow. Now, if I post it on there, hey, I have uh, $150,000 in savings, that wouldn't really need proof because that wouldn't be anything outlandish or hard to believe, even not knowing who I am. If just someone shows up and says they have 150 k in savings, uh, that doesn't mean it's true, but it's not an outlandish claim that uh, you'd have to demand proof. But but someone saying they're a billionaire, you, you can't say just because you can't disprove it that you don't have a right to question them or call them a liar. Of course you do. You use common sense, and if something there seems like a claim that is unlikely, then the burden is on the one making the claim. That's the way it works. That is the way it works. So this PFO, who claims to be this German reporter who won't identify her full name or what she works for, uh, and that is emotionally involved in this situation with the old woman getting her credit card stolen, the burden is on her to prove she's a German reporter. Otherwise, it's safe to assume she is not. Uh, so anyway, I think it's uh, very likely that the person who did it <laughs> is the German reporter. However, there is one thing to be learned here, and I hope Phil learned it. There is a teaching moment here for Mr. Galfond and other poker site operators. The fake German reporter did bring up one good point, that they should put more scrutiny upon accounts that are unusual. So if somebody signs up an account of a very elderly person, even not very elderly, let's just say over 65, someone who's not a typical online poker player, even in the age of COVID, there just are not many online poker players over 65. So if someone signs up who's over 65, there should be a much more stringent uh, verification process to make sure it is really that person. And that's not being ageist. It's not discrimination. It is risk assessment. And if you notice that a very tiny percentage of your players are that age and that a high percentage of players that do sign up that claim to be that age turn out to be fraud, then you do have a right to request more verification when something follows a pattern of fraud. Requesting verification is not something that is discriminatory. It is only discriminatory when uh, you are denying something based upon someone's demographic. So if they just say, nobody over 65 allowed, that would be discriminatory. But when you have a pattern where most accounts or a, a much larger percentage of accounts of people over 65 are fraudulent than people who are under 65 – then that's totally fine to do additional verification. And in fact, you can defend it by saying we're trying to prevent old people from getting ripped off because we're seeing that usually people signing up for the site who claim to be old are actually stealing from old people. And we don't want this to happen to these old people. So we are going to do more stringent verification than someone signing up who's 30. And that's completely fine. That is completely fine. And that's they should do that. They should not treat all accounts equally. So when an account shows up, I'm not talking about one that ver- that deposits $10. I'm talking about one that deposits thousands of dollars as this account did. There should be some red flag that goes up in the system that will not allow further deposits until they can see if this person is who they say they are. And way before it gets to thousands, like, like once they get past a hundred bucks, say, whoa, 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 hang on. We need to do additional verification. And they don't have to say why. They don't have to say, we're doing additional verification because you're old. Just... We've, we've detected some suspicious activity. Please do such and such. 
to prove this is you. What things could they do? Uh, it could be as simple as the person holding up a piece of paper stating that uh, they give permission to the site to withdraw from their credit card. It could be the person taking a, a video phone call, like a FaceTime call or some other a Zoom call, something like that, agreeing to take some form of a video phone call and that the face on the video has to match the face on the ID. It could be uh, a notarized document of some kind that this person agrees that they can play on the site. Yes, this can dissuade some people from playing, but whatever it is, they can come up with it. This is not my site. But you should have an additional level of scrutiny for senior citizens signing up for online poker if you're noticing that uh, there are not very many senior citizens, and therefore it's much more likely it'll be fraud when you get one for exactly this reason, because... Number one, there's people who can access the credit cards and IDs of elderly relatives. And number two, the elderly are sometimes even tricked into providing these documents to third parties, which I don't think happened here, or otherwise they would have just gone to the police. But you've got to protect the elderly, and you've got to protect your site from people exploiting the elderly. So I hope Galfon learned from this, because it looks like they just treated it like any other account, and then we have the situation here. Caller, you are on the air. Hey, Dross. How you doing? It's Jeff Dime. Hello, Jeff Dime. I see you've been active on uh, YouTube. Jeff Dime has a YouTube channel where he's been uh, like uh, like Kevin Davis, but in a, kind of a different format. He's been exposing Christopher Mitchell, the uh, Baccarat scammer. Yeah, I have a little bit of a different style, you know, than uh, you do. KD. And, uh, <laughs> I figured, uh, I figured it would be useful I mean, selfishly, you know, I haven't had much to do, so it was nice to just get something going. And uh, you know what? It's it's been a little. It's been it's been rewarding. It's been a rewarding process. Uh, I got to be honest with you. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for the plug there, Jeff. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, look, it can be fun to expose scammers. I've sometimes had fun exposing them and, uh, and, and alerting everyone to what they're doing. And sometimes I'll even just picture the scammer, like, reading my post or listening to my show and just getting frustrated and pounding the table going, damn it, I wish you wouldn't be saying this. Like, it's, uh, it's satisfying because you know you're, you're doing a good thing. You, you know, you're, this isn't like, see, I'm not a big person. I'm not a believer in virtue signaling, but when you actually do something that can have a tangible result, and that is people not falling for scams and not losing money to criminals, then you're having a tangible effect and, uh, and you're aggravating someone who's a bad person. So it's, it's all a positive. So, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry, go I on. guess it was good, you know, when he, when he finally, you know, he had that tirade where he was like, and this douchebag, Jeff Stein, I've never heard, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm not a public person. So it was kind of weird. Like, I'm, you know, first I'm 39 years old and I'm watching a YouTube video and I got this, this absolute clown, you know, Christopher Mitchell, you know, saying this, this douche, douchebag, Jeff Dime, you know, it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it, it didn't bother me. It was just kind of like trippy hearing it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. He, he follows um, all of this. He follows my forum. He won't admit it, but he follows my forum. He, he follows all these videos. He follows yours. He follows Kevin's. He, he, he follows all this stuff that talks about him 
uh, and, and he obsesses over it and he gets really frustrated and he hates it and he, he tries to keep his composure and then every once in a while he just flips out and starts going off on his channel about how pissed off he is. And he, and, I, those, those are the best. Those are the best videos. And, and, and then you also see like he'll, he'll address something brought up on, on my forum. Like the, the day after something's made fun of, then he'll address it on his uh, video and just say, oh, some people are saying this. And yeah, but he, he claims not to even know what my forum is. It's so funny. I think he doesn't even bring me up. Like he's, he's only mentioned me that one time when someone else mentioned me and he pretended not to know who I was. But uh, I think he doesn't bring me up because he doesn't want people Googling me. And seeing that that I have a World Series of Poker bracelet and that I have almost a million dollars yeah, in tournament I, caches, like he, yeah. and I, I have a, a poker fraud alert site. Like I don't think he wants someone with that uh, level of credibility calling his thing a scam. So he doesn't want to alert people to my existence. That's what I think. Yeah, I mean, little old Jeff Dime over here, you know, just uh, <laughs> a little bit of a late bloomer here to YouTube. I mean, that's why. I mean, I, you know, I. I'm glad I actually, I am getting mostly positive feedback. I got to be honest with you. I, I'm actually, it's, it's, I'm pretty surprised by it because technologically, um, you know, I'm, I'm just not there. And maybe it's because on every video I, I show my insecurities and I'm like, I'm sorry about the production value guys, but I just want my voice to be heard. And, you know, <laughs> um, it, you know, I, it's funny because like the last video that I made, I have one dislike on it, right? And, and it's a Christopher Mitchell burner account, you know, because I know, because I got the comment, you know, you know, Jeff Dime, you're a D-bag, he's not a scammer, then I get the... So not only is YouTube, and I know it's a whole long story, you know, the whole, the fake subscribers, the fake this and that, but like even the one dislike I get on my video, is, is, is bullshit. It's a burner, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's been fun getting through the, the quarantine and I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, I might end up, you know, turning that channel into something else. Obviously I'm not going to dedicate my life to it. Um, but it's, it's helped me get through quarantine and, you know, and, and, the, and the thread's been fun most of the, most of the time, Jeff, you know, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty big thread, people. You go, you go take a look at the thread, guys. You want to see it. It's a long thread now on, on the scam scandals and shadiness forum. I think it may be the longest thread on that forum, on that section of the forum. It's like, I think, 58 pages now. And a lot of people signed up to the site uh, just because of this, to, to comment on this. So yeah. it's brought a lot of people together. You know, I'm, I'm glad, you know, I'm, that, that's one thing that I'm glad, uh, I'm glad about, uh, you know, what I, when I first, cause I, you know, I was never a forum guy. So like when you, you, you referenced like uh, this, the two plus two thread, I am a PFA exclusive forum member. I will, I don't read the other forums. So everything I get, you know, if, if you mentioned this on this, it's secondhand. And I just, I just, I just take your word for it. So like when you're talking about Phil Galfon here, and by the way, am I coming through okay on these headsets? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, yeah. When you're, you know, when you're mentioning, uh, the two plus two thread with, uh, Phil Galfon, first off, you know what? At, at least Galfon's getting some press here because the Galfon challenge has been basically completely buried. Uh, and now with the Negreanu poke thing, uh, you know, I, I, I don't hear much of it when I go on Twitter. It just, it, it's kind of lost all its juice. Um, so, 
some somebody using granny's credit cards you know, it's kind of all he's got, you know, I mean, at least in some press, right? I mean, yeah, I, I was just kind of irritated in that thread. I was irritated that, that some people were just mad at the others for saying that reporter was fake. Like this, come on, it's fake. It's obvious it's fake. Just call it out for what it is. And if the person is real, then they'll prove it. If, if not, F them. Like you can't, you can't be afraid you, you, to say those things. You made, you made a, uh, you made a great analogy with the billionaire thing. And, you know, some people will go on the, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Okay, like, if we're going to go by that kind of standard, you know, we, we can't speculate on anything. You know, we can't use common sense. We can't use our brains. I mean, what, what the hell's the point? Yeah, you can't prove it. You can't. You can't prove a negative, especially a negative that's being presented by an anonymous person online. So they, the the anonymous person online has to prove what they're saying if it seems like what they're saying uh, may not be true or, or probably isn't true. Anyway, uh, Jeff, uh, was there any other reason you called up? I I kind of hijacked it to talk about Christopher Mitchell. Oh no, no. Well, actually, um, I didn't know if you were transitioning to the coronavirus discussion. Yeah. I think I am. I actually think if if that's what you want to talk about, I think that is the, yeah, that's the next thing up. We have three topics left well, and that's one of them. Well, I did want to say this. So, I have um my my grandmother is sick, you know, she's old, she's uh she's in home hospice and my mother lives down in Florida and I've been stuck in in New York. Um so my mother wants, you know, she she wants to come up and see my grandmother obviously. Um, so that's why I'm up this early this morning in New York, because I got to clean this place that I haven't cleaned in like five months. <laughs> um, you know, not thoroughly. Um, but, um, yeah, she has to do a mandatory cause she's flying from Florida, mandatory 14 day quarantine before she can tech, you know, she follows the rules before she can technically go see her mother and the mayor has actually set up these checkpoints, you know, because so many people are breaking, you know, the quarantine rules. I believe Cuomo's now up to it here in New York. If you travel in from, I think, 34 states, there's this two-week mandatory quarantine, and they have these tracers that follow you, and uh, you can get up to, I think, a $10,000 fine. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody's gotten that. Um but I mean, I want to say on that, uh, I, I I think that that's a little bit of an overreach. You know, I I think they've gone a little bit too far. I understand protecting the population, and somebody like my mother, she's going to follow that to a T. You know, and um, yeah, I, I I think I think they're just being a little bit too strict about it here in New York. Yeah, I never, uh, that, I never seen anything like this before. I never thought I would actually see the day that states would start restricting travel in any way uh, between each other. It's always been that uh, the U.S. you can freely move between states. The only exception being if you're uh, you have some kind of uh, situation where you're on an ankle monitor and uh, they've let you out of prison early, and the agreement you have with being released early is that you can't leave the state. Like Something like that makes sense. But aside from that, if, if it's not a criminal matter, you've always had the right to travel between states without having to justify why. You don't. Have, there's no checkpoints. You don't have to say why. You can just say, because I feel like it, 
and and there's no restriction. That's that's been the way it's been for my entire life, and for uh, I, I don't know when this last was, if ever, in American history that you could not. So I mean, they, they actually are setting up because you know because obviously you can drive up. You know, she's filling. She you know she's flying. I'm picking her up at LaGuardia. She's got to fill out like a film, like a a form, like she's coming in through customs, you know? So now they've set up, (laughs) yeah, now they've set up these, these, yeah, these, these, these roadblocks, you know, as you enter uh, different boroughs uh, of the city, Um, it kind of has like a martial law type feel to it, you know? And, and obviously I, I, I'm on the side of, you know, being pretty cautious. I'm diabetic. Uh, you know, I, I did go to the Borgata last week for two days when it just opened, and I still feel guilty about it. But luckily, I haven't shown any symptoms. Well, that's, that's, that's good. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend doing that, but you uh, at least it looks like enough time has passed to where it's not sure, but it's likely you didn't get it. Or if you got it, you don't have symptoms. I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why I did it, Trump, and it's completely selfish. It's like just a mental health thing. I need it. I just, I selfishly was like, you know what? They're giving me two comp nights the first two days they're open. So no one would have been in that hotel room. I'm just going to go to my hotel room. I'm going to put in some sports bets, you know, because I'll be in Jersey. I'll play a little poker in my room. I'll order room service. I'm not going to go through that hotel. I'm not going to touch chips, you know, but still just doing that. I did feel a little guilty and selfish that I did it. Well, you didn't have to feel guilty. But, you, you weren't you know, really hurting anybody else. It was just, uh, it was more for your own health of catching it from other people. That's what my concern would be. Like, if I were to go out anywhere, the, the level of caution I've shown, it's very unlikely that I have the coronavirus and don't know it. So, uh, now people don't know that when they see me, but uh, the truth is, interacting with me at the moment is very safe. I don't expect everybody to know or trust that, but but that's the truth. So if I were to go, let's say I say, you know, I'm just going to go to the Bellagio tomorrow, and I go. I would not feel bad about the risk I'm putting others at because it would be very unlikely they'd be getting it from me. What I would be feeling bad about is that I might be getting it from others there and then bring it home. That would be the problem, both for myself and for my family. So uh, yeah. you, you shouldn't worry yeah. too much about that. That, that, thought, that. that thought came to me, too. I mean – because, you know, I, you know, I am 39, but I'm diabetic. And I mean, it could go, it could, if I get it, I don't know which way it would go. You know, I, 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 I'm right, right on the borderline. You know, I, I, I don't know how I would take it. Um, you know, I, I just have absolutely no idea. Um, and I think a lot of people are, are, are in that, you know, I mean, I think, I think if you got, I, I think there's a lot of, you know, you don't know how it would go for you. Uh, you just want to make sure you don't have to even think about having yeah, to I'm, I'm in this, I'm in the same, uh, similar situation. I'm, I'm not diabetic, but I'm a little older and, and I have the high blood pressure. And so, and I have the type A blood, if that matters. So those, those are factors. I have type A blood too. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I think I kind of even out. We're, 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 we're actually in pretty similar, um, probably pretty similar risk groups, even though I'm a couple of years younger. Um, well, yeah, you're I, actually, I, you're I all, actually almost, almost a decade younger. So, so that's, there, there is, there is, <laughs> no, and then that's a pretty big decade for, as far as the coronavirus is concerned. Like it's, uh, I do believe it's, it's uh, a good deal more likely to 
have bad symptoms for a 48-year-old than a 39-year-old on average. But but yeah. 39 is not so young where you're you shouldn't worry. Like that's that's already getting in the danger actually, zone. You convinced me, Jeff. I'm actually I'm booking a week in AC right now. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so so have you after all that? Have you are are you going to see your mother or how's how's that going to go? Yeah, no, no. What's this? No, I I, I can't go there. So she's she's going to stay at my place for two weeks and quarantine. So I'm going to be basically taking care of her. Okay. you know because she's not going to be able to leave the house. Yeah. So you know what? So I I, I probably. Even though I took about a week and a half away, I, but don't go back into the Mitchell stuff. But even though I took a little week and a half break, I'll probably I'll probably dive right back into it because I'm not going to have much else to do for for the two weeks because I'll have to be around um, to help her out. And then after that, she'll you know she'll she'll go see her mother. And then wait, her mother's what? what? Hold your mom's mom's still alive. Yes. Wow. My mother's mother is she's a she's eighty eight. My mom had me. She was pretty young. Oh, I was going to say like eighty eight is pretty eighty eight is pretty young. I expected her to be like a hundred. Yeah. No. No. My my mother my my mother was yeah. I think she was twenty two when she had me. So um, yeah, and uh, my mother and me. Uh, uh, for a long time, nobody believed she was my mother. That she she looked young, younger than me, if not my age. So, and you know what? Just a quick aside. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but my 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 mother. She never drank. She never smoked. She never did any of that. So she always looked very young for her age. She's uh, sixty four now. Um, but when she first moved to Florida, um, she was about fifty seven years old. I think it was like seven years ago. And none of the other women, none of the other women wanted to befriend her. I mean, she's the sweetest woman, my mother. But because they were older and, you know, she was young, you know, so that whole thing you were talking about with women, that's when I first uh, woke up about an hour or so ago. It made me think of that. Um, And, uh, you know, how, you know, the workplace, but it also translates into other areas and i don't know why it's like that you know i I don't know why it's like that for for guys it's completely different i find um but in poker things can be a little bit of a little tribal you do have groups that that you know pop up you know a group of these guys group of those guys group of those guys but for the most part you know they get together all right but with, with, with women when it comes to the workplace and i think in other places um, you, you, you do see a, a little bit of that cattiness if I have to make a little bit of a generalization, but I have seen that. So it made me think of that. Yeah. Well, it's, you know what, uh, as, as far as, uh, relatives, you know, you, you have a, a grandmother who's 88. Can you believe I have a, I shouldn't say have because this person hasn't been alive in a long time, but there is a great grandmother of mine who was alive during the civil war. Wow. Just a great, not great, great or great, great, great. Just a great grandmother who was alive during the Civil War. That's incredible. Who would now be close to 160 years old. She was a baby, but she was, uh, she was actually born in the early 1860s. Wow. And just, there was, and what happened was that just everybody was having kids late. So it's just, uh, that, that's why it's only a great grandmother. And, uh, there's so many years apart between me and her. Obviously I never met her. She's, well, more than a hundred years older than me. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in my family, the the like I know technically women uh, live longer than men, but my father on my father's side, he's the first one to ever make it to sixty five. And then on my mother's side, the women live till like, you know, their late eighties, nineties. So, so I, I, I don't know where I'll end up, uh, I'll end up being, but, um, I, you know, I, I didn't know you were doing the show tonight and, and really, man, uh, I'm looking at the agenda. It was some great shit. So I can't wait to, to listen to the stuff in the archives. And I, you know, I just wanted to check in and thank, thank you, you know, thank you for continuing to do these shows because, it's really, really helped. I, I personally helped me out uh, during the uh, pandemic, and uh, and yeah, I I, uh, I always like that the new people are joining that Mitchell thread. I know it's very, uh, you know, either people like it or they're not. It's or they don't. It's polarizing. I get it, um, but. Uh, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it. So I, I just wanted to, to give a thank you to that. Well, uh, the thread is less uh, polarizing. You know. Like as far as the the topic itself, the thread's existence is less polarizing than when I do the segments on the show. Because the thread, if you're just not interested in the topic, you just don't open the thread on the show. Uh, because it's not a matter of opening threads. It's like just the show. Like people listening, go, oh, not Christopher Mitchell again. I hate this topic. Like there's some people who love the Christopher Mitchell topic, and some people hate it. On, who listen to the radio show on the forum. It, it's it's much better liked because those that That's are true. not interested just don't read it. That's true. It, you, you, with, with a guy like him, it's like you either you're either into it or you're not. You're not. There's not too many casual observers. Of it. Yeah. You know, it's not like oh, let me let me see what the, you know Christopher Mitchell has to say today. You know, it's like you're you're into it. And that's what happened. I mean, like I was doing it for so long, I got burnt the hell out for like two weeks. I couldn't even look at his face. My retinas were like burnt. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I couldn't I, take his bullshit anymore. I was explaining on the forum. I know you saw the post. I was explaining that the, the situation with him, it's not that he's the biggest gambling scammer out there or that uh, what he's doing is costing a, a tremendous amount of money to the community in general. He, he's pretty small time for the most part, basically scamming like a thousand here, a thousand there uh, to, to keep in action. Maybe more for some other people. And I know he has other things going on that, that he's trying, none of which look very legitimate. But uh, yeah. the, the reason – the whole thread is as long as it is and people follow it is because it, the whole thing is entertaining because it, it's so ridiculous, the videos he does and the, the claims he makes. And <laughs> yeah. and then and then you have uh, the people exposing it and it's this whole back and forth and it, it, the whole thing is amusing because he's trying to, to run all this stuff with all these people exposing him and then he then he can't he can't help himself and he reacts to them. So it's it's an amusing thing. And I realize it's not for everybody, but it is if you're going to follow you, usually scammers aren't that entertaining like the But He's not trying to be entertaining, but he is because it's it's so ridiculous and outlandish, and uh, so so some people, myself included, find the whole thing very amusing. But I, I say at the same time, I know that there's so many different things we cover on this show. I'm not going to dedicate like large portions of the show to it. Yeah. I, I've given it some time, and then I said, you know, unless something really big happens, then like let's I say agree. let's say let's say he I, got arrested, then I, I would. I, I agree. I agree with you 100 percent on on that editorial choice. By the way. And I, I know we're talking about a little bit now, but, uh, but I, you know, what I'll say, uh, I did make a post about, uh, about, you know, regarding, you know, people, uh, you know, you, people want it for entertainment. If they want to make complaints, they can, but 
Christopher Mitchell has he's benefited from his own mediocrity. He's benefited from the fact that he's not very good at what he does. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's a strange phenomenon. You know, if he was 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 better at what he does, and he had a bigger following, and he was ripping off more people. You know, something probably would have given. You know, something. Yeah, that's a good point. That, that's a good point. That that he he stayed small time because he's not good enough at at being convincing to to, to enough people. That too, too many not, people see through it. He doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to be small time. I know. But, you that's know, a, it, it just worked out that way for him. Yeah. That, you know, he he wants to blow up. He you know he has this video now. Yeah, I'm the king of the Baccarat Mountain. Well, what's, and, uh, what's, 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 you know what? I'm, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what's, what's really unusual about him, though, is that he's one of the few scammers who actually somewhat believes his own scam. Usually, when scammers are selling some system, they know it's full of crap and they're just looking to collect your money and then, uh, they, they wouldn't want to use it themselves. He actually collects your money and then goes and uses it himself and, and then loses it, actually, which is, which is funny. He it's like, actually, you know what, you know what it is. You know what it is. So people have been gambling like me my whole life, or you know, and you've been involved in it longer, longer than me, or whatever. But you know, we we know there's no magic. You know, there's no easy way. You know, if you're AP, like we've gone, you've gone through it. You know, for the most part, it's very difficult. It's very tedious. There's no secret code to beating any of these games. Somebody much smarter much, much, much smarter. If there was a code to beating Baccarat, you know, um, you know, without card counting or whatever, just by some kind of betting strategy, it would have been cracked a long time ago, you know? Um, but he's just, yeah, he, he's delusional, has just the right mix of delusional and naivete that an ego that he believes, yeah, he makes himself believe that I could come up with the code. I can crack the code, you know, and um, it's all part of this affirmation thing. And that's, I think, how he justifies his lies. If we say it, it will become so. Well, yeah, and, and, and also and, I, I agree with you. And I also think that he believes the only reason he's not a millionaire right now is just because he's had bad luck. So that the systems work. He's just had incredibly bad luck. So he's selling the system, which which he, he thinks works. And in order to sell it, he has to lie. He can't say, I've been losing my ass and I'm constantly broke and need to keep getting money from you suckers to, to keep myself in action. But because he doesn't want to say that because he thinks he's just been unlucky. So he thinks if he could just build a bankroll uh, to have enough to weather these super unlucky downstreaks, which are going to stop after very smooths out over time, so he thinks – uh, then, so yeah. it justifies the lie. So he thinks he's selling a winning system to people. He 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 knows he's yeah. lying about the results. He knows he's not a millionaire. He knows he's been losing. He knows that uh, a lot of what he's saying about how well they work is not true. But he he thinks that if he just had the role to do it, then he would win. He would become a millionaire. So he's he probably justifies in his mind is I'm selling something valuable to these people. I'm just I'm just exaggerating how good it is to get it sold. But I'm still selling someone something that works. It'd be like if I sold a. Uh, a blackjack card counting system, and instead of telling the truth about uh, how it gives you a slight edge and you have to kind of win over the long term for, through a lot of hands, if I said it works 95% of the time and you're going to win 95% of your sessions, well, 
that would be a total lie. You wouldn't win 95% of your sessions or anywhere yeah. close to that. But uh, I, I could defend myself by saying, well, yeah, I lied about that, but I did teach them a winning system that if I, they follow what I tell them to do, that there are going to be positive expectations in the casino. But So that's probably the way he sees it. Like he thinks the, he thinks well, he's well, teaching he, them how to win. 99% plus. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, while we're, I'm going to give – I want to give a, a quick TFA exclusive um, because I don't know if I'll be able to make a video. But I've been getting uh, a shitload of uh, emails to the CM tip line, you know. <laughs> and so I've been getting emails now. So if the person is a woman, and CM, I, I, I hope you're, you hear this, a woman or a foreigner, okay, he is now asking for $5,000 for the one-on-one coaching and $2,500 $2, for his hour webcam, which may include toys or not. <laughs> it better for that price. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've seen these emails where he's now look, CM. You know, uh, if he if he is listening to this, you know, um, uh, you know, I know you like to uphold yourself as a critic, all that. But um, if you're charging women double, um, you know, I, I I know you prefer men. I think most of us know that, but uh, that's pretty effed up, man. You know. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there'll be some funny emails when I uh, do my do my next video <laughs> uh, because uh, I don't know there has to be some I don't know if it's illegal but there has to be some kind of consumer law against uh, charging double the advertised price and we know the advertised price with CM changes. You know, minute to minute sometimes. Yeah, but, well, um, I, I, the biggest consumer law he's violating is that uh, it's the false testimonials. Now, I mean, even his own testimonials of, of what he's claiming about uh, about the effectiveness of the system. Uh, you can see, and, and that's where he'd actually be most vulnerable in a lawsuit or even in a criminal case in that. Uh, so one can claim that they thought they created a winning system and it just turned out they were wrong. They just made a miscalculation or they just uh, misunderstood. And they thought they, they had a, a good faith belief that they had a winning system and he could actually use a defense in court. Look, I'm playing it myself. If I was, if I was scamming people and selling them a losing system that I knew was a losing system, why would I go then lose all this money myself playing it at high stakes in the casino. That could be a defense of his. Christopher, note that down in case you ever get arrested. That could be a defense of his, but the, the, the thing that would kill him is that he's getting people to buy these systems with complete false claims about... The results. They win 99% of the time. I've become a millionaire thanks to this. I've been able to quit my 9 to 5 thanks to this. Uh, all, all these yeah, total stop, false he, claims. He stopped saying he's a millionaire for a little while. He stopped saying that for yeah. a little while. So, so, even, even he... Even he toned, toned that one down. So at that point, you can't you can't even claim anymore that uh, you were just mistaken, that you just miscalculated, that your system you thought worked really didn't. You didn't know that until uh, until later. Uh, you can't claim you can't make any excuse for why you made false claims about the effectiveness of a system and then tricked people into paying a lot of money for it and then they lost their ass. So that that's where he could be vulnerable uh, to, to a civil suit and, and uh, I think uh, to criminal prosecution as well. Uh, and, and now whether this actually happens, it's because he's not that big time, who knows, and especially because this isn't directly stealing, he really is delivering a system 
even though it's not a winning one, and even though he's lying about his effectiveness, yeah. he is delivering yeah. a system, and and uh, he's not just taking their money; they pay for his coaching and running off. So, uh, so that's where it becomes a little harder to prosecute. But a civil suit for sure, and I don't know about collecting from him, but a, a civil suit for sure. Let's move on. Well, there's not going to be very good news possibly for the Palms in Las Vegas because the Palms may be closing for good. Palms is owned by Station Casinos. It was not always owned by Station Casinos, but the Palms has been long struggling because the Cosmo took its business. I had always wondered how the Palms became as successful as it did because it was off strip. It never had a good location. And somehow it was still the destination for young, hip people who wanted to be around other young, hip people. That was the place you went if you were cool or at least thought you were cool or wanted to be around people who you thought were cool. That, that was the happening place there. It wasn't the most classy place. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't like the Bellagio. It wasn't competing for that market. But it was competing for the market of, of people who were young and attractive and want to be around other young and attractive people. Now, of course, not everybody who went to the Palms fit that description, but that was the general vibe there, and that's what they went for, and they did it well. Then came a certain property with basically the same goal that did it better, and that was the end of the Palms' dominance in that particular market. And that, I'm sure you know what it is. The Cosmopolitan. The Cosmopolitan had a better location. It was newer. It was much nicer. Just everything about it was better than the Palms. It had a great location, right in Center Strip, right in City Center. So who'd want to go to the Palms anymore? The Palms is old news. The Palms opened in late 2001. They even had the real-world Las Vegas film there, and there was even what they called the real-world suite that you could rent out there for 10000 per night. I was in that suite once, by the way, not, not with the real world people. Though I, I did have some interactions with Trishel from the real world, but not in that suite. And when I say interactions, I, I don't mean uh, anything sexual. Believe it or not, I think I've said this before, but uh, my main interaction with Trishel was her asking me advice on tipping. <laughs> I, I kid you not that was my main interaction with Trishel from the real world was she asked me for my advice on tipping she she chose me out of everybody there to ask about this I guess I looked like a cheap Jew to her anyway uh, in 2005 when everything was going great for Las Vegas and the Palms in general they built a second tower called the Fantasy Tower and it was $600 million to build things were going great but uh, then the Cosmo opened and things just fell apart. And the 2010s were pretty ugly for the Palms. The Palms basically had a little less than a decade of dominance, and then they lost their business to the Cosmo. The Cosmo opened December of 2010. The Cosmo actually had a lot of controversy because it was originally supposed to be condos, and then it wasn't. And there's there were lawsuits over that. It was a big mess, but we're not going to talk about the Cosmo. Bottom line is... The Cosmo was very dominant in the 2010s, very successful, and this became the place for people to go who wanted to uh, basically do what they did to the Palms. So if you wanted to be among the young, the hip, the attractive, if you were an old dude who was dating a much younger woman who was with you for your money 
and you want to walk around and show her off, you, you went to the Cosmopolitan. That's the place where it all happened. The Palms was yesterday's news. The Palms was not interesting anymore. Why would anyone go there when a better version with a better location existed in Las Vegas? And the Palms tried various things to survive. They tried to kind of become a local's place, but they just never caught on. I knew I knew it had no future. It was kind of like when I watched, when I watched MySpace fall apart. Remember how MySpace was so dominant and then Facebook just destroyed them because MySpace basically killed themselves by a bunch of bad decisions? Once MySpace started to decline and people started leaving it in droves, it took some time until they really accepted that MySpace was never going to come back. They tried to reinvent it. They tried to do a lot of things to bring people back. It never worked. I knew it was never going to work. I, w- I wish I could have bet against that one. It was so clear to me that MySpace was done for good, no matter what they did. It, you can still go to MySpace, by the way. But Palms was kind of the MySpace of hip Las Vegas properties. Dominant in the 2000s and then very bad in the 2010s. So the Palms kind of limped along for that entire decade of the 2010s. And then COVID came. And stations had to decide what they were going to do. And stations at first had to close all their casinos. But then when the reopening happened, then they reopened 16 of their 20 Las Vegas properties. Four remain closed. That would be the Palms, Texas Station, Fiesta Rancho, and Fiesta Henderson. So those have never reopened since the COVID closures. They could have reopened as early as June 4th, which is now two months ago, but they have not. So people have wondered what is going to happen to those four properties. And this is a voluntary decision, of course, by the owners, which uh, it's it's called uh, Red Rock Resorts now and owned by the Fertitta family. And Frank Fertitta is the CEO and chairman of Red Rock Resorts, but it's, it's really stations. That's, that's basically what it is. And they just have not found a need to open these four properties again because they're just not getting enough business to justify it. So they, they closed, they, they only reopened the 16 they thought could be profitable. They thought the Palms was among those four that just, wasn't going to work in the era of COVID. The difference with the Palms from their other properties is that the Palms is the only property that is anywhere near the Strip. Palms has, or Stations has 20 casinos around Vegas, but all of them are off Strip. The Palms is off Strip too, but at least it's kind of close to Strip. It's like across from the Rio. At least it's not really that walkable to the Strip, but it's a very short drive. And you could walk it if you really want to. Yeah, Palms kind of functioned as a pseudo-strip casino in the 2000s when it was doing well. So it is interesting that they've kind of given up on that. They've kind of realized that it is the MySpace of casinos and that it's just never going to come back. They can try to rebrand it and try to uh, go for a different audience than before, but it's just what made it good, what made it successful is something they can't bring back because the Cosmo is always going to do it better. There's there's no way they can compete with the Cosmo and they know it. And they can't really reinvent to be something else because everything they've tried has failed. And it's just kind of extraneous now. In a way, it has some things in common with its neighbor across the street, the Rio. Because 
the Rio had kind of the same thing going on. The Rio was once a successful and relevant property in the 90s. The Rio, even off-strip like the Palms is, it got some people going there who thought that the rooms were spacious. They called them suites, which they weren't. But putting that aside, they were big rooms. It had a party atmosphere to it. They, it was kind. They did it very well at the Rio to where you went there and you kind of felt like you were at a constant party going on. In the casino, they had that show in the sky. They had performances on stage. They had dancers everywhere. It was, it was more than just the, like some scantily clad girl dancing on a little stage next to the slot machines like other places have. The, the Rio really had like a full-on party atmosphere going there, and it, it appealed to a lot of people. But over the years, it started to lose its luster, started to get run down. People stopped wanting to go off strip, and it, it just – started to decline, and then they started to shut down some of the biggest features of the Rio that brought people there in the first place, and no more show in the sky, and and no more of these uh, stage performances out there, and just a lot of things disappeared from the Rio. It just became an older, run-down, cheap, sort of off-strip hotel, and that's still what it is. So really the only thing that the Rio had going for it was the World Series of Poker and convention space which is why the World Series was there. So both of these are never going to return to what they once were. The Rio will never be a fun party atmosphere property again. Even if they try to bring that back, it'll fail. Even if there was no COVID, if they brought that back, it would fail. Nothing to do with COVID. And the Palms is never going to be the hip location for young, attractive people. Just not going to happen again. So Station Casinos has said that they're not sure if they're ever going to reopen those four properties. They said that uh, they do not know what they're going to do. It's too early to make that decision, said Frank Fertitta. We don't know if or when we're going to reopen any of the closed properties. If or when. If is the big word here. When doesn't mean much, but if is the big one. So they may just decide they're going to kill it. Interestingly, this is weird. Even though Stations Casinos had 76% less revenue in second quarter 2019 compared, or second quarter 2020 compared to second quarter 2019, as you'd expect. They were closed a long time, and even when they reopened, there wasn't that full capacity. They actually did better uh, in what was called EBITDA, then in 2019, EBITDA stands for Earning Before Interest, Taxes, and Amortization. And they so that's up 47% over 2019 for the same period, that second quarter. So even though they brought in a lot less money, looks like they brought in about a quarter of what they did in 2019, the operating expenses were so much lower in 2020 that they actually made more money. That's interesting. They were more profitable in the second quarter of 2020 than 2019. Wow. Would not have expected that. They said that gambling is their main source of income and that their properties cater to locals. So they haven't had to count on people from coming out of town who haven't been coming very much, like other properties are dealing with that problem. And they're not dependent upon conventions and they're not dependent as much upon, uh, hotel and restaurant revenue. They really just make money from people showing up and gambling and losing. So they're saying that uh, they were actually able to 
do decently. They even with less revenue by a factor of uh, four, it looks like, they're able to do better with earnings because the expenses are so much lower. Fertitta said, we're primarily a, ga- a gaming company that happens to have hotel catering and convention business as an amenity. Primarily 80% of our business comes from the casino, so we're able to have the results we had in the short term without the strong hotel catering and convention. Hopefully those will return as we get the COVID-19 crisis under control. But our primary business is suburban Las Vegas local businesses. So uh, it's kind of that old school Vegas format there as far as the way they survive economically. Vegas for a very long time was all about gaming and everything else was a loss leader. And Fortita is saying that their casinos, which are aimed at locals, the other things aren't a loss leader, but the other things are kind of secondary to the gaming. Whereas everywhere else has transitioned where gaming is no longer the majority of revenue. The majority of revenue now comes from hotel, convention, entertainment, restaurant. That's where they're getting most of the revenue at these other properties in Vegas, which are not catering to locals. So that is true. And I I mentioned before that the the diversification away from gambling, which was seen as something smart, because just in case gambling falls out of fashion, that these places still survive. Uh, That seemed very wise to do, but all the rules have changed in the age of COVID. And it turned out that is something that is really harming these other properties now. But let's get back to, if that's the case, why are they not reopening Palms, Texas Station, Fiesta Rancho, and Fiesta Henderson? Well, let's look at this. They have... 20 properties in Las Vegas. And Las Vegas is not that large. So they don't need that many properties. They still are getting a lot fewer people through the door than they used to. A lot of people are afraid to come back, even locals. So they've realized we have a lot of properties. It's not like people can't find a station casino to gamble at if they're living in Las Vegas. So if they have to drive slightly farther, it's worth it for them to just keep these properties closed and keep their expenses down. So basically what they're saying here without directly saying it is if we don't think we are getting enough business to justify reopening these four uh, hotel casinos, we're just not going to reopen them. They, they may never come back. Now, maybe if we get past COVID and everything snaps back to what it was pre-COVID, then, yeah, we'll probably reopen these. But who knows? And maybe even then we'll decide that we just don't need it. Maybe this will have forced our hand and then we'll go, oh, you know what? That was actually the right decision. We actually should have done that beforehand. Because they have so many properties, they, they may have just decided they don't need to. And this this is what happens when you have a few companies owning most of the casinos. It becomes much easier to close casinos that are underperforming because when you do that, then the people who are going to those casinos will now move over to your other properties. So it becomes a much easier decision to close casinos which aren't doing as well. If you own only one casino and you close it, then it's very simple. You lose all the business. Any business you were getting, you're going to lose. So if you are profitable, you stay open. And if you're not profitable, you consider closing or you find a way to be profitable. That's really your choice there if you own one casino. Because it's very simple. If you close, then you have no business. But if you have multiple properties and you know most of your customers will just shift over to the other one, then closing is actually smart because it brings down your expenses big time. 
And they may be starting to realize that, that COVID aside, they may have just had too many properties and they, they realize that people are loyal to the station brand and the station group and won't really panic if a few of these close. So this may be something that they've just decided that regardless of what happens, it, it's probably better to leave them closed. They just can do with 16 properties instead of 20. So there's a good chance these are never going to reopen. And it's a good chance that the Palms, they've realized that uh, it's time to cut their losses. Now, what are they going to do with this uh, expensive tower that was built uh, in 2005? Now, yes, it was a long time ago, but still, um, they, they have two towers. What are they going to do with them? I'm guessing they'll probably sell it. Uh, they're not going to sell it now because they're not going to fetch very good prices right now. But they'll probably sit on them, just basically mothball them where they're not being used, but just kind of sustaining physically, and then hope the industry recovers and then sell it. That's probably what their plans are, but they don't want to say it and they haven't decided. But they've been analyzing this. They've been watching. And I didn't really think about stations and how they probably won't be affected that badly because yeah, they don't have to worry about tourists and they don't have to worry about the, the restaurant and hotel revenue as much. So all that time they watched the big casino revenue from uh, – the, the big uh, convention revenue and the big uh, restaurant revenue, big hotel revenue, and they had to stick to gaming from locals, and they're probably a little bit jealous. And now they're looking going, yeah – we're glad we never got into that. Because stations could have gotten into the strip casinos. They just chose not to. They just chose to stay out of that market. Even Palms they picked up later. That wasn't originally theirs. If you remember, the Maloof brothers owned the Palms and then sold it. They're the ones who started off there. Then it became the property of stations. The Maloofs are also the ones who owned the majority of the Sacramento Kings, including when the Sacramento Kings were good. Remember those days? When they battled with the Lakers in the early 2000s? But uh, it was eventually sold to stations in uh, 2016 for $313 million, which doesn't look like it's a very good purchase. They did just uh, actually sink a lot of money into the Palms fairly recently. They began a $620 million renovation and... Uh, they began that in uh, 2016 after they bought it, and it was uh, just completed at the end of 2019. So they really sunk a lot of money in for something that hasn't returned that much. Between the purchase price of $313 million and the $620 million renovation, they really put a lot of dough into this over the last four years, and now they may not reopen it. So they took a bath pretty badly on that one. I don't know why they bought that. I don't know why they bought it because it, it had no place to go. It's like buying MySpace. It really is like buying MySpace. Like, where, where is it going to go? What did they expect to do with it? They should have just stuck with what they knew. Just kind of basic locals-aimed casinos with a brand the locals like. And that's it. Forget the Palms. The Palms was, uh, was a waste of money. I don't, I don't know what they thought they were doing. But uh, I'm sure they're regretting it now. Anyway, if you think about it, they spent $100 billion. They spent that, divided by 100, on the Palms in the last four years. Now, it's not completely out the window. They can sell the place, but still. So we'll see. 
lot up in the air in the age of COVID-19. We have somebody who just joined us here. Brandon Drexel Gerson. Hello. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Is this a fraud show? Yes. Oh my God. You're still on this late. And I actually, I did it myself until, until Jeff Dime called. I had almost nobody on with me the whole time. Never. Hey, what's up, Brandon? Jeff, Jeff who? Jeff Dime. <laughs> Is he old school? I, I don't no, know. No, no, he's newer. He's newer. He found, okay. uh, Jeff, how did you find Poker Fraud Alert? Um, how did I find Poker Fraud Alert? It's a, a good fuck. I used to have a pretty good memory. Um, you know what it was? Uh, back like a year and a half, you were mentioned in a poker news article. Oh. Um, yeah, there, there were, you did some kind of follow on some story, and uh, they, I mean, I wish I found you when, when, when it began, because your show really is right it was up my alley. It was when you had the swallowing problem. I'm gonna guess. No, no, no. It wasn't. Oh, he was no. He was saying it was something else. Where I was. Uh, sometimes, believe it or not, Brandon, uh, poker fraudler gets quoted in articles by other media, like Poker News and others. Will actually quote. In fact, it happened this week when we were naming that uh, that killer of, of uh, Susie Zhao because we were the first ones to name it. It wasn't my doing, but someone on my forum did it, and. Uh, Therefore, uh, we got mentioned there as well. So, so other publications will mention us sometimes, and then people like Jeff Dime will find their way over here. So that's good. Nice, nice to meet you, Jeff Dime. Nice, nice to meet you too, Brent. I think we have. I think we may have met over the internet before, but uh, but anyway, it, it's nice to formally meet you. And what I will say is, when I first listened to the podcast, um, I remember like, wow, this this, this shit is different. First off, it was, you know, seven and a half hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I've never seen anything like that. And I was like, okay, I, I might have to break this up a little bit. But then I, I saw that you put timestamps in, which was very helpful for a seven and a half hour show. So I'm like, okay. And, uh, and when I started listening to it, I was like, wow, this is, uh, these, these other topics are shit that I, you know, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm very much uh, interested in too. So uh, I think that's how I began to to listen, and now I, it's, it's been a good year and a half. And uh, you know, I've only been on the forum. I'm still a newbie, even though I I, I probably have over 500 posts now, um, just because of that thread. But um, uh, I know you guy that I told to go fuck yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, you told me to go fuck myself. Yes, right. yes, yeah, but it, it yes. wasn't. Todd, you got to explain, you know, because these people that are new, you know, it's almost like a rite of passage. Yeah, there's when kind you're of new, it, you start posting. I mean, you got to explain it, Todd. Yeah, there's kind of an initiation process in that flying stupidity portion of the forum, and uh, so so that people will say things like that when you first show up, and and once you kind of survive it and and don't run off, then uh, then they start treating you better. Well, exactly. what happened with Brandon is what happened with Brandon, and, and I won't get too deep into it, but uh, one one of his buddies just took a cheap shot at me i made a post and then he did like what i would say is the cheapest shot like you know shut the fuck up newbie which is and then and then he got like seven you know seven green reps for it like you know (laughs) yay so so witty so witty you know so of course i say f you back to the guy and i think brandon just saw that uh at first he didn't really see that that you know the guy just took like the ultimate cheap shot like STFU noob, like yeah, real witty buddy, you know. Yeah, but um, well, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, you should feel fortunate though, because lately I've only been posting maybe three or four times a year. 
So if you were actually were in one of my posts, you should somewhat, even if it was negative, be complimented. <laughs> I'm only true. posting every 98.5 days. You know what? I, I, I feel honored, though. I feel honored, Brandon. I feel honored. Where do you, uh, what, what part of the country do you live, Jeff? Uh, well, I'm in New York. Yeah, I'm originally from New York. Um, uh, I've been a, yeah, a, 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 I, I, in my 20s, I'm 39 now. In my 20s, I was mainly in AC. I was a limit hold'em grinder. Uh, long story short, I got, you know, I had every, every bankroll leak in the world. Uh, you know, um, and, uh, got, uh, got a real job. That was my next question. What do you, what do you, what do you do now? You go to AC? Do you play I, on the internet, or when you do play? I I I, I bet sports. I bet I bet I bet sports. I uh, uh, mainly golf, NASCAR, weird stuff. Um, I play mo- mostly on the le- the legitimate apps. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been I've been doing that now for uh, for a couple of years. Um, after the pandemic, I got to be honest with you though. Uh, they get my ass handed to me. Just really, really tough to. Everything's changed. Um, and uh, well, uh, yeah, sports, sports or poker? No, no, no sports, sports. I, I, oh. I was, I, I, I was a, a, a very good limit player. I would say for a long time, and uh, and. Uh, it just got harder and harder, and I give Trump sure. all the credit in the world for making it as long as he has, because you know it's just it's just it becomes so much tougher to beat because it's just not it's not the game and poker has changed in general. Um, and uh, I just, I didn't adapt, you know I didn't adapt to no limit. Um, I, I I try to stick it out with uh, with the limit play you know, the limit, and uh, it turned out towards the end. Um, you know, when I really stopped doing it for a living, I remember it'd be me sitting at a table with like maybe six or seven other pros and one non-pro, but not really a fish. Um, so it, the games just got way, way, way too tough to beat. And I, I, I failed to, you know, I failed to adapt. You know, and, 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 and into no limit and whatnot. So that, that, hey, there's that, no, so listen, now, there's no, no fault. There's no fault in admitting that. And I mean, you know, you're a better man than most. Most people would, you know, keep with the charade that, you know, they're just running bad. I mean, I know people that have been running bad now for nine years. I mean, it just, you know, no. And I and I'll admit in the beginning, man, I ran, I, I ran so freaking well. I must have been so. Uh, yeah, above easy. I mean, I, uh, I it, it's it, it, it came. I, I actually I actually texted this to drop. I'll make the story really quick. So when I was a senior, I, I'm 39. So when I was a senior in college, that's when I started playing online. And um, you know, I read a few books, um, uh, Sklansky's book, whatever. I I forgot all the names of books, but. And then I started playing online. I started getting these checks for like ten, twelve thousand before I even played in a casino. So I drove down to the Borgata, and I'm like, I had ten grand on me, and I'm like, put me in the biggest limit game you got, right? <laughs> it was when I was 21 years old. It was how stupid I was. So they put me in 6120, 
And uh, I just got sliced and diced. And I ended up at the end of the night at the Taj playing 2040, you know, taking a, you know, a point of sale out on my card. I didn't even know how to hold the chips. I already had made 40, 50 grand online before I, re- I really ever played in, in brick and mortar. You know, that's, that's, uh, so I must have been running really well. So I'm, I'm very honest. I try to be very honest. Um, about, you know, what's happened to me, um, the ups and downs and all that. I think Truff knows that. Um, maybe a little too honest sometimes, um, but that's just the way I am. All right. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, how, Druff, how is the show going tonight? What, are we almost at the end? Or well, we're, we're going to we're gonna do one coronavirus topic, and that's all we have, and then uh, uh, not, not even that long of one. And then we have two more topics, and it's done. All right. Well, I'm up. I'm up bright and early because I just needed some space and to think and clear and the clarity. So I'm going. I decided to go camping. Uh oh. Well, <laughs> if, if you're going by yourself, uh, I, I guess uh, I guess I'm I won't. Going by myself. Well, uh, it's been nice knowing you. What do you, what do you can mean? I say something? Can I can I say something <laughs> about camping, guys, real quick? And then I'll, sure. I'll let the two pros go. I'll get a. Who, like, what's the point of being alive in, you know, the tw- in the 2020s, in the 21st century, if you're going to go fucking camping, right? What the fuck's the point? You know, we have indoor plumbing and air conditioning and all this shit. I just don't get it. I, I honestly, I don't get it. Um, I'm not the type. I've never been the type. Um, I understand people like nature, this and that, but... Uh, you know, I, I just don't get it. Po- also, poker players, guys who've been in casinos, you know, we're used to having some, like, you know, room service, this and that. So I find it really, it, it, it's a real outlier to find a, a poker player that enjoys that kind of thing. You know, I, I haven't come across too many of them. Well, I, I, I somewhat enjoy it, uh, but I, I posted on the forum about it, actually. I can understand the criticisms of it, and also I don't have as much motivation to do it now uh, because there there are some downsides. Uh, the bathroom situation is lousy. The uh, yeah, the, the food situation can be tough. Uh, the, it, it can be too hot or too cold very easily. In fact, you can have both in one day. Uh, there, there's a lot. What I prefer to do usually when I travel in, into nature type areas is uh, just spend the day there and then go back to uh, a hotel that's uh, that's fairly close by and that's where I spend the night but uh, yeah I think I still see the appeal somewhat in camping but uh, but I also see the the downsides to it and especially as you get older then uh, the downsides start to become more prominent I started doing that so my fam- my family did camping you know when I was a kid and all that and at eight uh, I'm sorry yeah, at, at 19 or 20 years old, I started getting a hotel adjacent to the campground because I hated camping so much as a kid. Um, even even as a kid, I, I just was like, "Why am I uncomfortable? Why?" I mean, it just I, 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 it it just never appealed to me. It just never appealed to me. I I, I don't know, Brandon. Have you ever gone camping? No, I, I listen. I have. I have. The last time I went fully camping like you know 
no technology, like you're literally away from everything. Uh, I was a teenager. I only said it, obviously, because I heard earlier the part. I couldn't call him, but I heard earlier the part about Druff saying when you when you go camping alone and you need to clear your head, you probably don't come back alive. Yep. You know, that's, yeah. So, no, I haven't. I mean, you know what? I'm the kind of guy that if I went to, like, Burning Man or one of those places, I'd be the one of the air-conditioned R- RV. Yeah. Or Coachella. Me too, but <laughs> me I, too man. Me, me too, man. The thought of it seems... The thought of it seems cool, but I know myself well enough that once I get there, I'm going to be miserable, and I'm going to regret it the entire time. Like, the dirt, the dust, like, all of it, like, the bathroom situation, you know, no. I, it's just not my cup of tea. It just isn't. Yeah, no, I'd much rather, yeah, I'd much rather watch it, watch a documentary on it, you know, a year later. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I, I so it's like, right, right. Speaking of which, it's you know I watched that uh, that fire with the fire festival documentary. Yeah, and that's you know yeah I watched that one too. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I saw both of them, but yeah, you think about those kids getting fed their it was like a a remember that it was like a sandwich and it had no meat on it. Yeah, the, the, like cheese, the cheese sandwich. But what was the worst part that doesn't get, you know the part that doesn't get enough uh, press for how terrible it was? There, the very worst part of this was how they force locked. People in the airport that that in the Bahamas airport, the officials just locked them in a room. Actually, locked them, uh, and, and wouldn't let them out to get water or anything. They were just stuck in that room with no access to food or water for like ten hours or something obscene like that. Uh, and and they wouldn't help anybody. And if people complained, it was just tough luck. Like, like can you imagine like in a hot place like that? You're locked into this non-air conditioned room for that many hours, and they just will yeah, not let you out, and you yeah. can't get water. I mean, that just—that's worse, much worse than the cheese sandwich they serve people. I don't remember what. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna—I was gonna say the part of it, uh, the part of it that I think just—it's tough to be too sympathetic—is because it—it it seems like it's a bunch of entitled rich kids and social influencers. So it's hard to, and none of them died or anything, luckily. So it's hard to have, even though the whole thing was just an enormous scam and whatnot. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's plenty of, of people who went that, you know, used pretty much the rest of their money to do that because young people are dumb because I was young once and I was dumb too. But it, it's hard to have too much sympathy just because, I think with the pricing and all that, and it, it was a lot of like entitled, rich, young, you know, probably getting a lot of the money from the parents that probably should have known, you know, something sure. was rotten in Denmark, Denmark. You know what I mean? That, that's sure. Hey, speaking of, uh, where's my uh, little buddy Trederuski? You know, he, no show tonight. No, he couldn't make it. It's just me. Oh. Oh. Hey, buddy. Jesus. That's the closest can, we're going to get. Can we do like uh, undo the mute button by accident in in, in the honor of him? Because <laughs> hey, so I want to say something. Uh, I, I caught one segment earlier. I just I had obligations tonight. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to go deep into it, but I, I just want to give my thoughts, if that's okay. Yes, go ahead. Um, I turned in. I turned on the radio, the fraud show, towards the end of the Brad Booth part, and then almost the entirety of the palms part. So 
what I want to add about the Palms thing, a couple of things I don't think you think you touched on. Number one was, and this is no secret, this is no, uh, uh, you know, gossip. I mean, this was a well-known fact, like, amongst people that were in the gaming industry. The Maloofs had a very bad gambling problem, meaning, like, they were literally, when I was a dealer almost 20 years ago, they were shooting off at two casinos I worked at. I didn't know that. I I did not know that. They were big, big, big craps and blackjack players. I'm talking, like, you know, half a million dollar markers, million dollar markers, and that's fine, but if you're doing it a lot, you know, then you're losing, you know, consistently, it, it, it is going to affect you. I mean, they weren't that rich. The other thing I wanted to say, well, and they were very bad tippers, too, by the way. Uh, at least they were back around <laughs> 2001, 2002. I mean, well, I'm just saying, like, when they would win, okay, anyhow, it doesn't matter. The other thing I want, the other thing I want to comment on was it's ironic that the Cosmo did indeed end the era of the Palms because the Palms did that exact same thing to the Hard Rock. The Hard Rock, back in the early, mid, late 90s, uh, had the dynasty in terms of you know being a casino where the young people went. Remember, you know that was where Tiger Woods used to go. That's where Ben, ben Affleck, all the Hollywood stars that were young, you know, went there. That was like the hip place to be. They had the nightclub. I can't remember the name, but they had the best nightclub in Vegas. Anyhow, then the Palms opened in 2001, late 2001, and they took all that. Uh, One thing that was really good about the Palms, and, and, you know, obviously that that real-world publicity, I mean, they couldn't pay enough for that. I mean, that was massive. I can't tell you how many people, and I know you touched on that, how many people I remember wanting to come here and stay there or go there, like friends I'd had that would come to Vegas because of that real world thing. Um, and the second thing was, if you remember, the Maloofs kind of had a little bit of a Hollywood crossover. Like they were friends with Britney Spears. There were rumors at one point she, Britney Spears was dating uh, one of the Maloofs. can't remember which one it was. She would literally sometimes make guest appearances in her nightclub. Uh, you know, just people are dancing on a Saturday, and all of a sudden Britney Spears pops up on a stage and, and starts singing. So they had that, that kind of aura, but more so than the Cosmo being built, it just got really stale. They never refreshed it, and it, you know, in essence, was just totally mismanaged. And they just kept letting it slip. They didn't put money into things. Things were getting old and broken, and it just, you know, it just kind of lost that it factor. The other thing about the Palms that was a really, really, really weird dynamic was that the Palms never really truly decided who they were. The one thing that I remember about the Palms that was always so odd is if you went to the Palms. At 8 in the morning, at noon, you know, 2 in the afternoon, you would see a ton of senior citizens with their little uh, slot card in the machine with the little necklace around their neck and their walkers. And then, like, once 4, 5, 6, 7 o'clock came, the whole element totally changed. I mean, but they had that market for a while. They had the old people market, you know, before. So the the last thing I want to touch on, you said it was a bad investment. Uh, for stations that buy it at $300 million. The Maloofs were facing bankruptcy. They were forced to sell it. They were forced to sell uh, the, the Sacramento Kings as well. They were so saddled in debt, they had no other choice. They didn't, I mean, they wanted to stay in the game. They wanted it to still be, you know, royalty out here and, you know, all the ass-kissing, but they couldn't. So they sold it for 300 well, I don't know what you said, $320, 330000000 But if you think about it, counting the second tower, 
and the original tower, the casino, it cost well over a million dollars to build all that. Just, uh, you know, 15, 16 years prior. The other thing that I don't, I don't think you mentioned, which is really, really crazy, is that right around 2004, 2005, a high-rise, a third tower was built on the premises uh, called Palm's Place. And that was really, in Las Vegas, the beginning of the high-rise high craze. That was like before Turnberry Towers and obviously like the Veer, the Vidara, all the multi-use high-rise condo places that people were buying as second homes and in some cases, you know, first homes, vacation homes, you know, rental properties. The Palms Place was the first one that really, really got attention, and they had units going for several million dollars. Imagine now, if they never reopen again, how depreciated those values are going to be. Because people bought those with the idea, well, you know what, I'm next to a casino, you know, I'm next to all this nightlife, I'm next to all these world-class restaurants. You know, that's what the property values were based on. Otherwise, you're just a shitty little, you know, 700-square-foot, in most cases, condo, you know, on, on Flamingo across from the Gold Coast. You know, so the other interesting thing about... Oh, excuse me. The other interesting thing about that is all those people that ended up buying those high rises. You know what are I mean? Like I said, what are they? What are they going to do now? I mean, what? That's why they're there. You know, so I can't even imagine the flood of the market and how hard it's going to be to try to get those. You know, those units sold, and uh, they had a program for many years. Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. They had a program for many years. I'm not sure it was still going on when stations took over, but I don't see why it didn't. Where you could literally, on busy weekends, holidays and such, have the Palms rent out your unit if you weren't using it or if you lived in another state, so you were getting rental income. This is way before the Airbnb era. So you had a unit, and they would determine a value, you know, just like whatever algorithm they use for you know, Super Bowl weekend, 4th of July, normal weekends, and you'd be able to do that, and in turn you had to give the Palms, I think it was like 30 to 40%, and you'd keep like 60% of the revenue. So, you know, $200 a night room, and you're getting, you know, 120 bucks a night. I mean, it wasn't a lot, but some of, the, some of them were bigger, and that would actually help some people that only came here a couple times a year. So that's done now. You know, who's going to want to stay there at, at a failed, empty property? So... Anyhow, I don't know if you touched on that. Water. No, I, I actually did. No, that's some good for information. And by the way, I have a surprise for you, or maybe a surprise. Uh, we have another person who's on with us here. Does this other person like to speak? Well, my mute button, first of all, is not that bad of an issue. <laughs> I think we lost Jeff Dime. But what's happening? I love your mute. I love your mute button. How do we get Trader Ruski on here at four in the morning? I don't know. I don't know. How did we? <laughs> you know, we got to talk about your bullshit invitation. Because my, my other friend up north, he, he does the exact same thing, and I think you guys are both full of it. So, anyway. Wow. I was going to get up at 4.30, but I woke up at 3.15. I said, fuck it. The show's on. I'll just get up. That, that's what happens for people. The, the show goes so long that they go to sleep, and they wake up, and it's still on. They go to sleep when it starts, and then they have a full night of sleep, and they come back. They wake up, and oh, there's they're still poker fraud alert going. How's that possible? But it is. Guys, listen. <laughs> Tell me, how pissed are you if in 2004, 2005, you know, you had money, the economy was great. This is before the housing crisis. You say, you know what? Let's put 1.2 million down 
on a two-bedroom, two-bath, or two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath, 900-square-foot place that will be our second home in Vegas, okay? And now look where you're And you've held on to it all these years, and now look where you're at. I mean, how do you even get rid of a place like that now? Yep. I mean, tell me. That's a problem. I, you know what? I, I you got to light a match. You got to you got to light a match and, and hope the arson uh, the arson detector doesn't find. Oh, that's the only way. They had like massages, you know, for the residents. It was high end. They had a fine dining restaurant, a, re- a, bref- a breakfast place. This is a Palms place, grant you. This isn't a Palms. And I think I would imagine those places have to stay open because that's a lot of what the the owners are paying in, in their HOA fees. You know, for those amenities. So, how sad is it that you know all that's going to be there, and that casino is still closed? Um, you know, the other thing I want to say, last thing about the Palms. The first time I ever went there was maybe a month. I had just moved here. That was the first casino I'd ever been in. That was also the first casino or first time in my life I'd ever seen a prostitute in my life. <laughs> uh, the first at the Palms, I remember sitting at a bar, and I'd only been been in Vegas like a month, and a girl comes up to me. And she's, you know, a pretty girl. She's talking to me and, and you know, you know, asking me, you know, my, you know, my age, what do I do, you know, my background. She's like, acting like she really is interested in me. So after about 20 minutes of talking, she asked me if I'm looking for a date. And I thought that meant, like, you know, someone to go hang out with. And I'm just, like, playing along. And I, I swear, honest to God, I have no clue. I'm that fucking green. No clue in this world. And finally, like, I don't remember, you know, this is almost 20 years ago. She says something about money. And then that's when it hit me. And I was so embarrassed. Like, I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't, you know. So I, I made some lame excuse. Like, I, you know, I left my ATM card at home. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't lose too much money. I've had problems gambling. Something like that where I couldn't access cash. And she just looked so pissed that she wasted like 30, it was a good 30 minutes. Wow. Talking to me and me up. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a prostitute in my life. And, you know. Granted, I'd only been here a month, and I don't, I'm sure I'd been to other casinos. Maybe I hadn't sat at a bar yet, but I was at, you know, one of the bar tables at the Palms. But anyhow, I always didn't like the way the Palms was built, so narrow. If you've, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. When you walk in, and there are, like, slots in the middle, and you only have, like, two aisles on the far left and the far right to, to get through. I mean, it's built terribly. Like, yes. you have to navigate through. Yeah. I mean, I... Never, never was good. And then the other thing uh, that a lot of these casinos, the hard rock, had a similar fate. They didn't have enough table games. Okay, they only had, you know, a very small, I don't know how many square feet, but their table games were like in this circular kind of Yeah, I played dynamic. there. Yeah, this weird circular yeah. place. Wasn't like, they were, there wasn't a lot of games. Like, it, it wasn't like, you know, you can't compare it to even a place like the Gold Coast or definitely not the Rio. Um, so that was part of it too. Like it, you know, they didn't maximize the amount, but I will of revenue they could have derived from gambling. But I will say there were a lot of good memories there. Uh, rest in peace. We had cousin Dave's all in her fold uh, tournament there. Um, the Epic Poker League was based out of there at first. I won a satellite to play in the first ever Epic Poker League event there. Uh, my boy Bobby Griffin was obviously you know part of that room. Uh, so there were some there were some good memories, good times there, but in my opinion, it just was mismanaged for so long that it wasn't just like the Cosmo just took it over. It, it was handed to the Cosmo. Like, they didn't even put up a fight. Like, they just didn't put up a fight. And the thing that was really odd, and I know you did mention this, but 
a couple years ago, I think two, maybe two and a half at the most, they had a massive, massive renovation. Well, that's what, that's what I said was a big waste is to spend all that money in the re- renovation. On all these fancy restaurants and, you know, just trying to rebrand it. And at that point, nobody cared. Right. Nobody uh, no, I, com- I compared it to MySpace to trying to, to redo MySpace to bring people back. It's just never going to happen. They did that after the Cosmo already kind of took over and everything yes. had already moved to the strip. Years after. That, that, that was a real, that's a really bad decision. Yeah, that's a, the, the Palms was also the first poker room that uh, Teddy the Ice Monroe was banned from. I don't know if you all remember, this was before the flipping quarters at the Bellagio. He was banned from the, from the Palms poker room and, and the Palms in general. For selling fake Chinese headphones that were like, he branded them at like, I don't know if they were Bose or some high-end headphone, but they're made in Chinese and faulty. And he was selling these. I don't, <laughs> drop, I don't know if you remember this. No, I, did, I, don't, I don't remember that. Big LOL. Like that's what he was banned for. For like selling headphones at the Palms while he was playing. And like coercing people to buy them. Um, but yeah, so a lot of good memories there. Wait, uh, were, were they yeah. one, were they... Don't forget, don't forget the Febreze uh, giveaway, by the way. But um, yep. with, was he selling the ones like he'd used with all the uh, bling on them? Oh no, these had these had no bling. No, no. Um, so yeah, my my dad won a football contest there. One of the picked the pros. Like I think it was his second year living in Vegas for twenty five thousand dollars one Sunday. Where like you know you know these contests where you have to pick winners and. Not only that, he had to pick a tiebreaker on Monday night. Remember, he calls me one day, and he's like, I won, and he couldn't believe it. He meet me down there? So I went down there, and because he he'd never won that kind of money before. He'd only been here a year, and he wasn't a big gambler. But his $100 buy-in for the whole season ended up winning $25,000 wow. one week. Definitely made him up lifetime as a gambler because he doesn't gamble. Yeah. He, would, he would put down <laughs> 100 I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't play tables. He doesn't play slots. When he bets sports, it's like, you know, big events, like a hundred bucks once a year on the Super Bowl, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it would take a hundred years to get it back. So, anyhow, I thought some interesting stuff, Brandon, though, because I always wondered with the Maloofs, because I remember, whatever, 15 years ago, they were all over the place, and it's like the guys went to witness protection. You know, like, you know, they were, you can see it, the NBA, whatever, they just seemed to be, you know, present everywhere. And uh, it just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. They loved the adulation. They loved the attention. I mean, everywhere they went, there was a crowd. And like I said, just two casinos that I worked at, one was a local joint and the other was on the strip. I constantly saw them playing craps, in some cases blackjack. And, you know, they were they were running around like kind of like how Johnny Depp, I assume, lived. You know, just spending money like, you know, they were just printing it and you know, apparently, and the other thing I don't know if you touched on this. It's just interesting for people to know they weren't self-made. I don't know. I don't know if you know the story of them, but the, the, no, the children aren't self-made. I don't know if, if you know this stuff or not. Uh, their father made his money in Texas in the oil business, and then came out here and bought a casino, uh, a local casino. Uh, oh God, I can't think of the name. Somebody can Google it. Um, it might have been the – it's where the Fiesta was on Rancho, but I don't think that was the name of it. But anyhow, his name was Joe, Joe Maloof. And he used the oil money. He bought 
a casino out here in Vegas, and then they ended up selling it, and they used those proceeds, and then I'm sure other family money, and they built the palms with it. So I'm just saying, like, not that, you know, I don't know these guys. I don't know the, the kids. I never met them. I mean, you know, personally talk with them, hung out with them. I don't know their intellect. But it was the father that really set them all up. And, you know, I remember when they sold it, I remember thinking, you know, the poor father, if he could see this, he'd probably be so sad that his kids squandered everything, you know, basically the family empire. Well, that, 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 that often happens. That, that happens, unfortunately, because if you're not the one who made the money yourself, uh, either you lack the ability to manage the money or you just don't appreciate it, and then you, you mismanage everything and it falls apart. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up. I'm driving right now, but I'm going to stop in a second. But, yeah, so that was always interesting that it was the father, and he died shortly after the Palms was built. Um, but he made his money in the oil business, oil and energy. And that's, you know, the kids were just blessed. They literally are like your definition of privilege, you know. Yeah. None of them did anything. So, uh, anyhow, yeah, I I know you already covered it. I don't want to keep going on. No, it. thank you. These are these were these were useful pieces of information. I didn't know a lot of this stuff. Yeah. A lot a lot of people here like the uh, the the insider Vegas stuff that you bring here to the show. I'm glad to hear it. And I, I have to ask, so Trader Ruski, it's 4 a.m. What 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 the hell's going on? Hey, yeah, I've been starting my day like six thirty, so gotta get up early. Six thirty for the day. What's that? Oh, I just see. You, I just saw you text me. No, but it's four. It's. I mean, you just woke up at four in the morning. Is that what you're saying? I know because I. Well, yeah, I wake up. I try to wake up. I wake, wake up, up at least two hours before he calls. Before calls. Wow, that's an early day. To, I mean, that's that's an early rise. That is very early. I was I was surprised. I, I don't know which is more surprising to me, the appearance of Traderuski right now or the appearance of Calwad out of nowhere last week. Those are both uh, pretty You think Calwad would be up by now. You know, right? That, that right, he could he could appear. I don't know what time he wakes up, but uh got to be pretty soon. So we'll we'll see if if he appears. We never know. Okay, well, uh, I, I've got to move. On. I believe it or not, I actually I don't have to be up early, but I can't sleep as late as I normally do. So uh, I, I've got to move on here. But people are welcome to stay here if they'd like on the on the call on, on the show. Uh, even you, Jeff Dime. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stick around one more. I'll be mostly quiet unless I have something. Okay, but, uh, I'll stick around a little bit. So I, I want to talk about the the coronavirus. Only one topic I want to discuss here, and that is about Sweden. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have followed the the sweden story but uh, sweden has been uh, vilified in the u.s and around the world for their approach which many saw as reckless where sweden just said you know what f it we're not going to do shutdowns we're not going to do a lot of distancing we're just going to keep the vulnerable people away and we're going to encourage everybody else to go out and get it just go out live life normally a lot of you're going to get it some of you're going to die but uh, we think this will run through the population fast, and then people have, then will have herd immunity and we'll be past this. That was their approach. There were some at the time, and this, they decided this many months ago. They decided this near the beginning. There were some who said, this is crazy. You're just going to kill a ton of your citizens. And there were others who said, you know what? This actually sounds like it makes sense. Like it sounds kind of harsh, but it, it might actually make sense. They may actually end up being the ones who look smart when this is all over. And there have been mixed reports about uh, how it was going over there. 
so it, at first it seemed like they were right, and they and even though they were open and and they their economy wasn't restricted, everything was uh, normal. That uh, the they were getting more infections there than neighboring countries like Norway and Finland, but uh, they were not they weren't like worse than the U.S., which had shutdowns. So there were, and, and other countries were even worse than they were. So it was thought that maybe they had the right approach. That not only are they keeping their economy okay, but they weren't having more deaths than places that are shut down that are going to be an economic disaster. So then, so there was a lot of debate about Sweden. But then, people who were saying they did the right thing started to rethink it when Sweden started to have a spike in cases. And uh, this is I don't know a few months ago. They they started it started to get worse and worse there, and people started to die at uh, not staggeringly high rates like they saw in uh, in Italy at one point, but uh, but still a lot higher than than some of their neighbors. And uh, it started to be believed by many that they actually made a big mistake and they were too reckless. Well, now we're back to possibly thinking the other way. Sweden. Let me give you the numbers from yesterday. Sweden, which has a population of uh, about 10 million, so it's it's a lot less than the U.S. It's about it's like one thirty third of the U.S. So that's whatever the numbers I give you here. You should multiply by thirty three to translate to the U.S. population. But Sweden had a whopping sixty three new cases yesterday, after a country of 10 million, not deaths, cases, and they had uh, five new deaths. So even though they've had a total number of deaths of 5,766, which when you multiply that out is actually uh, a little, it's worse than the U.S. because uh, you, you would multiply by 33. So that would be uh, about 190,000 uh, uh, compared to the U.S. population if you were to translate it. And the U.S. has not had that many, though fairly close. But they look like they are mostly past it. They had 81. About 82,000 cases uh, that were confirmed, but six, only 63 of them were yesterday. So they now have what New York City kind of has going on and, and what uh, New Jersey in that area that by New York City has going on and what uh, Connecticut in that greater New York City area has going on where you're seeing some new cases, but not many. Where th- these You can see those areas, I've mentioned that before in the show, are mostly past it. It's it's mostly safe in those areas now, whereas before it was terrible. Sweden, which also had their tough time, looks like they're past it. And this kind of, this really, not just kind of, this really does support what I've been saying for a while, in that it has to hit every population once hard, and then after that it, it dramatically goes down. It doesn't disappear yet, but it dramatically goes down to where the danger is much less. And you can't, you know, New York has been taking credit. Oh, we, 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 we're getting our masking right. We're getting our distancing right. We've, uh, we've been responsible. Look how much better we're doing than Florida, blah, blah, blah. No, they're not. Overall, New York did the worst. New York just had their time. They got beat down. It ran through the population. And now they're in this same kind of position Sweden is right now, where they're just not, they're barely getting any cases compared to what they had before. Except the difference is Sweden is not doing any of these distancing measures. Sweden has kept the same approach the whole way. So this would seem to indicate what I've been saying, that if you're in an area that's getting hard hit, wait it out. Wait it out, and within some months, not even that many months, maybe two months, three months, it will probably go significantly down to where your chance of catching it is very low, and it may never go back up. And that may be one of the biggest factors 
in life returning to normal. But the reason you're not noticing this now is because like, it's hard to notice the, the U.S. this is happening in certain places because there's so many places where it's bad. So you can't, you're not, you can't really notice New York doing as well as it is if Florida is doing so badly and Texas is doing so badly and Arizona is doing so badly and California is doing so badly. If these places are so bad and we have uh, a, a lot of death again and a lot of new cases again, then it's hard to look and say, oh, well, but New York's doing well. And it ends up getting politicized where people say, oh, well, New York's doing well because they've got this responsible governor, Andrew Cuomo. And, and, and California, they're, uh, we're not sure where they're doing badly, but uh, Texas and uh, Florida and Arizona is because the evil Republicans opening up too much. So uh, what, what everyone's, while everyone's politicizing it, they're missing. A lot of people are missing that it really looks like it runs through everywhere once really badly. And then it significantly goes down once it's hit a lot of people. And it's just not as many people left to, sp- to spread it anymore. And that's, and Sweden is a great example because they have not changed what they're doing. New York can say, oh, well, we're taking masking more seriously now. We're taking such and such more seriously. And that's not really what's happening, but they, they claim that. Sweden admits they have not changed anything. Sweden has stayed the same the whole way and they've gone way down. So you have to ask yourself, if this theory is not true, then what's happening there? How, how has Sweden gotten so much better recently? If they are not doing the masking, if they are not doing the uh, social distancing. Now, am I saying we shouldn't wear masks? No. Am I saying that uh, masking is useless? No. Am I saying that throw caution to the wind? No. What I'm saying is that even though Sweden's approach, uh, it, it, yes, they lost uh, almost 6,000 people in a country of only 10 million, uh, it does seem, seem to support what I believe has been happening and what some people who've been watching closely have been saying is happening. And unfortunately, those who are saying it get drowned out. The people who are saying it on the right just get drowned out because it, it looks like they're just trying to make excuses for Trump. And the people on the left who are saying it get yelled at by people in their own party. And I, I know some. I know some personally, some people very far on the left who've been saying, look, you know, you guys are wrong about this. The, um, it really looks like it runs through the, each population once and kind of dies. And they, boy, they get shouted down. And, and they're accused of being uh, closet Trump supporters, closet Republicans, and uh, the, uh, all, all kinds of nasty things said to them. So uh, I, I think that's what's going to be the future. I think that's – when we get past this, this is going to be looked upon as a big factor. And then probably when we finally get a vaccine, if, if we do, that will be seen – that's kind of like the second factor that will completely eradicate it, where we go from uh, – from a lower number of cases to no cases or very few cases. So I, I think if, if, again, this is more evidence, and I'm not going to say much more. I've pretty much said everything here. Just wait it out if you're in one of the places that's bad. That's the best thing you can do. And that's when you also should be the most cautious if you're in the spot that's really bad because uh, uh, like there's, there's certain medical things, for example, I'm putting off. Certain medical and dental things, which are not urgent. And I, I could take the attitude of like, well, i got to do them eventually. I should just go do it now if, if it's available. But I said, no, why should I? I might as well wait two months for it to get better here. Three months for it to get better here. It'll be much less risk to me. So that's that. I'm waiting. I'm encouraging everybody else to wait who's in an area like that. And if you're not in an area like that, then you can, you can ease up a little bit. You should look at your local data for where you are before you make your decisions on how cautious to be. So I just wanted to point that out to everybody. I don't have much more coronavirus news here. I agree with that. I just started because I've been in New York uh, this week. I got my teeth cleaned, stuff that, I, like you're saying, 
that I was putting off. And, you know, the numbers have gone down significantly. To, we're getting, you know, three or four deaths a day total. Um, so I, I felt comfortable going, going ahead and doing some things that I had been putting off. Yeah, and New York so with, with that's, a, that's been my philosophy as well. Right, in New York with a very large population, uh, only less than California, they they have uh, only 789 new cases diagnosed yesterday. This is with much more testing than there used to be. Only six new deaths, and and this is a place that had 448,000 total verified cases. Only 789 yesterday. And compare this to other states that are being hard hit right now, Texas, 7630, Florida, 7650, California, 8505, Georgia, which is a smaller population, 3182, that's very bad. So the, the, those are the places you watch out for right now. Those are the places that you are really cautious and say, this is spreading through right now at, at uh, high rates, and you can get infected very easily. New York, no. New York, uh, that was the case before. It was terrifying to be in New York before. Uh, not anymore. You're you're not totally safe, but it's it's way better. It's tremendously different there, and it's not because of different behavior. They this this happened itself, and uh, if uh, you what were we gonna say? Drop. I had I had, no. I just had one quick point with Cuomo, and I'm not I'm not getting political here. And actually, I kind of thought the guy was was kind of an asshole before this whole thing happened. I wasn't a big fan of his, and of course he has the media that helps him out and whatnot. But, you know, I, I, I was here for five months, and i got to say the way, for the most part, that he handled the messaging and having the press conferences every day around 11, noon, giving the numbers, you know, the just the way he presented it, um, it, 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 it worked for him. I mean, he definitely screwed up with the nursing homes. Uh, you know, the press has been easy on him with that. But if the president handled it that way, man, would he be in a better place right now? No, I agree. You know, in fact, he, I, th- I think it was kind of the opposite. I think I think Cuomo screwed some things up, but but he had this uh, this messaging and, and the media on his side, which uh, so he did that part well, and that and that got him a lot of credit. Trump actually uh, just said a ton of stupid things, and the messaging was very poor. And, and the media was very against him. And so even though he didn't do a lot of things that really harmed anything, uh, even the mistakes he made ended up not mattering, uh, he, he's getting can, slammed. Can you, oh, I, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, can you believe just as recently as like two days ago I saw on Twitter, he's still referring to it as a Chinese virus. <laughs> I mean, how does he – I just don't get it. Like how does no one stop him? Before, like he said, because he's a racist. Well, no, well, it's 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 not so much that it, it, it's it's he, nobody stops him because nobody can stop him. He just says what he wants, and that's and that's like look at Twitter. He wakes up. He actually wakes up, and as soon as he wakes up, before he probably even goes to the bathroom, before he gets out of bed, he probably grabs his phone and tweets something, which which is crazy. Like you don't uh, like there's he doesn't run this by advisors or or think about it. He just fires off what's on his mind. And, and I used to see it like right yeah, at like he's, he's, not, he's probably on the toilet most of the time. <laughs> it, it could be for the toilet, but they but need, like they need to put one of those Wi-Fi walls around the bathroom or something. But yeah, that's it's uh, the messaging has has never been good from him, and it's uh, he he has no filter, and he just fires off without thinking, especially on Twitter, and that, that's where most of it is. But uh, but even sometimes not on Twitter, there's he'll just fire off, and and he no one can stop him, no one can convince him don't do this um, there have been people who've told him this 
but he doesn't listen. He just does what he wants, and that's uh, that's been a big problem. That's that's a big reason that he is struggling as much as he is in, in the polls right now. Rossi Clarkwing, Clarkwing, and he just can't let it go. Let it go, man. Let's let it go. He just he just can't like once he takes a position. You know, he's he's in it to the end, you know. So if it turns out that hydroxychloroquine somewhere, some study says it works, then he'll tout that. And if a study says it's bullshit, it, 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 he's going to say that's fake news, you know. So he just will not – he just won't let anything go. Well, so his, his message – Unfortunate. His message has been – the messaging hasn't been good here, and that's, that's unfortunately really hurt him because uh, what he should point to was – you should say, look, you guys are saying I made mistakes. Uh, point them out. Say, what, Tell me what mistakes I made, and I will show you a country which did the identical thing or more of this, what you're claiming is a mistake, and they did better than, way better than we did. How do you explain that? Like, I, like He should be prepared with all these things. So the, they say, uh, you open up too early? Uh, okay, look at Australia. Who uh, th- Look at their death rates, and they, they were – they never shut any much down. They they barely shut anything down at all. Like uh, you can point. Well, what about the masking? You didn't have masking enough. Okay. What about Norway? They hardly wore masks. They've done well. Like you can you can start pointing out things that really start to contradict these claims against him, and uh, and and can really make him look better. But but he doesn't do that. For and so there's a lot of people on the right, such as myself, who have been frustrated with uh, the entire campaign and the entire messaging from Trump this year on this and, and on the social unrest and a lot of things where there was a lot that could have been said to counter a lot of the criticism that for whatever reason hasn't been said and instead stupid things have been said in response and uh, uh, and that's why Trump is sitting right now as the big underdog in this election I'm, at the moment. I'm with you, Jeff. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm mainly to the right, although I'm socially liberal, but uh, I do vote mostly Republican and uh, yeah, it, 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 actually right now there has been a little bit of pivoting. He has softened a little bit, just knowing that I think he knows that they're telling him that he's behind in the internal polls. There's no question. And um, and now now he's starting to actually soften a bit, not on Twitter, because that's that's his lack of impulse control or whatever. But if you do watch his press conferences and whatever, he is they are trying to say, listen, you've got to take a different tone. You've got to take a different angle because look at the polls. What you've been doing is not working. So uh, like, you know, the rubber's meeting the road. We're coming down to it and you're going to, you're going to have to do something different. You're going to have to switch something up. He doesn't have much time left because the reason he doesn't have much time left is that he doesn't have three months. He has two months because um, even if the coronavirus gets significantly better, like right before election day, there's not enough time for people to process that and change their mind. Uh, the, the, what he would need is for there to be a significant improvement in the coronavirus numbers by about two months from now, and then time for the economy to rebound from that and for everything to look optimistic and have people feeling a lot better. Uh, and, and or, it's or just, he needs uh, some massive scandal to come out from Sleepy Joe. Well, the pro- the, the, yeah, I, I just don't think that's there, though. Like People know what... It probably isn't. People, people know comes what. Credibly, and says he touched her privacy 30, 40 years ago, and I'm just, you know, I'm just saying. Yeah, but the thing is, that there's also yeah. a higher bar on what's considered a major scandal now because of all the different uh, <laughs> things that's come out. So I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah Sleepy Joe's done a lot of 
hair sniffing and things like that. But you know, when you, when you go back to the the access Hollywood and all, it's just yeah, it's it's not. I don't think it would have to be a real bombshell that comes from absolutely nowhere. And I, I think they they vetted him. And it was basically President Obama who made the decision when it was him, Mayor Pete, and Amy Klobuchar and whatever. And he had all of them clear out. And they're like, okay, we're going with Joe. I'm pretty sure they, they made sure there were no uh, other skeletons in the closet. Right, question, uh, I'm, I'm question, sure. question for everybody here on the dais. Assuming uh, Sleepy Joe gets elected, Druff, will he actually, and I'm not saying this to be mean, I'm just a matter-of-fact statement. Will he outlive, or will he live through four years of being president? Uh, I think I th- my guess is he will live, but I, I don't think that. Uh, I think the, the the better question, and I don't know. I, it's really hard to. I think he probably will not make all four years. I think he would. Pr- he'll probably have to leave in the middle at some point uh, for for because of uh, a declining mental state. Because four years can be a very long time when you're starting to decline mentally. Four years can be a very long time, and there well, can be a lot of change. Reagan. Reagan couldn't have gone four more years if he had to. No, he, he could got not. Out right when it was perfect. Yes, well, not even that. He he got out a little bit too late, but uh, but he was able to just squeak well, it out. The public didn't know any better, for the most part. All right, Trayderuski, will he be in office, assuming he's elected for four years? He will. Is that Trayderuski? Tra- tra- yeah, Trayderuski. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, I, I feel he will. You know, I, th- I think he'll be fine. A lot of that stuff's blown out of proportion. You know, I, I'll tell you, the biggest problem with Trump is he thinks he's smart, but he's just not. How do you, you know, with the casino, his failed businesses, he's been getting, he's been on his dad's salary of like 400K a year since he's three years old. Everybody's been telling him he's right his whole life. That's why he thinks he's such a genius. But there's just all this evidence of him losing fortunes, and now he's running the whole country into the ground. And, Druff, on the thing last week or the week before, because I'm catching up on the podcast, Uh-oh. you guys did the thing about the defuncting the Trump uh, the Trump miss. I mean, what about, you know, where they had the whole pandemic playbook that John Bolton talked about? Everybody that was in the room that was briefed by the Obama administration is no longer there. Coronavirus was listed as something they should worry about, but Trump just ignored the whole thing. Well, I just feel like that's the biggest problem. Well, the thing is, nobody there was nobody on the left or right that was suggesting at the time when it could have been stopped. If the the only way it could have been stopped in the U.S. is if there was right when it was discovered, if they said that's it. Absolutely, positively, no foreign travel into the U.S. and and the people who are returning from other countries who uh, who are from the U.S. that are citizens uh, have to go through a fourteen day quarantine. And and any cases we find, there's going to be a a massive effort to contact trace those very few, but not a single. Yeah, you know, I remember, in all fairness, Trump did try doing some of that. People were saying it was racist. Right. So, so that's the problem is that is that nobody – it's not like the Democrats are all screaming, we've got to shut things down, we've got to shut things down, and Trump's like, no, it's, it'll be great. It'll be fine. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go away. It's going to be great. It's, it's, we have, have tremendous response to it. It'll, you'll see. It wasn't like that. It was not a single influential politician on either side 
said that there has to be these massive, uh, the, the, the massive border shutdown and the massive quarantine of anyone who comes back right. into the country. So, so that was the that, only way. That was the I, only I, way it could have been stopped. I agree. So the only way it could have been stopped. So that's because the pandemic team was fired, so nobody really knew what we were dealing with. No, because we they, they would have on the ground in Wuhan. No, nobody. But see, nobody. I didn't hear anybody suggesting that 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 was done until after the fact, and and so. The thing is, there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking here where people, no one right. took this seriously enough early on. And then once, I, well, I, I kind of did too because I quit going to commerce on like January 27th. But, uh, but most people, oh, yeah. most people did not. And by the time it was, it, I'm talking about like major politicians who could have had an influence, not like us. We, we, no matter what we wanted to do, it didn't matter. But for the major politicians, uh, and even major media figures, nobody suggested doing what would need to be done to stop it. And there is some defense to this in that we've never dealt with it before. So it, it just seems so yeah. crazy to, to do it to this degree. And so that's why um, it, when Trump says a lot of dumb things and makes a lot of dumb prediction, predictions, which which did not come true at all, in fact, the opposite in some cases, you, it, it's easy to look and say, oh, well, he messed it all up. It's all his fault. And then you but then if you really look at it and go, wait a minute, what what could he have done differently and can it be expected that he should have done this? And and if you if you, if the only way you could say it could be expected is if uh, people on the other side were saying you should do this, and he was refusing, and then we had terrible consequences. But I can't even think of a single thing which would fit that description. I could think of a lot of dumb things he said. What about masks? What about masks? Well, that's but I see. I don't think the masks have. Uh, right? But but first of all, he didn't say not to wear a mask. He what, mean, what he did what he didn't demonstrate the mask wearing, and he was afraid to come out and say it because he didn't want to piss off the part of his base that hates the mask. The thing is, though, right, number one, right. number, but okay, number one, but, right? But but Trump would I mean Trump? Sorry, <laughs> Trump. Would they hate, would they have hated <laughs> would they have hated the mask if he had come out and said, "Look, we're all going to suck it up. We got to get this thing behind us," you know? Because I mean. I see all of your fellow supporters out there and like screaming at the Trader Joe's and stuff. And it's, you know what I'm saying? I mean, don't you feel like a lot of that was kind of created because of just his attitude at the beginning of this? No, I don't think so. I, and I, his crackpot yeah, people kind of yeah. ran with it. I think it's, no, I think it's a, re, a reverse. I, I, I really think it's the reverse that people felt this way and he was afraid to go against them because these are the people who love him. It was like, it was like people who love me think this. And if I say this, they're not going to love me anymore. I need their support right now with everybody else hating me. So I'm just going to keep quiet uh, and, and not say anything. Those politicians that, and those politicians that were supposed to be protecting us and looking out for us, you know what they were doing? As soon as they got briefed for the first time, they went home, logged in their TD Meritrade account, and started dumping all their hospitality stock. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, huh? That, that, that did happen. Uh, Amazing. Trump, I just wanted to, I just, okay. just wanted to say I, I agree with you when you talk about Trump and money, Monday morning quarterbacking. And but me and you both know it's all about the messaging war, and he's lost that. Well, yeah, he so, has. He he, he isn't well. he isn't doing well with that, and that's why he's way behind in the polls. And that's what. Uh, and there's there have been people like myself and other. You know, I I talk to other uh, conservatives on social media privately, and, and a lot of us get very disgusted with things that that uh, his campaign has done. As he's done, we've we've even uh, like we'll send this message and kind of like. You know, do a face palm and go, oh, no, I can't believe he just said this or tweeted this or his people are saying this. Like, a, like we'll, we'll say this to each other 
and and be frustrated. So we're, we're not trading messages like, oh, Trump's wonderful. Trump's the, uh, Trump isn't making any mistakes. Oh, it's it's all it's all left wing media conspiracy. Uh, he, he's perfect. We we don't we we don't send that back to each other. We don't send that back and forth privately. We we uh, there, there's now there's some people who probably do. But I don't, and a lot of the conservatives I know don't. But we also see plenty of unfairness to him and just to Republicans in general regarding uh, from the media. That's uh, that's just a lot of a lot of things which uh, he's blamed for that were not his fault. A lot of things that the Democrats have done wrong that they won't cover or will barely cover, and 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 that's very infuriating when you you know that. Uh, that these things are different than is being portrayed, and it can be very frustrating to try to try to, try to say otherwise. So I don't want to get a whole political debate here, but uh, uh, I, I will. Agree. Jeff Dime is correct that that Trump has done the messaging very poorly, and that uh, in 2020 the Democrats have done a much better job. In fact, the, not just the Democrats, the left, the, the the left part of the Democrats, they've done the best job with the messaging and, and with the influ- with influence and, and getting people to think their way. They, they've done the best. That's, that's been the faction in the country in 2020 that has been most effective at what they've done. And that's for someone who's on the opposite side like me, it's frustrating to see. I can concede it's happening and I can't do anything to stop it personally, but I, but I, I can concede that's been happening. There's been a lot of uh, strategic mistakes on the part of, of the right and even part of the, mo- on the part of the moderate left, which, which hasn't, uh, they've been afraid to stand up to the more extreme elements. And a lot of them are very frustrated as well. So uh, it's you know I I I wish this I wish the coronavirus is not politicized I I don't want to politicize it I want just the truth I want what's realistic no matter who looks bad or who looks good and uh, I also uh, am frustrated that no government body and I said this earlier in the show has been putting out the data they should we're not we're not seeing accurate data about this that allows us to make responsible decisions and that's also uh, very bad, and I don't know why that's yeah. happening. Yeah, the 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 books have been cooked, you know, uh, one way or another, and and that and that's really unfortunate. And it's also very unfortunate that this whole thing happened in an election year. You know, uh, uh, in, in you know, you had four years, and this happened in the year four of a presidential term. It would have been better off than any, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point that that's making it more politicized. And it would have been politicized anyway, but I agree this is even making it more politicized. And and it's too bad because what really should be happening is people should try to come together and say, we just want the truth. We just want the accurate truth, not what helps our side, not what makes the other side look bad, but the actual truth of what's happening. And then figure out the actual best course to take, which I know is not simple, but that should be the goal. And unfortunately, for some people, the goal is let's make the other side look bad, and I and I I don't like that goal. And I've I've actually criticized people on both sides when I've seen that being done because I I don't like it, and I just want to see this solved. And uh, I was using the hydroxychloroquine for example. Uh, if that's if that's going to be something that works, I don't think it's going to be a miracle cure no matter what. But if that's something that has some positive use, if there if there is some usefulness of it. Then great, I'm happy to hear the good news for it. Not because Trump liked it, but because that would be nice to see a medication working uh, for, for the coronavirus. And that's all I think about. I don't think, oh, wow, I really hope this works so Trump looks good. I, I think I want this to work just like I want any of them to work. I don't have a preference that this works over any other. I just want to read any good news about uh, a treatment for the coronavirus. 
But uh, unfortunately, you have people on the right who, who are cheering for it, like they're cheering for their home team, and you have people on the left who hate it and would probably rather see people die than, than have this be successful. And uh, like if their choice was uh, um, have this save some lives and get good press or have this uh, not save lives and, and uh, get terrible press and make Trump look bad, a lot of them, they won't admit it, but a lot of them would, pr- would choose the latter. And, it, and it's sad. It's sad that there's people rooting against it working. And it's sad that there are some who are delusional who, no matter what is said, will not accept any – if it turns out it, it's useless, some will never accept that. And I've never seen a medication politicized in this way, and uh, both sides are doing it. And if you think only one side is doing it, then you're not uh, looking closely. So, okay. I think it's kind of like a Hail Mary right now in the West Coast with the hydroxychloroquine. Like, Trump threw it. And he's just hoping, like, in two months, you know, something comes up. Like, hydroxychloroquine's the miracle. It's the answer. And then, you know, and then and then he'll probably get reelected. So I think that's it, – it's, it's almost like his Hail Mary right now. Yeah, I, 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 I think at like, best – I think at best it's going to be something that can be used to bring down, like, the very severe uh, cases or something that could maybe shorten the recovery time, something like that. It's not going to be some, there's no way it's going to be a miracle cure where you just take it as soon as you notice symptoms and you're better. I think we're past that point to where we know that doesn't do that. Uh, I think the best they'll find is that it has some use, but it's not uh, a game changer. Uh, and it's possible it'll be found that it's either useless or actually harmful. But whatever, to me, it's just a medication. To me, it is just a medication, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, especially when you're rushing to figure out what is the truth and, and what uh, what's effective and what isn't. We just have to wait for a lot of this to become clear, and in the meantime, try not to get it. Okay, let me uh, move on here to a non-coronavirus topic. The St. Louis Cardinals, I know Brandon will be interested in this one. He likes the baseball topics. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals... They had a coronavirus outbreak. They missed uh, several games. And uh, now it is being blamed on a casino. It is thought now that a Wisconsin casino named the uh, the Potawatomi Casino, it's an Indian casino in Wisconsin, it is thought that that casino is responsible for the St. Louis Cardinals having this outbreak. Now, I don't want to say this is the casino's fault. I kind of misspoke that way earlier. Now, I just did it again. It is the fault of the players for violating protocol by going to these casinos. They should not be going to these casinos. And Brandon raised this point on a previous episode that uh, baseball is doing it wrong. They're giving too much freedom to the players, and, and now they're having these outbreaks, and the NBA is doing it a lot better where they're very strict about what players can do. So apparently some St. Louis Cardinals went to this casino in Wisconsin – and caught COVID there. That is the new theory. Of course, there, there's no proof that that's where they got the COVID because the COVID doesn't say, hey, I, I came from this casino. But uh, upon investigating the situation, uh, it has been acknowledged that some players from the Cardinals went to a casino. And it was deduced that it was probably that one. So uh, they figured out that... Uh, the players were uh, in Minnesota, and then they had an off day on Thursday that was going to be in Milwaukee. And uh, it, so they figured, okay, it has to be either a casino in Minnesota 
Missouri or Milwaukee based upon the timing because that's when they caught it was was uh, in that time period and and it was uh, found that they went to a casino I, I don't know how but it was uh, that, that the rumor got out that they went to a casino well it came out in uh, according to a TV station in Milwaukee that the the members of the team were seen at a Milwaukee golf course on Thursday. So it was much more likely that they had gone to a Wisconsin casino than one of these others. Because remember, on their off day is when they were, they were thought to have been to that, to a casino and caught COVID. And that off day was a, a Thursday. So since they were seen during the day on Thursday at a golf course, it was assumed that probably at night, they went to a casino in that area. So the closest casino to the Milwaukee Brewers home park is that Potawatomi Casino. And uh, that was opened in June. That was reopened in June. So that was open. So it's not certain that that's where they got it, but uh, that's what's being assumed right now. But uh, they did go to the casino and this was tweeted by uh, reporter John Heyman. He said, at least a couple of Cardinals did go to a casino. Uh, MLB has since tightened its rule on leaving the team hotel from very strongly discouraged to not allowed. See, Brandon, you should have been making the rules. They've, and Brandon said this last week that they had to just not allow it. The Cards COVID account going from three uh, going into today, three players, four staff. And this was uh, four days ago. So it is thought that uh, a casino probably uh, infected the Cardinals. They, I, I can't believe that they just had it as strongly discouraged. They should have just made it to where they can't leave. I don't know what they were thinking. All it takes is one person to be infected, and they can infect the whole clubhouse. Brandon, have you heard of the story? Uh-oh. Nothing from Brandon here. I think I see he's on mute. Well, okay. Anyway, whenever Brandon comes back. Well, well, I'll say, Draft, it's kind of hard just to, you know, corral those multi-millionaires and tell them they can't do something fun, you know? Well, they did it in the NBA, though. The NBA successfully did it. No, I know, but, well, because they're they're in one place the whole time. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Just like when they're moving around, I would just think it would be harder. Because, like, what's re- so then they're not allowed to go just grab a bite to eat somewhere? Do they have to just go hotel, you well, know, now, in the van to the have you seen, have you Have you seen the way it is now, what they just uh, did? Every team was forced to hire basically a COVID-19 compliance officer. Yeah. And any player that wants to leave the hotel when they're on a road game, uh, when, you know, they're playing, when they're on the road, has to get permission from that compliance officer to leave the hotel. If he denies it, then they're not allowed to leave. Um. But no, listen, Major League Baseball basically admitted, you know, Derek, D, uh, Derek Jeter admitted that, you know, the Marlins got lackadaisical. They just, you know, were, you know, thought they were invincible. They were just not wearing masks. They were socializing. They were, you know, going out. I mean, the NBA has done it the, the way it's supposed to be. And I guess to another extent, so is uh, NHL. Yeah. You know, uh, hockey. Yeah, yeah the Marlins. Right. The Marlins also had a, a big uh, COVID outbreak, worse than the Cardinals, in fact. And they... Uh, apparently that came from a nightclub. It's what's assumed now. So that's uh, so Jerry Harrison Jr., who's a, uh, a former player. He even played for the Dodgers, and uh, now he's uh, more of a media figure since he retired. 
He said uh, he wrote a few Marlins go to a club and now hearing a few Cardinals went to a casino. That's not following protocols. Players are furious because 20 other, 28 other teams have worked hard to follow guidelines. Shaking my head. He tweeted that on August 1st. So, yeah, it's uh, you know, just a, just a few players who are doing the wrong thing can screw it up for everybody. Yeah. And it's it's still precarious you know what, whether don't this. Look now. Don't look now, but my Marlins are my Marlins are six and one. Don't remind me. I, straight since they've come back. I, I bet against them today. I bet on the, the Orioles and they it, it was very close, but uh, they just barely fell you short. Shouldn't. It was sad. I, I'm surprised. I, I keep waiting for the wheels to fall off for the Marlins who are at six and one here, but they they're not losing. It's a weird season, though. I mean, listen, they're starting. They're starting. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a second baseman or, or a shortstop. Is a guy who played in his first major league game yesterday or two days ago, and he was a silver medalist in like speed skating. Yeah, in the Olympics. Did you see this? Yes, I saw that. And then they're also bringing back fail. I mean, the they're guys, bringing in fail players like, uh, yeah, guys, like Logan Forsyth yeah. and others now. The guy is fast, and obviously he's, he's athletic. But if this pandemic didn't happen, more even specifically, you know, it affecting the Marlins, he never would have made it to the major leagues. You know, he, I mean, he, he, he yeah. you know, he's not that talent. You know, he's obviously world class as an athlete. But anyhow, God bless his soul. Thirty years old, and he made <laughs> played in his first major league uh, game yesterday or the day before. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that anyhow, be a lot of people given chances to to step up. I, you know, I was thinking about that the other day. There's just so many spots. Yeah, there's and there's additional roster. There's additional roster space plus all the people who keep uh, falling out because of COVID or because they opted out of the season. So there there are there's a lot more chance to play this year than in other years, and uh, probably there are there's some guys. A lot of good a lot of good pitchers that are injured. Yes, and I think a lot of that has to do with the shortened camp because, you know, the the pitchers and catchers they go a couple of weeks earlier in spring training, and uh, only having a couple of weeks, um, you know, Verlander's down. I my my brain can't mention them all, but there's probably twenty five, thirty, you know, pretty top notch pitchers that are uh, are injured right now. Yeah, um, so there definitely is uh, chances to step up. I also want to say I think. Probably the lax rules in the beginning, you know, strongly discouraged, which is doesn't really mean anything. I would say that's probably because of the power of the uh, players union in baseball, which has always been, you know, the most powerful union in, in all major sports. And um, that, that probably had, you know, part to do with the negotiations that we're not going to make it that you have to stay there. We're going to say it's strongly discouraged. Yeah, and, uh, definitely. Obviously, that didn't work out too great. Yeah, so that's a big mess, and I, I, I still don't know if the season is going to complete. They've been trying to power through the issues, and fortunately, there hasn't been a massive outbreak through Major League Baseball. It's been isolated to certain teams, so they've been able to continue on, and just uh, those teams stop playing, and then they they have to catch back up with double crazy double headers schedules and stuff like that. So, uh, I don't know if this is going to work. They they've been trying, but. It's it's still up in the air whether the season's going to finish, or like if if there's a massive outbreak and just tons of teams get it, they're going to have to just give up. If the players can really watch themselves and not expose themselves, then they can do it. Like this is not impossible. If the players act responsibly, if you just don't expose yourself to the virus very much, the the chance of getting it is much much lower. That's what they have to do, and then just hope that things don't get worse 
than they've been so far. I, I think what they're doing with the COVID officers, as, as silly as that sound, is it's probably uh, necessary here, given what's been happening, because you have two different teams where some players have acted irresponsibly and it's caused outbreaks on these teams. Anyway, I, I want to finish off with uh, a weird story. This is brought to me by a forum member. This forum member goes by Aaron Mike Hunt, and it's a it's a joke referring to the name of uh, Brian Mikeon's ex-wife. But uh, th- he was a young guy when he came up with that name. I guess he still uses it. But anyway, he's an East Coast player, and he uses something called Table Tamer. Now, I knew I – I wasn't familiar with Table Tamer, but I knew from the name it was probably a HUD, which stands for Heads Up Display. It's, it's one of these things that helps you play poker by giving you stats on people and all that. So I assumed it was just one of those that displays the stats of, of how often people raise and, and how often they bet pre-flop and, and, and all this stuff, all that type of stuff. So I thought that's what he was talking about, but it turns out the Table Tamer is not quite that. Table Tamer, from what I can see – is like Table Ninja, which does not give stats on the other players. It gives stats for you about uh, your statistics. So uh, the type of thing which will be presented to you is uh, how long it's been since the action's been on you, how long the average time it is for you to act, uh, how many big blinds you have. This is good for tournaments, of course. Uh, you know, how many big blinds you have left instead of just a chip total. Uh, it'll list a lot of things which can be useful to you about uh, about your own stats so so you can figure out uh, what you might be doing wrong and uh, uh, so especially for multi-tablers people who have you know 12 tables going it's very hard to remember what you've been doing at each table and table tamer keeps track of all this for you so it's kind of paying attention for you rather than so you don't have to notice as much when you're frantically multi-tabling I don't use anything like that because uh, as a limit hold'em player, I never play an insane number of tables because it's not possible. And there just isn't that type of action in limit hold'em uh, online these days. So I, I couldn't play a million tables at once if I tried, unless I wanted on these private apps, which I don't do. So I don't use stuff like this, but there's people who do, and this Aaron Mykunt does. But uh, the reason I'm talking about Table Tamer is that something weird happened, and I, I can't fully explain it. Table Tamer is a piece of software, but it's not something you just buy once. You, you need a subscription to it. And if you don't have a subscription to it, uh, then it doesn't work. So here's what uh, he wrote about it. He wrote, a poker software similar to Table Ninja, which also makes it easier to play on multiple sites at the same time, called Table Tamer, has shut off and stopped working out of nowhere. The website, which is www.tabletamer.com, is blank and says suspended. The owner was experiencing some health issues and was slower to fix problems with the software, but that's separate from the software completely shutting off. It had always functioned, even if needing updates. It's been two full days now without any information. The software charges people both a monthly and yearly subscription. I pay 130 a year for it, and there are hundreds of others who subscribe to it as well, if not more. Now, the weird thing about this is it doesn't make sense. Once you've got all this established, it's pretty cheap to run. So the guy had a website, which of course is, is pretty cheap to keep running. The guy has uh, a subscription service where people buy this software that he's already written and they subscribe to the service, which of course he's already produced. And his website is 
serving this, so the website presumably also functions as uh, something that allows the, that processes the information that allows the software to work, or or something that gives the okay for the software to work. Maybe the website just validating the subscription, and if if the subscription is not validated, then the software will not work for you. I don't know how the guy wrote it, but. The work was done. I mean, yes, there are probably updates the guy has to do and, and work he has to do. It's not just something that runs itself, but it mostly runs itself. Once you've, he's done all the hard part. He's done the expensive part. At this point, it's pretty much printing money where people subscribe to it for a monthly or yearly fee, depending on what way they want to do it. And then you just sit there and make sure the website stays up and you fix any little problems that come up and, and, uh, money flies into your Jew wallet. That, that's the way it should work. That's the way I believe it did work. I'm not familiar with this particular product, but I know these software products and how they're developed and how they're maintained, and the hard part was done. So this doesn't make any sense. There's very little ongoing cost. Uh, the best example I could give you from a non-technical perspective is uh, most of you are probably aware that like a soda fountain is very, very cheap to uh, dispense soda. It costs the business very little to fill up a, a, like a cup of Coca-Cola. And then they charge you two, three dollars for it and they make a huge profit. The money that the business mainly spends is to uh, get the whole thing established in the first place. So to get the machine, to get the fountain in the first place is, is the expensive part. And, and of course to pay the rent on the place. But let's say you have a place where the restaurant owner has prepaid the rent for a year. And, uh, and let's say he has all the syrup he needs for the, for the machine. And really, it's just a matter of paying the electricity for the the soda machine to run. And it's working fine. It's not breaking down. It's in good working order. He has all the syrup for it. He, he has – he's paid – he prepaid the rent a year for the uh, the place it's in. And people are paying like three bucks every time they fill up their cup. And one day, he just takes it away. Would that make any sense? Would that make any sense if that was all true? It would make no, no sense. No, no. I mean, he's got no overhead. I mean, take the money and run doesn't make any sense. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. You're right. I mean, it would make more no, sense. If, if, right. If it would make more sense if the guy had said, uh, uh, "Hey, subscribe to my service, and the software will be out shortly," and then he drags his feet releasing the software, and then he disappears. That would be shitty, but it would make sense because the guy couldn't produce the software. And uh, he was having trouble. He wasn't getting it done. He didn't want people just, uh, you know, wanted the money back, so he just would run off and disappear. Here, where he's got something that's printing money for him, that he's already done all the work, and the overhead's very low, why would you ever run off? So I said, that the only thing I thought could be the possibility is that he died. I said, or maybe he's very sick or died. I, I asked, is there any chance the owner died? Remember, in this post, it said that he was experiencing some health problems. So... Is it possible he died, I asked. I said, it's hard to believe he'd run off when the cost of keeping it running has to be minimal and he's making good money off of it. And Aaron Mikeunt said back, I don't think so. He was active on Skype as of a day ago. And remember, he disappeared two days ago. Also, I don't really understand how software stuff works, but you have to connect to a server for the software to work and it's all down. But if someone died, it's not like it would automatically turn off to coincide with their death. And that's a good part. That's a, that's a good point, I mean, that uh, the chance that the whatever he's paying for the to rent the server space that it would happen to expire the day he expires, and and that they turn it off is is all pretty low. He said, I guess over time it could happen if bills weren't paid, but not this quickly. Now, I guess it's possible that the guy is so broke that he couldn't even pay to keep the server running. So maybe 
he's been stalling the whatever company is serving this and that he blew all the money. <laughs> he just simply can't afford to pay the server bill. So uh, it lapsed, and then, of course, he disappeared because he didn't want to admit to people, hey, I, I can't afford to pay the relatively low server bill, so sorry, until this goes back up, your software's not going to work. Maybe he, just is, he doesn't know what to say to people. Like, think if he just degenerated yeah, off the that, money. I, that's the only, I, I, yeah, that's the only thing that really makes sense. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, why else then, would you do you that? Know, he got, got in over his head in some kind of weird way like that. By the way, to, to the guy running Table Tamer, if it really is like I'm saying, uh, uh, I'll take it off your hands. Sell it to me. I'll take Table Tamer. And I'll, I'll, I will maintain yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll put it on my server, and, and, and you can pay me. I mean, that's uh, I'll even buy it off you. I mean, this uh, that really sounds like something that can make good money over time here. And who knows how long everybody will be trapped inside uh, playing uh, online poker. I mean, this thing sounds like it's uh, the very profitable thing to have running. And to let this to let his website get suspended is, is crazy. And just let this go down. And what's going to happen to people are going to abandon it. People are, are going to say, screw it. We got ripped off. Oh, well. And they're never going to trust him again. Well, like, like if he jumps on this well, fast and he fixes it, then, then, we're, then people will forgive it. If this sits away for weeks... They're not going to trust him, and they won't continue subscribing. They're going to leave. Well, Mr. Table Tamer, if you listen to PFA Radio, definitely get in touch with Drop. Maybe you guys could work something out. Yeah, <laughs> you know. and I know Aaron Mikeunt listens. Seriously, have if you are in contact with Skype with the guy, the Table Tamer guy on Skype. Seriously, tell him Dan Drop wants to take it over. And uh, as long as it's what I think it is, as long as it doesn't need like massive work to go back up, then. Uh, I'll I'll buy it off of him and I'll run it. It's not it's not illegal, so I'm not worried about getting in trouble. I'll, I seriously will buy it off him, and and run it myself, because uh, that sounds like something that I'd like to own, and it, it would be very easy if this guy did all the work already. So uh, let me know, Mister yeah, Table Tamer. Pass a little passive income for you, Drew. Yes, <laughs> that's a very strange story. I I just don't get it. All right, uh, Brandon. Anything else you'd like to bring up or Trederuski? I'm good. Okay. What about you, Brandon? Anything else? Um, I, yeah, I do. With all that's going on in uh, Vegas, or I should say lack of what's going on, the casinos are trying to creatively find any which way to uh, get people here. So MGM today held a press conference, MGM Resorts. And funny enough, I have a newspaper here. It just came. I was going to read off the computer, but I'm just going to grab the newspaper here. So anyhow, MGM had a press conference yesterday to announce their new initiative, their new marketing campaign. Are you familiar with this, Drew? No, I'm not. All right, hold on. Sorry, got to find it here. Okay. It's MGM's newest pitch, and it's called the Viva La, La I'm sorry, Viva Las Office Program. Anyone have a guess what that means? It's called Viva Las Office Program. I think it's something to bring like people from small businesses or something, offices over to, to Vegas in a group. Basically what they're trying to do is they're marketing to the people that they know are working remotely at home anyhow. And they're saying, well, you know what? You're, you're, you're working at home anyhow. Why don't you come stay here? We're not expecting you to gamble and party and go to the club. Ah. You can't go to anyhow. Okay. But we're going to rearrange the rooms, you know, to make it more 
like a home, like an office slash home, relaxing. But, you know, when you're not working at night, you can gamble a little bit. You can maybe have a meal or two. So, you know, I, I don't have a computer near me. If you want to read more about it, this article in the review journal is kind of a fail. Just Google real fast. They just held the press conference today. Google real fast, Viva Las Office, and just kind of read the basics. Okay, I'm doing that right now. Viva Las Office. And the, just, they just I can't came imagine out them doing press. this with one of their top-end properties, right? This is going to happen at the Excalibur or the Luxor. No, it's the Blagio, it's the Blagio and Aria. No, I, I can believe it. I, I, I can believe it. Okay, so this is what wow. it says here. It says uh, MGM Resorts wants to bring Las Vegas workers who are getting tired of staring at the home office walls. The casino resort company announced a new package Thursday called Viva Las Office. Build as the ultimate home away from the office, the home office experience. Guests who book the package can stay at the Bellagio or Aria, receive a discount on a GSX round trip flight, and enjoy flexible check in and check out times. And then the quote from Atif Rafiq, who's MGM's president of commercial and growth, said, We understand that working from home every day can become taxing and monotonous, but we are excited to offer a safe and curated experience here at Bellagio and Aria that combines work and play. Wow. Guests will also have an executive assistant to coordinate details as needed during their visits, plus credits for food and drink. The three-night packages start at only $126.33 per night, but it does not include resort fees and taxes. And uh, they said the premium packages include yeah. pool, poolside massages. That's funny. And you know they have some juiced up uh, resort fee that includes like fax machines and all these other things for like ninety nine dollars a day. I'll bet. <laughs> well, I don't think this is gonna. I don't think this is gonna get any momentum. Do you? No. Hey, but, <laughs> I like I like the assistant thing. I, you know, I may have to show that to my to, to my assistant and get him a little nervous. <laughs> Trader is going to make him work harder. Yeah, that I yeah. I wonder what the assistant does. Like, what's the extent you can get them to work for you? Can you just keep having them come up at your beck and call to keep getting you things, or at, at some point do they go, no, no, I've done enough for you today. No, you've you've, you've reached your allocation of the executive <laughs> assistant. Get out of here. Can you please send the assistant up? I can't reach the remote control. Can you please send the assistant Anyhow, up? That's all I got. Can, can you please send uh, the assistant even up? With the, even with those rates, even with those rates, you need to be making a pretty good salary because you're probably going to order room service a couple of times and maybe maybe dump some money in the pit. Uh, so it might, it might not be a profitable. Uh, well, I guess you're going to go anyway. Like, let, let me tell you, some people are. Uh, there anything that allows them to vacation cheaper if they were going to go anyway or or this might entice them to go anyway like uh for example uh many hotels have rates for medical professionals and so you don't have to be in town to work on anything covid-19 related or even be there uh, for anything work related if you are a medical professional then you, you can stay in some very nice hotels for very cheap if you can show proof when you check in that, that you're really a doctor or a nurse or whatever. So some of these uh, hotels have that, and and people some people have been taking advantage of it to take cheap vacations. Now I wouldn't I wouldn't go anywhere to stay anywhere for free right now because I'd be afraid to do it. But uh, people who want to travel anyway, some people are, are jumping on these things. So some people who are working from home anyway, and I, I see what they're going for here. As Brandon said, there's people who say, hey, you know, I it doesn't matter where I am. So as long as I'm doing work from home and I, I can connect, I don't have to be from home. I can I can be working from Las Vegas. 
And I'm wondering what these check-in and check-out policies are. Are they letting you check out at like 5 on the day you check out instead of 12? So this way you can complete the workday there? Maybe that's what it is, so you don't miss a day of work. So this way this way you can be encouraged to come from like uh, Monday through Wednesday and not have to worry, what do you do Wednesday when it's time to check out? So that's uh, this way you can check out at 5 and drive home and then be... That's a good point. I didn't even think about that, yeah. They can't have you be yeah, if, if it's not even a rousing success, they'll still make some money if they just get a couple people. It's it's money they wouldn't have gotten anyway, so... Yeah, it, it could be something where it, it it doesn't make a significant impact, but they're saying, why not? It's just, let, let's try some things to get going. In fact, I've even wondered this myself, like, how many people who are working from home right now are really not doing it from home? How many either are going elsewhere, even on vacation? And as long as they don't have to appear on camera and make, make it obvious that they're in a hotel somewhere where they shouldn't be, uh, they probably can do it as long as they're somewhere with reliable internet and, and reliable phone service. So that might be happening anyway, and they may have decided to take well, advantage of Well, you know why they did it? You know why they did it? They got really, they got really, really excited. Uh, when I say they, I mean MGM Mirage Resorts, because after everything opened back up, you know, they're like, wow, we got this really good player here. He's dumping money. He seems to be a bottomless pit. And then he gets indicted because he used the money from the Paycheck Protection Program. Ah. <laughs> they got to find I mean. Yeah, they got to replace him. Unbelievable. Yeah, they got to replace him. Yeah, well, it's interesting, all these things that have changed because of the times we're living in, like to watch commercials now on TV, there's so many things about uh, contactless, uh, uh, a contactless experience or uh, uh, the contactless delivery or the, all these things about how you can utilize their services without coming into contact with anybody or how safe it is to do. And I'm thinking, this is such a weird thing to see this in commercials. Like imagine if you were watching today's commercials in 2019, like if you could look in the future and see the t- the 2020 commercials in 2019, or, or if you just look on the streets in 2019, it, it, like look at 2020 from 2019 and see everyone walking around with masks and and, and tr- staying away from each other, and you go, "What is going on? What 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 just happened there? What what's happening in the world?" It would be a really weird thing to see. Like we we've gotten used to it, but this would be a really weird thing to see, looking into this time from 2019. And in fact, it can be depressing because, like, I, I'll sometimes watch TV shows that were made in 2019 or 2018, and life is just so normal. Everybody's all close together, and everybody's having fun and partying. And I'm thinking, like, oh, they can't do that now. Oh, it's not safe. Oh, this obviously wasn't made this year. Like, I, I, I'm looking at things like this, and it's amazing to think how everything became so different so quickly. And it's just a, a it, sometimes. It can feel normal for a moment, and then you sometimes look and go, wait a minute, this is crazy. I've been watching a lot of, like, concerts on YouTube. There's such great content, but then you're looking at this. It's like, I'm never going to be able to see this band live again. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say never, but yeah. that's It's just going to be different. I mean, right, but just in a crowd or a mosh, you know, or just up front. It's just, it's not, it's going to be different. Yeah, if this never goes away fully or if this drags for some time, even at a minor level, yeah, a lot of these things like that are probably going to change where they just won't exist or it'll be a long time until they come back or there's there's kind of a different dynamic where it's spread out more. I, I really wonder for the future of a lot of these things. Especially if this kind of lingers for a long time. 
Sorry, Jeff. And, but bands like the Stones, you know, I mean, in places like, like how much more time did they have left? And now it's like we're missing a lot of this stuff. It just kind of sucks. Yeah, and and uh, that's why it's important to also with, as far as older family members, it's important to spend time with them. And yeah, you know, try to be careful. Of course, they don't don't expose yourself, or try to really be careful in the weeks leading up to when you see them, so you can uh, be safe around them. But uh, it, with with older family members, you never know how much they're going to be around anyway, because anything could happen at any time. Which uh, I know Vintage One learned in a, in a very painful fashion uh, last month. And uh, so, so you want to spend as much time you can with family, and not just hide from them, and then. One day they they could be gone and it's not related to the coronavirus or even if it's from the coronavirus either way, and you'll regret that you lost this time. So it's important uh, to to do that if you have older family members, especially parents, that uh, that you could see. Especially if it's some effort, you may not want to put it. So like I know Jeff Dime with his mom coming to visit him, that's good. I know it's not his mom's not really old; she's in her sixties, so she probably would have a good deal of time left anyway, but especially those with older parents, uh, it's, it's good to, you know, be careful. Don't infect them for sure, but also don't be afraid to see them at all because, uh, if, if they pass away while you're waiting for this to pass, then you're going to regret it. And that's yeah, with, with, with my mom, my, my biggest fear is that she has to outlive me. <laughs> so that my, my goal is to not have to put her through that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a tough time. And it's amazing how quickly, like, we've adjusted to the new normal, you know, with the masks and everything. And it's just, uh, it, it has been, if you just fast, you know, rewind the clock six, seven months, eight months, it's 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 amazing uh, how much you know the world has changed. Um, I never never could have seen it coming. Never yeah. could have seen it. Coming. I, I have I have a question for everybody here. Uh, I had to choose for Benjamin School. Uh, I had to make uh, a choice of uh, four choices I could pick here. Now his school is going to be all online at first, but I still had to make the choice because it may not be permanent that way. They may switch it at some point. So I still had to make the choice, even though it is going to all be online. But the choices I had were: there's the uh, the 8:30 a.m. Zoom class, there's the 12:30 p.m. Zoom class, then there's the 8:30 a.m. Uh, regular class where you actually go into school, or the 12:30 p.m. regular class where you go into school. Those are my four choices for Benjamin this year. Which one do you think I chose? Uh, Jeff Dime, what do you think I picked? 12.30 Zoom, no question. At 12.30. In 8.30 Zoom. 8.30 Zoom to get him to bed early so he could do radio. Okay. What, what, do, you, what do you think, Trader Ruski? I, I have to go with Jeff. I think it's the 12.30 Zoom. You're going to lose. Nope. They won. Brandon, you lost. I picked the 12.30 Zoom. 12.30. The 12.30 Zoom. Now, here's the next question. Which one of those four options was the least popular by a wide margin? The 8.30 at school. What do you think, Jeff? 8.30 at school. I'm with Trader Rooster. 12.30 at school. school. You're all 
incorrect. The 1230 Zoom, which wow. I chose, is by far the most uh, unpopular. Only 53 people, myself included, went with that out of uh, uh, way more than that in the school. Like, I'm forgetting how large the school is, but something like 800 people and like 53 went for that. Uh, so much that it created I, a problem. Okay, I, I, I think, conventional I think, people I think with conventional jobs Exactly. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. So what happened was, I thought you were saying for you, Drop. That's why I. Well, well, yeah. The first question was the first question was for me. Then the second question was about uh, everybody else. So, uh, so I, so they actually had a problem where they had to force people into the one they didn't want. They weren't going to force people into an option they didn't want, but they were going to force people to a time they didn't want. Uh, from the afternoon to the morning. For me, it was fine because they weren't going to force me out of the afternoon since nobody wanted that. I, I, they were happy I chose this because hardly anyone wanted it. But uh, it was interesting to see you know what break- that reminds me of? It reminds me of people that got forced to play in day three of the World Series back in 2006, 7, 8, 9 that didn't want to. Yeah, that is kind of like that. So, so they, they – I don't know. They had like a lottery. Unfortunately, I didn't have to be part of that lottery. But I, I think it is because of working people – they uh, they didn't want it. I think it was a combination of working people, and I also think a lot of them feel it's weird for their kid to start the Zoom instruction at 12.30, and they want the kid to, to get it out of the way in the morning. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you my reasoning for it, because uh, I did have to think about it a little bit, but not that long. Uh, it is true that if Benjamin begins at 12.30 – that by the time he's done with all his schoolwork, it'll get late, and then he'll start to lose attention and lose interest in it. It just the whole day gets very late if you're starting the kid that late. Uh, I think twelve thirty is a little too late. I would prefer it starts earlier, but that's the option was like eight thirty or twelve thirty. So, uh, so that that's the downside, and that's why I think a lot of parents didn't want it. But I also thought about this: that Benjamin doesn't like waking up early. He's like me. And when you're in regular school, that's just the way it is. You've got to wake up early, and you know every day is kind of a struggle. He's exhausted, and uh, uh, you know, and eventually he gets up and he's fine. But it's kind of a struggle to get him up early in the morning. And I said to myself, "Why? Why are we doing this if if we don't have to? If there's an option where he doesn't have to get up early, if he doesn't have to get up at eight, if I don't have to be up at eight, uh, his mom who is up but is working." Uh, even working from home, you know, she can't uh, be part of this. So I thought, you know, it, I I think it's just better to not worry about getting making sure he gets to bed early every night so he can be up by eight and 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 making sure that uh, he's up by that time. And what if he's tired? What do we do? Like this way, the twelve thirty gives a lot of flexibility. Now they're actually supposed to and do. Jeff, you can still you can do the homework from like ten thirty to eleven thirty the day of. Well, that's the, that's the plan. You that's know, the plan. And, is they're they're supposed to the, yeah. they're supposed to also do like work uh, not on the Zoom, just kind of like classwork that they give you. That's supposed to be like the. Like the Zoom is the instruction, and then the the other part of the day is supposed to be the classwork. So we're not going to get up at eight a.m. to have him do the classwork. But this way, it, yeah, we told him it's not going to his day is not going to start at twelve thirty, but uh, but it's not going to start at eight. It's going to be a kind of a middle ground. Yeah, where, just ten thirty to eleven thirty, have lunch, and then he does his Zoom, you know, something like that. Yeah. So, but this way, at least gives some flexibility. I'd like to give some flexibility. You're not forced to wake him up early, and we're not forced to be up early. I, I just thought, like, why? force an early day upon everybody who may not really want it. it it's, it's such, I, I feel the other way has a lot more flexibility, 
but most people didn't feel that way. So it's funny how most didn't go with me on that one. I'd, I'd actually like to talk to the other some of the other 52 parents to see what their thinking was on this. I wonder if there are also people who just like hate getting up early in the morning. So that uh, that's what I had to do. It was interesting seeing the numbers. I'm glad it didn't go the other way. I'm glad it wasn't like that everyone wanted my time and I had to be in this lottery and be forced at 8.30. I remember how disappointed I was when I went to college. I went to orientation in the summer. Uh, and uh, you actually like stay overnight there in the dorms for like one night in, in, uh, in the summer, in like in July. So I did that. And that's when you choose your classes. Now, I had done a little preparation for this of, of classes that I thought that I should take. For, for in my first quarter there. And uh, to my disappointment, I found that I had very last priority because all the other people who were not incoming freshmen had already selected their classes by then. So the, the, the incoming freshmen would do it at orientation and had the last choice. So a lot of things were already full. And I found that uh, for that reason, I got forced into some 8 a.m. classes I really didn't want. Like the classes were okay, but I didn't want the 8 a.m. time. And had I had more selection, I could have chosen a different time that wasn't 8, but 8 was all that was there. And I, yeah, I 8 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, those were the worst. Yes, yes. <laughs> I had a lot of those. So I, it was so frustrating because I, here I thought I was in college. I was away from this 8 a.m. crap. And, in fact, I was away from the 8 a.m. crap. Actually, in, in high school, I had no first period. I, I arranged it to where I started second period. Everybody else started first. I arranged sec- I started second. I went I, I went uh, two through six uh that was in junior. Sorry, I, I was wrong. In my junior year, I went two through six. In my senior year, I actually did go to eight a.m. But I, at lunch, I was done with the day. I actually got to go home after fourth period. I did the, I did the same. I did the same thing. I had the last three periods free. I was done at like, I was done around noon. And, and, and you know what? You know what I did at at noon. Guess what I did when I went? Well, some of the days I went to go work in a computer store, but the days I wasn't going to work. Guess what I did when I left high school at noon? Uh. I I don't know. <laughs> uh, 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 went went to go to eat. I don't know. No, it was it was it was le- even less exciting than that. I went to sleep. I actually because I, I didn't oh. I, because I I was going to bed like really late and I wasn't getting like enough sleep. So what I would do is I just uh, tough it out through the four hours of school, and then I would go. Then I come home, and the second I get home, I'd eat something and then go to sleep. And my parents thought it was that makes cr- sense. I was right. I was right on the eating something. Yeah. and then sleeping makes sense after that. And my, my parents thought it was crazy. Yeah. They're, they're like, they're like you come home from school, you just go to sleep for hours. Why don't you just go to sleep earlier? And I go, no, I don't want to do that. So anyway, uh, I, I thought I was away from this eight a.m. crap, and here it was forced on me. So that would have really sucked if this just happened for, for this one. But fortunately, most people did not want this. And uh, as soon as I was able to schedule classes the subsequent uh, quarters in school, I would uh, try as hard as I could not to get 8 or 8.30. Those were just terrible. And, like, I actually liked the night class. Like, occasionally there was a class at 7 p.m. or 6 p.m., and I would take those. And some people hated them, but I, I liked them. I, I, I wish there was more of that. And the funny thing is, asking around school, most of the other college kids did not like 8 a.m. Like, there's a lot of hatred for 8 a.m., and some of the professors said they had, said they hated 8 a.m., so I asked, why do they have this? Why why do they have so much 8 a.m. if everybody hates it? Why not just shift the whole thing up an hour? Because if nobody wants it, I'm not saying abolish it, but why have so much of it if, if it's just hated so much? There's no reason it can't be shifted up an hour. I, I never figured that out. But uh, I think people are just so used to things starting at 8 a.m. I started at 8 a.m. But uh, the, a lot of people hated 8 a.m. And I, I really hated 8 a.m. 
and I, I would go out of my way to avoid it. And I was, I was proud of myself some years where I was able to schedule to where I'd have like nothing before 10 a.m. for a, any of the days. Uh, sometimes- I was the same way. I had 8 a.m. my freshman year when they, you know, they did the schedule basically for you. After that, I mean, I think my, my junior year, I just, I just had school on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, five classes and just uh, had Monday, Wednesday, and Friday off. Oh, that's so, good. I, 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 yeah, I just did it that way. I just stacked them. Just had two two days like that because you're only going you're only going to classes fifteen hours a week if you're taking five classes in college. Yeah, there, there was hours. one of these eight a.m. classes I had. It was like this boring like Western Civ from like the four hundred to thousand A.D. period. Uh, at 8 a.m. And I actually fell asleep in that class sometimes because uh, the problem was it was during the fall, like the, like the late fall. And uh, where I went, it was, it was cool in the morning. It was like 32, 35, 38 degrees around there when I, and I'd be riding my bike there. So I'd get the wind chill too from the riding my bike. So I freeze my ass off riding there. And then I would get into the, uh, and then there was this giant lecture hall with these super comfortable soft seats. So I would get in and I would just the warmth in there and the comfortable seats and the fact that I didn't get all that much sleep. I would, I, I, I fell asleep sometimes and I'd, <laughs> I'd hear the wrestler by standing up to leave and I go, shit, I just fell asleep through some of this. And then I had the panic towards yeah, the end. If I didn't have time to get coffee before the 8 a.m., I, I wasn't comprehending anything that was being said. And, and then, I, then I, I would have to get the notes off some girl later and, and photocopy. Well, that's what I had to do. There, I was just there. That, that's what I had to do. There was a guy in my dorms who who was in the same class and wasn't falling asleep. And and like when I noticed towards the end of the quarter that I had big gaps in my notes and I was gonna, I was afraid I was gonna flunk the t- the final. Uh, I, I I begged him for the notes and he was being kind of. Kind of an asshole about it, but he he reluctantly gave them to me. I think he just wanted to be a dick first and 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 make me sweat, but then he reluctantly gave them to me to copy. But uh, uh, so I did a lot. I did a lot of that. I did a lot. Of yeah. That. So I copied them and I, I I squeaked by. I took the class past no pass and I, I squeaked by with a pass. But uh, the uh, that was uh, boy I hated the eight a.m. classes. So that that brought back memories when I thought about how people are being forced. Except they're being forced the other way. They're being forced from 8 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. And I said, ah, how does it feel now? How does it feel to be forced later? Now you see how I feel the other way. Uh, okay. Well, anything else anybody got to say here? I know. I think everybody's done, right? I'm well, done. I just I wanted to thank, thank you for having me, Drew. Uh, and, uh, you know, I really appreciate the hospitality. And, Brandon, if you want to ever post, uh, you know, for me to F myself, I will be, it would be my honor uh, if you ever do that again. Okay? That's very sweet. And that, that's all I got. Very nice say. meeting you, Jeff. Nice meeting you, nice too. Meeting you, everybody everybody be well. Guy. And again, thanks for your hospitality, Jeff. Okay. Well, you too, buddy. <laughs> very funny. Jeff, did you stay in those, uh, did you stay in those dorms that were kind of on the Isla Vista side? Like those two uh, story. No, I, I stayed. Dorms. I stayed in the dorms that were uh, f- deep into campus, which had more of the lower classmen on it. And it was. Uh, there was funny. The parents stayed in the dorm. Like the parents came with you, so the parents would. Uh, they stayed in dorms too. And I, I wish my parents didn't come because you know what they did to the parents there at the orientation. This is very nasty. They scared them. 
they they terrified the parents. This is this is the message they put across to the parents. I don't know if they still do this, but this is what they did 30 years ago. They said number one, your kid doesn't need a car. If your kid takes a car to college, then no one else is going to have a car, and they're everybody's going to beg them for rides. And if your kid refuses, then everyone's going to hate your kid. So have your kid not bring a car unless you want everyone to hate them. So my mom's like, oh no no, I don't want everyone to hate him. So like so so they they would not let me take my car. It was my car. They would not let me take it. They said they're not going to. They're just they're just putting their foot down. They're not letting me take my own car. So uh, then they said, uh, do not bring a computer to school, do, because the same thing. <laughs> There's a computer lab, and that everyone can use a computer lab. And it, if you have a computer, everyone in your dorm is going to like demand to use your computer. And if you say no, they're all going to hate you. So my parents insisted on bringing the computer. Then they also said, which fortunately did not affect me, if you if you have a female child. If, if you're, if it's a daughter who's going to college now, uh, she's probably going to get raped. So she needs to be like super, super vigilant. She needs to always call escorts to take her everywhere at night. And, uh, if, if you deviate from this slightly, strangers are going to jump out and rape her, which was insane because they, they did have date rape issues there, but there, there, the stranger rape almost never happened. It was a, a safe area. Like there was very little of, of like rapists jumping out of the bushes and grabbing women. Like almost never happened there. It was almost, almost all the rape that occurred was date rape, which of course none of this would, would prevent. So, um, and they didn't talk much about that. They just talked about like, about the escorts. They, they scared the, the parents of girls to death that their daughters are going to get raped. So that, a lot of scare tactics there. And you may ask, why did they do this? Well, they did this because number one, they didn't want uh, they wanted to alleviate a parking problem, so they didn't want your car there. Number two, they didn't want computers getting stolen and having the parents be pissed off. So they uh, the, the, to alleviate that problem, to alleviate the uh, the work for the police officers on campus that they they didn't want people bringing computers. And number three, as, as far as the rape thing, uh, they just uh, they, they wanted to scare everybody into like hyper vigilance. So. Uh, maybe to bring those numbers down, even though it was barely happening anyway. So it, it was crazy. And I, I tried to insist on my parents who, who are smart people, you know, my parents aren't idiots who can be fooled, but this, they got, the, the, they were, they believe in all of this, except the rape part. They said the rape part sounded ridiculous, but that didn't matter because they, they weren't aiming that at the parents of boys. So they, uh, they, they said they, they believed the car and the computer thing. And I said, don't you understand why they're doing this? And they just, they didn't believe me. So, my, I, the one I really pushed hard wait, about. Wait, drop, drop, weren't you the raper in that scenario too? Weren't they saying or no? No, no, no. They weren't saying. They weren't saying your sons are going to rape. If the girls are the rapees, then the who's raping them? Well, it could be just people in the oh, community. It, it could be strangers from outside the community, from outside the campus. They, they didn't go into that much detail. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I was willing to kind of concede the car thing, even though I was very unhappy about it. The computer thing made me so upset. I mean, can you imagine? I don't have the computer. So I, I was so upset about the computer thing, and I, I just kept, like, begging them to reconsider this. And finally I got a compromise that my parents said, if, if we're so sure that you're going to be there and you're not going to miss the computer, that after one quarter, if you still want it, you can take it. But I'm sure you're not going to want that. I said, okay, well, I'll be asking for it a quarter then. So sure enough, the next quarter I, I said, okay, I'll be taking the computer, please, and I took it. That it was ridiculous, and and there were times I hated it. Like the computer lab wasn't even open twenty four hours, so it would be closing on me, or or I'd get there and 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 the only computers open are the ones that are kind of broken. And like I was like, you got to be kidding me! Like why why should I have to deal with this? I have a computer at home. 
Like, I should be able to bring this thing. This is crazy. And I was, I was telling them that this, this, this is dumb and I'm not worried about saying no to people and, and nobody's like begging each other to use their computers and, and, uh, you know, you don't have to be a, a chump who's just letting everyone use you all the time. And I'm not going to be that. And they know I'm not going to be that. Like it was, it was, uh, I, that orientation pissed me off. And eventually I got my car there too, but that took longer. And I, I was very happy to have that. It's just, uh, like you can get by in UC Santa Barbara with, uh, with no bike back then, with no car. You can ride your bike around, but it, it was nicer to have a car for when you want to leave the immediate area. And uh, so I liked having that. Like I rode my bike, even when I had my car there, I rode my bike around a lot, mostly. That was mostly where I, what I used, but there were times I was very happy to have my car. And uh, like like one of the times I remember I got I got sick. I got very sick, and I wanted to go out and get some things to uh, to, to ease what was going on. And, and I couldn't even, like, fortunately, it was, I had my car there. But I thought, wow, if I didn't have my car, I couldn't have done this. So uh, there's no way I could have ridden all the way to the store the, the way I was feeling. So. I, yeah, I went to Loyola in Maryland. We couldn't have cars freshman year. Oh, <laughs> once, once we could sophomore year, I I had it, and uh, I think sometimes I drove to class where walking would actually have been faster. <laughs> but I just wanted to listen to Howard Stern a little bit or whatever, <laughs> so I still would drive, and it'd probably take me like ten minutes more. But I still I still liked having the car. You know, in my in the in the ninety two ninety three school year, I was thrilled. I, that was the car. That was the year I had my car the entire time. And boy, was I happy to have it because there was unusually heavy rain that year, and like the entire fall and winter, it was like raining constantly in Southern California in, in the ninety two ninety three season. And that would have been brutal to just have to ride a bike the whole way because it was like every day it seemed like it was raining and it was cold rain. So, like, every day I would have had to ride in the rain, like in 40-degree rain, to class. And it, it would have sucked balls. So I was I was thrilled to have my car that winter because the, the rain was just constantly happening. And I was living farther from campus at that point, too. So, uh, yeah. So, anyway, uh, yeah, there's some things I would have done differently in my college days. You know, one thing I really regret from my college days, and this was my decision at the time. This, I can't blame this one on my parents. Uh, I finished in three years, and I shouldn't have. It was it was pointless and stupid, and I for some reason I was obsessed with it back then. For some reason I, I was like, oh wow, I I can finish in three years. I, I already have some AP credits. I can finish in three years. You know who needs to be in college four years? I was in a hurry to grow up, and then once I was, I was like, okay, what was the hurry? <laughs> I, I have uh, decades yeah. of being an adult and out of college. Why am I rushing through this? But it, it just seems so appealing to me to to finish college. And be in a, a, be like a, an independent adult, not not for any good reason. I for some reason that was just appealing to me. And then afterwards, I thought this is so stupid. And I had to knock myself out to do it, and it was stupid. I, I should have gone at a normal pace. So uh, I made it unnecessarily hard on myself. And I, I did it. I went, I went four and a hook, four and a half. Yeah, so you did the opposite. I had, this, I, I had a, a small scholarship, and one semester I I, I wasn't going to keep. I had to keep a certain GPA, so I had to. I ended up having to withdraw. So I, I yeah, I ended up having to go four and a hook. <laughs> I, I would have rather did what you did. I, I would have actually done the four and the hook rather than the the, the three. I mean, the three was the, the three was stupid. I don't I don't know why I was thinking. I, I like I like four. I like four and the hook. It gives yourself a three. I mean, like I said, it's only fifteen hours if you do a full uh, uh, full load for four years. 
So it can be done in three pretty easily. Um, but yeah, I, I see why you would look back now and say, what, what rush was I in? You know, why was I in such a rush? And I'll look back to those days and I'll think of certain things that happened and certain things I did and certain attitudes I had. And sometimes I'll think, wow, this is surprisingly mature. Like I would pretty much handle it the exact same way today. Like I'll think of things like 30 years ago that I'm surprised that I, I had the thought process I did and handled as well as I did. And then I'll think of other things and I'll go, that, now that was stupid. That was just plain stupid. Like, I don't know. Like, what was I even thinking? How is even the same person? Like, I, there's, there's some things where, um, I, I really wish I did certain things differently and can't even understand my thought process from back then. Uh, so it, testosterone, it's, Jeff. Testosterone, a lot of testosterone. Yeah, it probably was. It probably was testosterone. <laughs> Maybe that, uh, the decline yeah. over the years that it's cleared my head some. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've definitely, like, I was talking to my mother the other day, and she's like, you, you're so much more, like, grounded now. And I'm just like, no, I just don't have any testosterone left that I'm <laughs> scrambling up my head. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I think, like, <laughs> Like as as you get older, there, there's parts of you from a long time ago that remain, and also parts of you back then that uh, that were kind of ahead of their time, and then and then also parts of you that that greatly change, and and you're surprised at what you were before. So that uh, I, I definitely see some of both with me, where in in some ways uh, I'm the exact same person, and in some ways I'm not at all. And so some things I'm some things I'm I'm proud of. And some things I, I'm not proud of at all. So. I think that's that's pretty normal for most people. I would I would sum it up. That way are we too. talking? I mean, yeah. Are we? And not to be insensitive, but are we talking sexually? Well, I don't know what you mean by sexually. Like, there's, I, there's in in every department, I should say. There's well, a maybe lo- not experimenting as much as maybe you you could have. No, I, if, if you're asking if I was looking, what you think I wanted to have sex with dudes back then? What are you trying to say here? No, I mean like threesome. <laughs> no, I'm talking like menage a trois and just I, I, you know, I mean, that, a young man growing into his own. Of it, but the test that can be a piece of it. But I think just the fact that when you're a younger man, that testosterone that you have, it it just uh, sexually, yes, that's a component, but it, it also affects the way you think about a whole range of. Things. Well, yeah, and, and when, when, when you're in you know, some some of it has to do with because with... all your all your choices are, I'm sorry, all your choices are just around getting laid, and that's it. Yeah, so and, that's why. and some of it, I, I did mishandle some things in, involving girls back then, and, and uh, so that's some of it. But that's 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 one of of yeah. There's several pieces, things I, I would have done differently. Uh, even forget the hindsight thing of how you know what worked out and what didn't. Uh, just just. Even not knowing what what the future was going to be, if you put myself my my today brain back then, there would have been some uh, different choices made and different things done. Not everything, but uh, certain things. And I think I think if most people had a second run at it, they'd change. They 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 wouldn't. They they not to necessarily they change everything, but they would do everything just a little bit better. You know, you just do, you know, there might be 20% of things that you just totally chuck out, but you would do things just a little bit differently, a little bit better. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, we don't get that chance. But, uh, you, you know, uh, yeah, it, you can't, you as, as far as the testosterone, though, it, it is true. Like, it, it does kind of suck at that age. Like, males, they, they have the sexual peak around, like, 19. Uh, 
So that that is when you're you're feeling the the greatest urge for that, and it can it, it, it can interfere with other things, and then it starts it, it slowly declines from there. And uh, uh, I I think it actually is kind of like like too much. <laughs> it should be it should it, it would be better if it was less for for guys of that age because uh, it it becomes easier to manage. Because like like I, I still have plenty of a drive now, but it it, it is true. It's not like what it was thirty years ago. And I think it's better. It would be it would be a lot better if they kind of, you know, if if our body chemistry kind of, uh, it it it, it was like a, a less of a steep curve with the testosterone. You know, you didn't go from eighteen to way up there. You know, and it just kind of, kind of, you know, it's kind of like a ski slope down. It'd be much better if it was more of a of a straight, slow curve going down. But that's just not the way it goes. And uh, that's why I, actually a lot of guys like uh, athletes and stuff, they, they take testosterone one way or another. Um, you well, know, you, know, you know, what's uh, interesting when, when I had the, the issues that were the, the, the psychological issues two years ago that affected the testosterone levels, they, they, I took a blood test to check how things, what, what was going on. And it was very low, not very, it was low. It was, it was low enough to where if it continued that low, then uh, it wasn't just, Obvious choice, but it was a reasonable choice to start taking testosterone supplements. And I was, and I started looking at the downsides of it, and there's certain risks to it. And I started worrying, like, should I bother with this uh, because there's there's some risks I'll be taking. But then after this passed, and, uh, and my brain returned mostly to normal, I took another blood test, and the testosterone levels were back in the normal range. And I said, oh, good, okay, well maybe. And, and then the next blood test, I took same thing. It was it was still sitting in the same normal area. So I never ended up having to do that. And that my testosterone is normal as of the last blood test. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I didn't great have to do that, but, exactly. it, but it is interesting. Like you should see how everything got thrown out of whack. Like the actual physical levels were thrown totally out of whack by what was going on. And I was told that was normal, that that could happen. That's crazy. And, but most of it, most the, the good news, good news is most of it, if not all of it really kind of went back to normal. Well, the, the physical levels did; th- those all returned. Uh, you know, subsequent blood tests when my mind was mostly back to normal. The, the physical blood tests there; those weren't. Uh, those went back to normal, and all those cra- some of these crazy values I saw were, were gone, and everything was back to uh, normal range, except for vitamin D, which I started taking supplements for, and that went up to normal range as well. So, uh, yeah. So one thing, and that, that's that's great that it worked out like that, Charles. That really is. I'm not totally better. I don't think I'll ever be totally better. I, I still feel remnants. You sound fine. I, you know what? I was able to, at, except for the very worst points, I was actually able to sound mostly fine uh, by speaking. Like I went just out of curiosity to pull up uh, one of the few radio shows I did around that time. Not at the very worst point, but like the first point, I felt I could kind of sit down and do it, and I, I sounded like I didn't sound that bad. I, I sounded way better than I felt, and I actually put that disclaimer at the beginning of the show. I'm going to sound normal to you, but I feel very far from it. So I was able to kind of sound okay, except at some points. Like Trader Ruski had a conversation with me where I was like, I have my, one of my worst days ever. And I, I, I didn't sound normal there. But uh, and, and, and I appreciate it. I remember that I conversation. Remember. I remember that conversation. Trader Ruski was very, was very supportive, and I, I appreciate that. I was not... Uh, I, I actually, I actually had to to run out of my home. I love you, buddy. I I had to run out of my home. It was that I couldn't stand being inside. I, I just I, I felt this tremendous 
super heavy anxiety and uh, like feeling I, I couldn't even be indoors. I had to be outdoors, and then there was no, wasn't much relief outdoors. It was just uh, this tremendous like pressure uh, on my like you were like you were stuck inside your skin. Yeah, it was so kind of right. It was like you. You, you, you felt like trapped inside your own body. It, it was a it was a very yeah. strange feeling that I hadn't had before, and uh, I can't even exactly picture what it was like. But uh, I remember thinking, "This is this is torture." And and uh, I, I forget how I ended up on. I think I was just texting, like I was just on my phone, just texting, texting like people that were around and just saying how crappy everything was. And Trey Ruski was. I think that's how we ended up talking on the phone. But uh, yeah, like I remember where, where I, did we met. Remember Truff? We, we met at Hugo's, I think. Or, or yeah, yeah, we, or, yes. I was coming through there for something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were like on your way to San Luis Obispo. Yeah, we also met separately, and that was also kind of uh, during a, a bad point. Uh, the very worst, like the very worst I was at was then I talked to you on the phone that day because it's kind of like an early September sort of thing of 2018. Yeah. And boy, that was wow, that's, uh, that's, that's great that you were there for on Trader Ruski. You know, that's it's all you know. It sounds like that support meant a lot. But I, I only have I have remnants now. I have like like really? little I have like like low grade versions of what was happening, but uh, nothing unmanageable like before where it was unmanageable. Uh, this was like a, now I have like much lower grade versions that I kind of just live with, and I I made the uh, I made peace with it back before it even got better. I made peace with that if it never gets completely better, as long as it's close to normal, that I will be happy with it and I will accept it. And that's that's. Drop. Uh, I got one question on that. Do you know? Uh, were you ever given like a percentage of you know of people that that particular phenomenon happens to? What happened to you? No, but I was, it was unusual that it happened to me for the first time at age forty-six. That that was yeah, that part was was unusual, and that's but actually gave me hope because it was unusual because I knew that was not with me my whole life, and I knew that there was a. A chance to break out of it, even the, though at some points it felt like it was never going to happen because it was just not making any progress. But uh, um, I, I figured out a lot of it myself. Probably a, a fraction of one percent, probably. Yeah, that, it's a, that, well, yeah, and I and I've I've talked with a lot of people since then on the internet and groups and stuff, and they've very few of them got it the first time at that age. So it's uh, it's it's uncommon, and you know it's. Uh, I, I, I'm thankful every day that it, that it's I got past it, and uh, it's I, I thought essentially my life was over. My physical life wasn't over, but I thought that uh, my quality of life was going to be over, and that was it. And that uh, and I had to sit there for two months believing that was going to be the case. So that uh, I, I can't tell you the relief I felt when I started to see improvement. That was the really one of the best feelings I've had in my life is to see that starting to happen. And. Uh, and then when it when it stuck, that that was. And I I didn't think I'd ever deal with anything like that. And so whenever there had been uh, any stressful time since then, I I just think back to that and say, uh, this is all nothing compared to what was going on there. So, yeah. Anyway, that's a good way to, to look at it. That's a good way to look. At I mean, look, I think of this now with all the, the COVID stuff. I think, well, it's the, for me personally, it's not as bad as two years ago. So okay, uh, we will. Uh, I'm sorry, guys, for talking about this too much. I know I talk about this, about this number, of, uh, number of shows. No, it's, just, it's fine. I, I just it's very your show. It's your show, Drew. It's your show, man. You know. it, it was just a. It was just something that 
I know some people have gone through it, but uh, the, the severe level, I can't describe the severity of the levels. This wasn't just some anxiety and depression. This, these, are, these are terrible, severe levels that uh, all just slammed me at once and sat there. And I didn't know if it would ever go back. And, and the, the weird things that happened to my mind and the weird perceptions I had and the, I was able to act normally and think rationally, but any perception of anything was screwed up and there was no, there was like no quality of life. There was, there was, there really wasn't. And, uh, it's something I can't even describe. If you haven't gone through it, it's something that you couldn't even describe and have someone understand. So that, uh, uh, there's there's no question that you're being so honest and, and, and talking about it on the show. I, I could, I could tell you to a certainty. I know that it's helped some people out there. You know, just hearing hearing what you went through, how you got through it. Um, you know, you're de- there's definitely some people that uh, that uh, have been helped by that. There's no question about it. So. Yeah, well, I've had people that have come forward, like they've messaged me, uh, they texted me, or people have come up to me at the World Series, and and they they actually were uh, happy I, I brought this up and that I that I agreed to that Poker News article about it. Uh, and I said, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of it. It just happened. You know, this wasn't, uh, uh, th- this is just something that happened to me. It was, it was a chemical issue that it developed in my brain as a result of something else. And uh, and then I, I figured out uh, what to do to uh, push it away. And and so it's been mostly pushed away. And that's, that's what I was hoping to do. So, okay, I, I see some calls coming in, but I'm sorry, guys. I, I can't take the calls because... Uh, um, I, 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 it's five forty-five a.m. and I'll I, take one call. Take right. one river. Call. Hey, I can host. I'll host the Brandon and I. Can <laughs> <host>. <laughs> Caller, you're on the air. Hello, you, Ben from Australia. How are you? Hello. Yeah, I, I, you know, when I saw it was an international call, I felt bad not taking it. The domestic people, you know, they oh, can really? wait. But... International call. I know it's really late. Sorry. Well, now it's early. Yeah, close enough. Oh, what, what time yeah. is it? What time is it? What time is it in Australia? It's actually late for him. Uh, ten forty-five p.m. Friday night. Oh, I was wow. Hey, he's almost at Saturday. Saturday. He's almost at Saturday. Believe it or not. Yeah, we're in lockdown here. We can't do anything. Well, the 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 time has finally come for Australia. You guys dodged it for so long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we can only go to work and go home. What That's about the what about the supermarket? How does that work? Oh, you're allowed to go to the supermarket, but you're only allowed out one for an hour a day. Oh, really? How, how do they police that? Well, I don't think they really do. Okay, I was going to say, like, how, how do they know how long? Is it a timer starts ticking? That everybody have a, an ankle bracelet that times them when they leave home? <laughs> and you're only allowed up five kilometers away from your house. Really? So if you go to a supermarket, yeah, if you're a, you go to a supermarket and it's more than five kilometers and they come and check you in the car park, they were checking in the car park today, uh, where you're from. Well, what if, what if you don't live and, within uh, five kilometers of, of a supermarket? What do you do then? Well, I think we're only locked down in Melbourne. So in Melbourne city, it's only 40k okay. within the mid, City, so, um, but we've got all the businesses is closed. Um, everything's pretty, it's pretty grim here. We're, we're ahead of 
over a thousand cases in Melbourne today. Um, but the rest of Australia is open. Yeah. So we had, well, we, that, we had, um, sorry, Ben, I heard, I spoke had, to somebody in Brisbane, Victoria. Is that right? Brisbane's in Victoria, right? And it, no, it sounded Brisbane like they were on Northern the road. Oh, no. Oh, Queensland, right, right, right. I heard, well, I heard, I heard they were kind of heading in the direction where you guys might be now. Just like recently, they get a big uptick. I heard. Yeah, they had a big uptake, but not nothing like us. We had an outbreak because the government actually employed a private security guard company to look after people coming back from overseas. And those security guards had sex with some of the people coming back from <laughs> overseas who had COVID. Oh my god, that was not good. And that's how the that's how the outbreak happened. That's very strange. And we don't have online poker. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. You guys don't have online poker. As it got taken away. Oh my god! Really? No online poker. Brutal. Well, I'm, I'm no, going to look up the numbers here. I'm going to look up the numbers for Australia as a country. And, uh, I mean, it doesn't look awful. <laughs> they, they got, they only got 418 new cases yesterday and eight deaths. And the, the population is, uh, 25 million. So that's, uh, it's way better than the U.S. is doing by, by a wide margin by the factor of over 10. Yeah. We had a thousand in Melbourne two days ago. Huh. And that's just in the where six million people live. Um, but we've never gone in through anything like this in Australia. And our economy of, is obviously a shot like the American economy. And so, is the government yeah, I don't know how we're going to come the, back from this. Is the government giving, uh, doing anything, giving checks to people who are locked down, anything like that? Yeah, they are doing a little bit. A little bit. We're doing a lot for independent business. Maybe not individuals, but they're trying to get people to stay in jobs and work from home. I see. But it's very hard to work from home if you're packing boxes in a warehouse. That's true. That would be very difficult. Very difficult. So, but uh, I just thought I'd ring up, guys. It's a great show. I love listening to you guys. I listen to every every single week. Oh, thank you. My oh, wife nice. thinks I'm mad. Oh, your wife thinks you're mad to listen to us. <laughs> now, why does she think you're right. mad? Because is she is she she think you're crazy because you're uh, listening for this many hours? Yeah, yeah. She said it's a podcast. How could it go that long? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's nobody can understand it. I, I can't even explain it. Yeah, if Do you, uh, most, 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 most podcasts in America are probably an hour and change, I guess, on, uh, if you want to just make a quick estimate. Uh, so Australian Trump guy. is about 8x eight, eight that. He's about 8x. Australian guy. Do you post <laughs> on the forums? This is Drexel. Oh, hi, Drexel, yes. I uh, posted a couple of times. I'm more onto the chat. My name is I'm Blissy. B L I W S Y. Okay. Well, nice to meet you. But very nice to meet you guys. Um, hopefully, his poker's back to where it could be. 
hopefully, I don't know if we'll ever recover from this in the world, to be honest. Yeah. Do you think we will draft? Do you think we'll recover ever? Well, uh, if this vanishes to where it is no longer something that is realistic to get, then yes. Uh, it'll take, people may be shaken for a little bit, like, like, it may feel a little weird to be all close together again because people will just have the memory of being afraid to be close together. But they'll, they'll get used to it. But the, the key is this actually has to pass where it's not a persistent problem. So if it's like the flu and just keeps reappearing every year in a different form and we have to keep uh, trying to vaccinate to catch up with it and if the, vac- the vaccination is not 100% effective, then certain things will never come back and, uh, and live poker could really struggle. And if that is the case then I may be done with live poker forever. So uh, the, the only thing good I can say about that is at least my final experiences with live poker were both good, live and with, with tournament and very, cash. Very good. With, 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 uh, with, with cash, I was on a good streak in commerce. And, uh, and with tournaments, the very last one I, I played was the, uh, the main event that uh, at, at the – World Series of Poker, where I finished 128th and got 59k. So uh, I, I, I'm satisfied at least with the ending to that. I'd prefer it's not over. I I, I don't want to quit playing live poker, and I, I miss playing. It's been six months, but if, if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. There there could be worse things to have to do without. Yeah, and the mass companies, companies want this to last. Yeah. Did you play much? When you went to the World Series of Poker, did you go to the World Series of Poker with a mindset that you were going to play just tournaments, or did you play on your off days uh, cash? I, I played some. I, I played some cash. I, I I was mainly doing it there for the tournaments. Uh, if there, sometimes I was in the mood to play cash and went to go play cash, and I was in the mood to play cash, and there was no seats open at the games I wanted to play, and I said screw it and went back to the room. Uh, I played some online too. Uh, sometimes I didn't, some days I just kind of took a break and didn't do that much of either of those. Uh, because I made it fairly deep in a lot of events, even the ones I didn't cash in, I, I didn't have many events where I just sat down and got smacked and, and, had, and had the whole day. So there actually were not yeah. that many free days there. I actually was expecting a lot more free days. In fact, there were uh, a number of people I would have seen more there I didn't get to see much of or any of that I expected to, to see there because I was far more busy with the tournaments than I expected. Uh, because I, I lasted longer in a lot of them than I than I thought I would, so that's uh, so that I didn't have as much time. But uh, I, I played some cash, but that's not the main reason I go there. I go to play tournaments and uh, the, the World Series events, and hoping one day I'll uh, win another bracelet or uh, or make the final table the main event. That's that's what I'm hoping to see one day. But Truff, that is yeah, the one so many other tournaments. At the Bellagio, they have the limit, the limit games like crazy. You know, that's that's really the in Vegas at least, right? But, but right. they, they the, don't yeah. have them. They don't have them at the Rio. Like uh, Iceman used to always get games going, and they were great games there. But well, you know, that was probably usually thirty, sixty max. And I know Druff wants to play bigger than that, but those games were good. And now there's really no limit holdem. Yeah, at the at last. the Rio, there's not. Uh, at the Rio, I was playing the seventy five one fifty oh eight, and that game was kind of hit and miss. Sometimes it was very tough. Sometimes it was good. It was it was kind of hit and miss with the uh, the quality of that game during the World Series. 
And uh, the Bellagio, I just, I didn't go much. It's so hard that the list is a million names long uh, to get into games. And then when you get there, it's like, I, I play Limit Hold'em, and it's like the Minnesota Limit Hold'em All-Stars are, are, are half the table. So, like, the games are actually easier in Limit Hold'em when the World Series is not going on. Oh, and Druff, let me. I, I, I always bribe the guy Bobo. I give him like twenty bucks to get in. That's yeah, Bobo. Bobo. It's Bobo, not Bobo. But the You know what? I can call him Bobo because I I tipped him. I I don't even want to count, but like to get to get his. I hear you. But we probably between the two of us, we probably paid his mortgage. Yeah, I'm sure we have. Bobo's done very well with me. He loves to see me. Bobo. Exactly. Hey, and and Druff, uh, remember at HP, God, it must have been maybe early two or maybe mid two thousands, where they put in those 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 electronic belt games where you'd sit around. I mean, they were poker, but it was like buy a dealer, no chips. I mean. Right, I think there was even a dealer sitting there, but it was just all electronics. So you didn't have. To oh, that's that's the digital poker tables. Mycon actually loved those back in the day, uh, and then they appeared on cruise ships. Yeah, so those I the mean, ones you're, you're talking about, the ones like are on cruise ships too. Right. Yeah, they, they, they then I think they then did go on. A, yeah, they tested it at HP at like in like maybe 2005 ish or something. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but that could be a solution. I mean, you know. Well, I, I don't know because chips. I, I don't think touching the chips is the problem. I think it's the the whole being indoors with with recirculated air is the killer over there. That's why that's what I wouldn't want to do. But speaking of those tables, you know, I, I believe I know a person who set the record for the youngest person to not only play one of those machines, but the youngest person to ever gamble. In an actual casino, and that would be one Benjamin would tell us in a cruise ship <laughs> in a cruise ship casino. That's he funny. he played a hand of poker on one of those machines in uh, 2011 at the age of uh, 14 months, and he won the hand. He yeah. got dealt pocket nines and won the hand. But wasn't that against the machine though, Druff? That no. game you're talking about? No, 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 no. It was against no, other players. Against other people. Oh, this is where everybody sits around. Oh, okay. No, everybody sat around. In fact, the, the machine I was talking about against other people. Yeah, no, and the guy, the guy right. Well, well, well played. Did, did he did he max it out? They well, got all the best in well, it was it was no limit holding one two against a, a lot of fish, and uh, there was a guy directly to my left, an older guy, not really old, but uh, older than me, and uh, he was very upset about like losing that hand for some reason, like having a baby beat him in the hand was very upsetting to him. And so he was like, really, I could tell he was like, there was anger that was in him that was bubbling up that he he didn't, he didn't say anything, but I could tell he was pissed. But what happened was, so I, I prepared my parents with this. And uh, so my dad was ready with the camera and I said, watch, watch until I give a signal, and then provided you see no employees around, run over and drop him in my lap. The reason I chose a cruise ship is because the consequences weren't going to be that bad if I got caught. Where I, who knows what would happen in a Nevada casino if I was caught doing this uh, on the cruise ship? International waters, yeah. Yeah, they, they would just tell me stop that, don't ever, don't ever do it again. That's that, that, that's what they would do yeah. if they caught me. So I, I so so when it was safe, then I gave the signal. My dad ran over and, and dropped Benjamin in my lap. And uh, and so I got dealt a hand, and I get dealt pocket nines, and I go, okay, that's a good hand for Benjamin. <laughs> so so um, so I Benjamin is holding a little card that 
that you uh, that you just use to press. You can press it with your hand, but a lot of people do it with a card. So, okay. so I was moving his arm to press the card or to raise. So we open raise. Of course, I get flatted by some people because it's and uh, it's it's one two with a bunch of fish, and the flop is like jack eight two. So okay, okay, that's that's a decent flop for nines. So I, I continuation bet the flop. The guy directly to my left calls, and everybody else folds. Like, okay, I'm, I'm happy to see that. And then the turn was the blank. So Benjamin fired again, and the guy sat there, and he looked very upset. And I actually said to him, that, what's the problem? You don't want to fold? You don't want to lose to a baby? And then he got even angrier. He had no tells. No <laughs> tells. Benjamin had no tells. <laughs> and, so he got, and then the guy folded, and then there's just, like, the silence at the table. So the pot gets pushed to Benjamin, and I give him back to my, my dad. There's a silence there at the table, and the guy who lost to me didn't say anything, but someone across the table says, you know, I think that qualifies as child abuse. And I go, you've got to be kidding me. I, 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 said, <laughs> I said, he doesn't know what's going on here. He, doesn't, he, he won't remember this. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't know this is gambling. He doesn't know anything. He, 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 you know, there's, he's so far from being able to understand any of this. It was just a funny thing I did here. And and he'll see the picture years from now and, and get a laugh out of it. That's all this is. What what, what harm do you think will come from he this? He doesn't always. He just got that guy off a of jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe the guy had pocket tens and folded. <laughs> so, but uh, <laughs> anyway, the, the the first time I saw those machines were in Macau. Oh, interesting. Yeah, for yeah, you I going to Macau is not that hard. How, how far is Macau from you in Melbourne? Uh, eight hours. Nine hours. Okay, Nine hours so, so it's not that close. It's it's a lot better than for us, but still pretty far. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, the, yeah. The, but I, I argued with like several people at the table of of whether this was uh, something bad or not. Like nobody had any. There wasn't even a single person there who who defended it. There was just uh, everyone was either quiet or going off on me. But I didn't care. It, it was it mainly like kind of older people, and I, I didn't give a crap. I just uh, I, I wasn't looking to impress them. But we're talking about it's so harmless. Like, yeah, I, I could see if they, if I had like a, like Benjamin now being nine years old, if I had him sitting on my lap and doing it, I could see some objection to this. But uh, a baby who doesn't understand what's going on, I mean, it's so stupid to be angry well, about good that. Thing, good thing you didn't stack the guy, then that maybe there would have been a problem. <laughs> Yeah, I actually wanted, I actually wanted him to fold. Like that, the speech about losing to a baby, I really just, I was hoping he was just going to fold because the nines, with, with, the nines by themselves, on, I was afraid uh, there's so many ways it can get beat. So, uh, I, I didn't, whatever he had, I didn't want him calling me down. I just wanted to take the pot. And I was happy when he folded. But, uh, I actually think that guy was bothered that it was like a baby in the hand. It, it really seemed like it was, it wasn't that he was mad at me for doing, I think, like across the table, they thought I was, uh, doing something with the baby I shouldn't be. This guy seemed to be like really, he, he actually like did not like losing to a baby. Even though he knew the baby wasn't making the decisions. It was like, it was like the indignity of having a one year old beat you in a hand. So. I don't, I don't think, I, I. I now it. Is nine his favorite favorite number now? Is Gretzky his famous favorite uh, player? Like, has that nine nine stuck at all, or no? No, but I, I told him about it recently and showed him the pictures, and he he thought it was funny, and uh, and he did say he like he he says he doesn't really understand poker. Like, he sees me playing, but doesn't understand how it works very well. And I thought I, I can show you. You know, it's uh, I, I can even understand it. It's a great continue. Great to continue on the turn there. Great play. His first play, you know, yeah, great. <laughs> it's a good bet. 
I, I told him. I said he can. He, you, I said, you gotta step on their throat. Just put the pressure on. <laughs> You know, poop, poop, poop in your diaper to get him sweating the, uh, you know, to call or not. Well, <laughs> maybe that's why the guy folded. It was like, I gotta get this kid out of here. He's just crapped in his diaper. Actually, you know, the funny thing is, uh, even if he did crap in his diaper, uh, given the hygiene of most poker players, uh, he probably wouldn't have smelled the worst at the table. <laughs> Especially if Annie Duke was at the table. All right, uh, All right boys. We're, thank we're, you very much. We're going to be done. Thank, thank you very much, again. everybody here, for joining me at the end of the show. Uh, Trey Ruski for the unusual 3 a.m. appearance, and uh, Brandon for your not so unusual middle of the night appearance, and uh, and Jeff Dime for joining us here. And you brought a lot of good commentary. And uh, our Australian yeah, friend Blissy, yeah, thank you for calling in. And uh, that, that's about you know at the request. I, I think it was mumbles badly. I was told that he did not prefer the new version I was playing of the All in the Family closing theme, the the one that was used for Archie Bunker's place. That he preferred the original. He said he couldn't get used to the newer one. So it, it's understood. Yeah. Oh, wait, and drop a plug for uh, Brandon's show on Sunday. Now go ahead. Oh, thank you. Oh, well, Greater risky. Brandon, go ahead. I've, <laughs> it's at uh, 7.30 LOL stock, stock events, I think On YouTube Thank you, Jeff okay. On YouTube, it's on YouTube. Uh, on, 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 Trader Ruski appeared on there Trader Ruski uh, actually appeared on uh, on camera there You could have seen uh, tr- Not just heard Trader Ruski, you could have seen him And in fact he got compliments You still can You he, go to YouTube, LOL stock events, Episode 2 That's true And not yeah, only that, uh, Trader Ruski He got compliments on having uh, a lot of hair People said uh, Trader Ruski has a, a full head of hair, and people were impressed. I do, and and I'm giving myself a haircut after work today. So oh. we'll see how that looks. They, on, you know, there if goes I'm the, on, on Sunday, if they'll have me back. Well, maybe you, you should leave it if you got all this the, these compliments on your hair that people don't expect it. They think this guy's over fifty. He's gonna have he's gonna be bald, and then they see you, they go, "Whoa, he's got hair!" Oh wait, here he is! Wow, there, hey, there it is. I showed you guys video. Now here, look where I'm at. Check it out. He's outside somewhere. I, I can't see. It's just oh, like, you like can't see. no, I don't know what that is. It's it's yeah. It's it's like it's, it's a place called the uh, Dinosaur Cave Park in uh, Shell Beach, and it's just so cool. It overlooks the ocean, and this is where I take my dog to walk in the mornings. Oh, okay. Well, I, I'm I'm kind of looking for places to go that aren't like super far that I could go on like like day trips or something. I should consider that yes. area. Like it's a little bit far, but you should drop. Yeah, it's nice though, and there's things to do for sure. And we, you know, it hasn't been hit hard with COVID. And even if you wanted to stay over a night, there's this brand new hotel that opened in uh, Arroyo Grande, like in February. <laughs> and then the pandemic happened, so there's probably haven't been too many people through there. Yeah, I just wouldn't want to be anywhere with any kind of recirculated air. But okay, enjoy your your walk. I hear the the birds in the background; it's very peaceful. So uh, very serene. I may have lost you, Jeff, because I don't hear you. Okay, I I, I hear you, as as George George W. Bush once said. Okay, we're we're shutting this down. We've been on for a long time. I'm off. Okay, I guess I'm signing off. Okay, everybody. Okay, good night, Trader Ruski. Good night, buddy. (laughs) Brandon, can you still hear me? Now we lost, we lost, I think we lost Brandon. Still here, Brandon? 
I don't know who's here anymore. I think I'm alone. But no, I think I see, no, I see you, Brandon. You're here. I see. I see like a very dark Brandon here. I don't know if you can hear me though. Something's going on with the sound. Anyway, thank you to all of you for coming on here. It's ended up a lot longer than I expected. It's like an eight and a half hour show. Uh, if you're listening right now and expecting the archives right away, it's not going to be. I'm going to be honest about that. I, I'm go- what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be. I'm going to turn this down. It's too damn loud. It's too damn loud. It's better. What I'm going to be doing is I'm going to get some sleep. And I'm going to be busy for some time today. I don't know exactly when I can get in the archives, but uh, I'm going to make an effort. See when I get it. It's, it's a day early anyway. You know, we, we shouldn't have even done this yet. This should have been done tonight. So it's an early show. If you're expecting it on Friday, then I guess it'll be on time. And uh, I'll throw it up when I can. But I can't do it right now. I've kind of decided I, I just don't feel like archiving it anymore right after the show. Because it's a lot of work. Because I've been editing out some of the fail and technical difficulty, whatever happens, and then I have to go through and find all the timestamps because I make kind of rough notes. I got to find exactly where they are. It's like it's like work, okay? It's it's boring, tedious work, and I, I just don't want to do it after like an eight-hour show. I just don't have the energy for it. I don't have the, it, it, I dread doing it right after the show, so I'm just not going to do it after the show anymore. I sleep it off, then I when I have some time, I get it up. And if you don't like it. You can complain to my boss, 775-372-8355. You can ask him to talk to me or fire me for not doing my job in an expedient fashion. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week on Friday, August 14th, probably. Shalom.